Hello and welcome to another episode of So Fly. It is March 10th, which means that the Fly Fishing Film Tour just released all of the films today. Yeah, baby! For you that you can watch. Hey, now! Yeah! We did it, boys! <laughs> F3T is live. We actually didn't do anything. We had nothing to do with it. But we did record a podcast with uh, all the filmmakers and Yilma. Yes, Mitch. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. Excited for this. For to Yes, excited. <laughs> <laughs> excited for all the the films. <laughs> Aldo, how you doing, baby? I'm doing great, man. Um, I'm doing great. It is very warm today. Spring, oh, man, is, spring is in the year, which means spring steelhead is close. But like oh you God. said, it's an exciting day because yeah. the F3T films ca- all came out today. They're live yeah, right actually, now as of like you know what? an hour ago. I should have introduced the show as, hello and welcome to another bonus episode of SoFly because this is a bonus mm. podcast it's the first bonus episode bonus we've ever bonus bonus and uh so where we recorded yoma you weren't there and we missed you but we recorded I like too. i don't know we recorded like a whole bunch of like yeah. mini podcasts with all the filmmakers and nick from the f3t who is a super cool guy and you're gonna hear him because um nick me and Aldo met all these filmmakers, most of them. There was a couple that we weren't able to connect with because it was just the nature of connecting with people all over the world. Mm-hmm. But um, some people were already cool. on other shoots. Which some people are already cool. on our shoots. Some people, you know. So, um, but we met with pretty much everybody and we interviewed them about their films and we got to chat about, um, you know, what went into making the films and kind of a little bit behind the scenes stuff and uh all that kind of jazz so that's what today's episode is it's a bonus podcast it's gonna be super long so i'm just gonna we're gonna end this intro now because it's like honestly like i'm actually editing it right now while we're recording this i'm editing the show as well and it's like hours long could i make so, a suggestion please for my friend, please i think i think it would be cool if uh you know you can it's a, definitely a podcast you can come back to because mitch said it's, it's long we mm-hmm. we spent uh, we spent about th- half an hour which with each filmmaker and you, you know there's a lot of filmmakers. A lot of content. Yeah. A lot of content. Um, but it's definitely something you can keep coming back to. And maybe you could watch a few films. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, how do you watch the films? Well, you can go to, uh, was it Fly Film? FlyFilmTour.com. FlyFilmTour.com. Or yeah. we have a link going in our Instagram bio where you can purchase tickets. Um, yeah. And the show, the online version of the show, will be live until April 4th. It yeah. is live now until April 4th. And then after that, it's going back to an in-person experience, you yeah. know, so long yeah. as uh, everything's safe for COVID. But I know the F3T, we were chatting with those guys and they're doing some pretty cool, um, they're partnering with fly yeah. shops and, and trying to do some safe events outside uh, so people yeah. can see the films in, in kind of like a fun. We're going to try pub- to do one down scenario. here for sure. Big time. Uh, when, when we can. But I, I will say this, I'll say this. You have two options as a listener of SoFly right now with this bonus episode. You can either listen to it now the and just... Without seeing the films, you could just sit down now, tie some flies, and just crank through it. And it might be kind of cool to hear all these filmmakers before you watch their films. Or you could go watch the films and kind of like Aldo was saying, come back and listen as you want. Um, or just turn it off right now. You don't have to listen to this at all if you don't want to. But hey, <laughs> no, don't do that. You're here. No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you're here now, so like <laughs> strap in. But yeah, I think um, we don't strap we don't in. like give away anything in the uh, in the films about the films. We kind of just talk around them. So. You can listen to this now and then watch the films later, but definitely check out the films because the lineup this year is really, 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 really fun. Check it out. Yeah. 
Oh, that's my con- <laughs> that's my contribution. <laughs> contribution. <laughs> well, everybody, thank you uh, for checking out this bonus SoFly podcast episode. We're gonna do more bonus podcasts in the future. Um, bonus is the word of the day, and um, use the word bonus in our web store to get fifty uh, percent off all hoodies. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have that capability. <laughs> we don't make any money off our hoodies. But uh, thank you for listening to this and uh, enjoy all of these interviews. Check out our podcast on the 15th because we're going to be recording Jessica Haydall right now. She's coming on the show, so that's what you should do. So we'll see you on the 15th. Hardlined, directed by Chris Kitchen. This is Chris. Chris, dude, thank you so much for making the time to come on and, and chat for a little bit. We're, we're stoked to have you on. Uh, before we get started with anything, just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, about your production company, and kind of how you got started in all this. Uh, yeah, you know, long story short is, um, I was born in Colorado. Uh, my parents were kind of ski bums there, but they were originally from kind of the East coast. So I think like they freaked out, had kids. We moved back to, um, New England. I grew up in Massachusetts and Maine. Um, and then just kind of moved out to Jackson, went to college out West and, uh, was Mm -hmm. always interested in outdoors, skiing, biking, um, fly fishing and, um, yeah, so that's kind of in a nutshell. And then moved to Jackson, started doing some ski stuff, was always interested in video. Um, so we we're always doing little videos of each other and then just, you know, started taking this serious. Um, I actually have a geology degree and I worked, um, in the oil fields here of Wyoming for a little bit, just, uh, mud logging. Like I was like the like white collar mm-hmm. guy that would like take the samples and look at them in the microscope um, mm. with the goal always like, Hey, this is not my passion. Um, but it's paying really good money. And, you know, I kind of took that money and was like, I'm going to do film full in me and my business partner, Sam, were like, let's do it. We're going to like make a ski movie and we're going to do like branded content. And this was like before branded content was a thing. Um, what I was like to say is we started our company in 2000 two, three probably. And like YouTube mm-hmm. wasn't a thing to 20, 2005, you know? So it was right. kind of like yeah. the always idea was like, we're going to spend Pretty a year. Easy. We're going to make this one DVD or VHS and mm-hmm. we're going to totally. send it out. You know, we're going to pay somebody to make 5,000 copies and send it out. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we're going to burn cool. some copies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, it's funny. Like some of our older films and stuff that we did in college before we started a company, like was on VHS. And I just had to like, pay somebody a ridiculous amount of money to like transcode it because it's like i don't even have a vhs player who has that now like i couldn't even yeah. find one <laughs> <laughs> um, well that's awesome man so let's let's kick it off with this the this film's about striped bass and it's the first one we've had in the tour ever solely about striped bass so tell us this why are striped bass such an important species to talk about in general where can you find them and why are they considered, quote, every man's fish? Um, yeah, so striped bass are, they're, you know, a migratory fish on the East Coast from kind of Maine to about the Carolinas. Um, similar to salmon, um, they spawn in tributaries and then they spend most of their life in the ocean. Um, but unlike mm-hmm. salmon, they don't die every year. Um, and it's something like, 
I can get into all the science. You start doing these films and you learn so much about it. But, um, you know, it takes them about four to eight years before the females are of spawning age and can spawn. Um, they run mm -hmm. up and down the East Coast. I mean, if you're a fisherman on – an ocean fisherman on the East Coast from Maine to the Carolinas, like, you've gone striped bass fishing. They're the, they're the target game fish. They're the most mm -hmm. ubiquitous fish out there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they can be anywhere in the Chesapeake. They could be, you know – 13, 15 inches, so they could be, you know, 50, 60 pounds when you're off the coast of um, New Jersey, New York, uh, Cape Cod, um, mm -hmm. all of that. And I think they've kind of been this fish where they've kind of been a staple of the East Coast fishery. And then um, there was a time in the early 80s to the late 90s where they had this big decline, and then they kind of had this huge bounce back, and now we're kind of in that spot where they might be, seems like they're declining again. Um, and we'll get into all of that, but, um, I think they're just a great game fish. And like, I used to fish for them when I was a kid, like as a teenager with like my dad and all that. And I don't think I really appreciated them that much. I was like, oh yeah, you know, when we're spin fishing, um, surf casting for them. Um, and you know, coming back almost 20 years later fishing for them, I'm like, they're so exciting the way they attack the bay. I mean, they'll hit it on the surface. They'll hit it underwater. Um, they're aggressive, and I think that's why people like them is because you can catch them so many different ways. You can catch them from a boat. You can catch them in mangroves. You can catch them from a kayak, a sub. You can, most people just surf cast at you know, public beaches for them. So I think it's like, as opposed to a lot of different fishing, it's like low entry and your chance of success is pretty high. Yeah. Now I get it. I understand a little bit better now. You can. It, it's kind of an interesting way to think about it, that anybody who fishes – can target them in the way that they fish. Yeah. You could go get a $50 Walmart spin rod and stand on the beach with 20 other people and just see them come down the beach. And it's obvious, you know, when they're blitzing, they're like on the surface and you just watch them. You're like, okay, uh, uh, okay. They're right in front of me. <laughs> yeah. Cast. Um, you know, and cool. I remember catching them as a kid and I see when we were out there filming, we saw a bunch of, you know, like eight year old kids. It's like, if they can cast it out there, like they have a good chance of catching them. That's, that's cool. awesome. Yeah, that's wicked. Um, yeah, and a lot of ocean fish, sorry to interrupt, is like you oh, need yeah. a boat to get to, right? A lot of ocean fish yeah, right. you need a boat to get to. And this one, like, mm -hmm. you don't need a boat. You can fish them from the shore or you can fish them with, like, you know, your cheapest aluminum 20-foot boat and just go out a little yeah, bit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, massive, world-class fish, though, you know? Like, they're just – they can be huge. Yeah. And they put up a fight, and they're mm -hmm. aggressive. And I think we have this quote in the film where, like, they can be on, but if, but they can also turn off in a second. And you can throw a hundred different things at them, and if they're not feeling it until yeah. you figure that out, they're yeah. not going to hit it. But when you have it, they're going to hit it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 hundred um, percent. Okay, so you got you have quite a few different characters in the film this year. Why did you decide to focus on more than one character? Um, that's good. Well, it, it was an evolution, you know, um, to be honest, the first thing we pitched was this like skishing idea, which is like these guys that like get in their wetsuits and swim out and fish for striped bass. Mm -hmm. Um, and oh. then, you know, started just like getting more involved. We hooked up with Tony at American Saltwater Guides Association. And he was kind of the guy that was like, Hey, I saw the film you guys did a few years ago called the return. It was about, um, Yellowstone cutthroat trout conservation. He was like, man, there's a really good conservation story here in this striped bass thing. Um, so we just started talking and it kind of evolved. And I was like, okay, let's 
do a conservation piece, but let's also make it like not kind of a Debbie Downer, but like high action, right. feel good. Like let's let's understand mm-hmm. why we want to preserve these fish. It's like they're a great game fish. They're a great species. You know, they taste great. Uh, do you need to keep every single one you catch? Probably not. Um, and that, and then we were like, okay, how do you tell this story of conservation and all these different, and of a fish that migrates, you know, hundreds of miles. So that's where we mm-hmm. kind of came up with the idea. Okay. Let's pick like four kind of main guides or conservation type characters in each location and have them hopefully tell the story to the best of their ability. Now it's so cool because they're all so unique. And yeah. It, and I, oh, go ahead. And I love like um, what's his name Earl and Adam because those guys are like true recreational fishermen. They both have real time yeah. jobs and they get out every morning and they go bass fishing when it's on. It's like it's on for that month. Yeah, their employees know that they're showing up at work at ten or eleven. They're <laughs> working hard. Their wives know that they're going to bed at like eight o'clock because they're getting up at four in the morning and like. I don't think you see that a lot in these films. You see all these pros, these people going out, but like to me, they're the core recreational angler. Like this is the main audience. These are the people that are Mm -hmm. like, that do it for the right reasons because they love it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah. And it was cool to see. I, like you said, just like a, not, you know, it's not a guide. It's just these these guys with boats and and uh, like you said, just getting up and and that sequence particularly. I, I don't want to give too much away because obviously people haven't seen the film yet. Um, but uh, it's a nice it's a nice sequence <laughs> of them just like having the having the time of their life. Um, it's a cool narrative because you know it does it does raise a point where like these are migratory fish, not only in the sense that they run rivers, but you know the coast. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about like the ge- like the different geographical locations you filmed in, like how you went about? Okay, well now we're gonna t- you know go here and here and try and tie in the story, you know, kind of. Thing? Yeah, yeah. So basically, um, and I don't, I'm not like super dialed on all the signs, but basically it's kind of like springtime, right? They all kind of flush out of the Chesapeake Bay or the Hudson Bay. Mm-hmm. They migrate up north to Maine to eat, and then they migrate back down. The coast. And my understanding is, you know, when they're coming back down, that's when they're fattened up, you know, and they're aggressive and you mm-hmm. want to get them. So we kind of timed it off that. So in June, mid-June, around the 15th, we uh, kind of based out of Newport, Rhode Island, give or take. And we kind of fished Newport and um, Martha's Vineyard and kind of Cape Cod in that area because that's kind of when that run was in there. Um and then we left and we sent my guy, Matt, who's actually back here editing other stuff on the film right now. Um, all these little cut downs. Um, he went to Maine with some guys and uh, we actually ended up going back to Maine again in the summer with a local crew because we just like didn't hit the weather window there because uh, we really wanted to feature that flat style fishing, which is like most people think of like striped bass, ocean fishing, and all that. And like the main and in some other places, even upstate, even on the New York coast, they're like fishing them in these flats, which is like, it's almost like bonefish tarpon fishing. Like it's flat, you're in inches of water, you know, a couple feet of water, you can see them tailing and you're casting so that. So um, yeah, and that ended up happening kind of early July. So we actually had to have a local crew kind of go back and shoot that with Kyle to capture that. Um, I still don't think we did the justice it deserves, but that's a film for but some But it's reason. awesome though. And- 
you, you're probably never going to feel like you, like you personally, you're always harder on yourself than you are on others. But right. having seen it, dude, the sequence is really cool. I love the flats part of it. Yeah. And we'll toss that it's out. If somebody so wants to make a flats mains fishing movie, they should do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely a great, uh, great sequence. So I'm kind of on that note. What was, um, what was one of the crazier moments during the filming of this? Um, that's good. This actually leads into, so then we were going to kind of finish the film with that. You know, we had some, like, you're still a pandemic going on. And mm -hmm. we were like, we didn't have necessarily all the funding we needed partially due to the pandemic. But, um, mm -hmm. Paul Dixon, who's kind of a legendary guy in Montauk, um, heard about the film. We had contacted him and he was like, you can't make a film about striped bass if you don't come to Montauk in the fall. Like it's just non-existent. And we were like, okay. And, you know, he's a pretty legit um, guy and kind of one of those guys that started it there. Um, so we made it happen. And that was one of those experiences where we were like, okay, he was he was like, come October 15th. I've got a few days for you. I'm like, are the fish going to be blitzing then? Is it going to be good? And he's like, come those dates. And we're like, okay. <laughs> and we showed up and it was like a week before, you know, I was checking the weather. Fish weren't blitzing. It wasn't. And you saw in the film and some of those drone shots, I mean – it's fish blitzing as far as you can see. Um, <laughs> and it's so funny because in retrospect, that's such a big part of the film that like, I can't even believe that we were going to actually make the film without going to Montauk. Um, yeah. So that was one of those like moments of, like, aha, okay, this is what it's like. And it was yeah. a big moment on the conservation side that like, okay, this looks amazing. There's so many fish here, but like, that's what it used to be like everywhere. Like that's what Jamie was talking about. It used to happen in Martha's Vineyard. That's what used to happen in Maine. And now it's like, it happens for like a week maybe here and a week here, but it used to be 150 miles up the coast blitzing fish. And we're not talking like back in the day, 1920. We're talking like 1996, 2002, 2006, right. like not that long ago. I, I think that's what's so powerful about the way you guys told this story. And that in particular hit me really hard because when you watch this footage and – this won't give anything away in the movie for, for people listening, but when you watch this footage, it is crazy because these are groups of fish the size of a city block that are on the surface busting bait, and you are you watch it and you think, oh my god, this is absolutely crazy. How could there be a problem with this fishery? And then you know they go on to explain that it you know it's like this now in these isolated pockets, which is still amazing and it's cool to see it's amazing that you guys captured that but to think that it was like that for a 150 mile stretch everywhere is mind-blowing and is it you know when pe when people see it they'll understand because it it truly is crazy footage to see to see it's it's wild it's like jurassic park style filming the just the sheer numbers of these fish and to think that it was like that on that big of a stretch it, it really makes you think like holy moly mm -hmm. yes and to add to that last year and this year was the first time it's happened like that in montauk in seven years like wow. the captains were telling me if we were there four years ago we wouldn't have seen that we would have gone with kind of the mm -hmm. footage we had on previous trips so like again those little moments kind of hit you where you're like wow, this is serious. This guy's been here for 30 years guiding. He's saying we're hitting it all time in this. You know, to me, when you show up and you film stuff and people are like, it's never like this, you're like, well, it seems like it is. Um, yeah, 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 totally. But those, <laughs> totally. But those <laughs> things hit hard, I think. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I know. It's interesting you say you almost didn't make it to, you know, you almost didn't go to Montauk. I mean, this film is, is a huge film for the East Coast. Why do you think there hasn't been more attention to this fishery in the past? I don't know. That's a good question because, like, to me, I grew up in New England. That's where I learned how to fly fish. My dad, my uncles were into it, my cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems like it has such a rich fly fishing culture, but maybe it's because, like, that's kind of where it started and now everybody's like, go west or go to all these far-flung, especially all these far-flung places. But I think it's going to come back. I mean, what I experienced there is the fishing community is strong and they maybe don't get the publicity they want or talk about it as much, but like it's there. They're there. They're fishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it should. The best kept secret. Yeah, it's the best kept secret. And the other thing, again, we keep talking about, it's accessible. You can live in Boston. Like yes. there's, there's footage of these guys fishing in um, like New York Harbor. Bay, there, there was a blitz yeah. going on there this year. Like that's insane. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. Man. I mean, they super, run up the Hudson, cool. right? I mean, so I mean, I, I remember reading like Flyfish Journal articles when I was much younger, and it there was this cult, like cult-like steelheady cult, per, you know, um, thing about stripers, and you know, haven't yeah. had. We're we're from Toronto. We're up in Canada. We haven't yeah. made it out that far east, um, even though uh, Joe Cugino's been bugging us to come down. Um, but um, yeah, I know we really should yeah. because you should take first of all, amazing fish. Oh yeah, yeah no, definitely. we definitely will. Oh, we Stripers definitely will. are. I don't know. Have you guys ever read the book uh, on the run? It was like a book about striped bass fishing, and I read it when I was a kid, and I was like, "Holy shit, striped bass are like the coolest migratory fish!" <laughs> like, yeah, we definitely got to make it down there because it's just, to your point. You know, you can catch them like outside New York and stuff. It's crazy, absolutely insane. But we're checking that book out. You should check it out. Oh, it, yeah, it, you should. Yeah, and Joe has a boat. Joe actually, Joe's boat in, um, sorry, I, I just lost you guys here for a second. I pressed the wrong. <laughs> no worries. Uh, we still got you. We still got you. <laughs> you, you you're still with okay. us. You're good. Okay. Um, Joe's boat makes an appearance in there. He and Rex went out for oh, one yeah? day, got some um, drone stuff for us. Yeah, Joe was actually supposed to join us for some of the production, but I had some um, family stuff he had to. Yeah. Yeah, that on the good call, Mitch. Like that, the um, on the run yeah. is a is a fantastic book about the about the striper fishery. Yeah, that's when I first heard about him. But totally yeah, is it? Then there's fish. another book, Peter Kaminsky. What did he write, Matt? Do you remember the Moon Book? What's <laughs> <laughs> The Moon Book about striper bass. That moon raised up an acre of bass. The moon, the moon rose up an acre of bass. Have you heard of that? Okay, book? yeah. Um, it's a great book. We were actually going to do this whole thing with like his poetry in the book, in the film, and then it just didn't work. Um, but it's a great book and we interviewed that author and it's like, it's called the moon brought up an acre of bass. And it's about the like early nineties and stuff where like they would go out fishing and it would just look like the entire, like from the boat to the horizon was just bubbling with fish. What a great title for a book. Yeah, Yeah. I love that name. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Okay, so um, Chris, we got five more uh, questions here that are kind of just generally more fly fishing questions. Okay, um, perfect. So we're gonna ask you now. Um, okay, this first one is: if you had to pick a favorite fish, what would you pick? What would it be? Is it striped bass? <laughs> oh, wow. Do you know what? I, I'm mostly a trout fisherman, to be honest. I, I mean, I live out in Jackson, Wyoming, and Rocky Mountain West guy, but. Um, Mm-hmm. The last few years, I've been getting into the ocean fish, and I would say I could go striped bass. Striped bass or marlin are the two that I've kind of like had some really good times with recently. Um, nice. 
And but I've never caught I've never caught like a Canadian bull trout, which I would like to do, like a BC Canadian bull yeah. trout. Yeah. Yeah. So I will say straight bass. Do you know why? Because I actually normally never happens. One day we were filming um and the talent didn't show up and I got to be the talent and actually catch like fifteen bass and it was awesome. And there's That's a awesome. shot or two of it in the film. But you can't tell who I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll go with striped bass for right now for ocean fish for, you know, river fish. I'm going to just have to go with my, um, you know, rainbow trout. Love it. Yeah. Great. Great answer. Absolutely. Um, well maybe you kind of, you kind of sort of answered it already, but, um, uh, if you could like, let's just pretend we live in a world where, uh, COVID doesn't exist and, it's the best time of year to fish for this particular fish. Where would you go? If you could go anywhere right now to fish for anything, where would you go and why? Um, do you, it's such a hard question because you got to decide. Oh, I know. But I think something that I've been thinking about that's intrigued me is like Turger River Taman in Far East Russia. And I know there's a piece in the Fly Fest about it. <laughs> But I've been thinking about that for a couple of years, and I've actually like been to Russia once or twice. And I think it's kind of a crazy culture that I would like love to go there because then it's a trout fish, totally. so I know what I'm doing. And but it's <laughs> monstrous. I I, sh- I share the sentiment on that one. I think it'd be so cool there to see that. We just talked with those guys. Fun. Yeah, I'm excited to see their footage. Fun, fun group of dudes. It's pretty Another wild. amazing movie. I mean, this year's lineup is stacked, but yeah, it looks like an amazing fishery. And just like you said, the the sheer size of these fish, they're incredible. That's cool. I'll go with you. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, okay, number, so number two three would is... be, wait, can I say number two fish? Oh, please. Oh, 100%. Of course. Of course. Please. I would go Golden Dorado, Bolivia. Boom. Oh, yeah. That's a great answer. <laughs> great answer. I'm with you on that one. Okay. Jesus. Yeah. If you guys awesome. get a trip, just let me know. Yeah, we'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. Either of those locations are really easy to get to, really logistically simple. Yeah, it's not, especially right now. Hop, yeah. hop skip, and a jump, you know? Yeah. Especially yeah. from here. Just bike, you know? <laughs> um. So this number number three question is, uh, if you have a favorite memory from the film, what is it? Like a favorite kind of behind-the-scenes uh, moment uh, that stands out. Is there one that comes to mind? Uh. Yeah, I think it would be um, – there's that drone shot in the movie in Newport where we get the bass eating and all that. It's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was because literally that was our first like kind of filming the film. We were there for five, six days. We were literally in the fog every day. I was puking off the boat at least four times a day. Um <laughs> That would be and, it, and it just kind of, and we didn't fly the drone at all, and we wanted to get like those shots, and we had like I'm like okay, how many shots can we get of a bass in fog hitting the popper? Like we've done that, we've crushed yeah. it. Um, yeah. And that moment happened, and it was like it was pure joy. Like and literally, it was like Matt to back this up. It was like 20 minutes with the fog lifted. We got the shot, and then we were like getting ready to like let's get some more, and it was like the fog came back in, and it was like and then we just stopped. You know, we had like. 15 minutes, yeah, yeah. we were like, okay, let's cheers. Let's drink our beers that we have and, like, eat lunch. And, like, <laughs> we got it. We're excited. Um, yeah. And then we dropped a battery in the water after that. But that was okay because we didn't care. Because <laughs> at that point, we, we got the show we needed. Uh, but that stuck out, you know, because I was like, okay, we got it. It was like, it was just, 
Yeah. It was a lot of work went into getting that one shot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Those, those, those moments can be, you know, hard work and tense, but definitely yeah. very cathartic when they, uh, when it all comes together. And my um, season just went away immediately after that. As soon as you come back. That's funny how that like, works. Hey, eh? you're like, I'm good. you know what? As soon as you, know you open what? the beer. You know yeah. what? Give me that meatball sandwich. I'll eat it right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was one of those moments. Yeah. Um, number four is a little more existential, but, um, uh, Chris, why do you fly fish? Why, why fly fish at all? What do you get out of it? Um, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I just enjoy that kind of being out there, kind of soulless, just kind of like, it's not you versus the fish, but it's you trying to kind of figure out the fish. I think it makes you like really think about the ecosystem and how interconnected everything is without getting too esoteric because you are, you're trying to be like, what is this fish eating? When is he going to be eating? What's around the environment? Um, you know, we joke, like we've done so many other sports films and all that. And we didn't really start doing fly fishing until like 2015. And I joke, I was like, that was the one thing that I hadn't ruined by filming yet. And now I just kind of <laughs> like crossed the gap. But I also felt like we were like fishing and doing stuff and we we're like, Hey man, we could do this. We could like make some cool fishing films. Like I, there's some great content out there, right. but like we can add to it. You know, I've been fly fishing my whole life, but yeah, you know, just the experience of being out there trying to figure it out. It's like, it just, it's like um, a thinking man's outdoor sport in some way. Like you still got to like think about it. You got to learn some insects. You got to like, you know, understand the ecosystem a little bit. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. No, that's a great answer. Unless you have a guy on um, trip all the time, which I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Neither do we. Yeah. yeah think about anything. <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay. So this last question is, um, if you were a fly pattern, what would you be? What fly best represents you? Oh, wow. I don't even know how I'd answer that one. <laughs> you got, you got to give somebody that question beforehand so they can think about it. So <laughs> think like about testing, it. Yeah. The, whole, your, the whole point yeah. is to not tell you beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> what kind of, what kind of fly pattern would I be? Or would I want to be? How about what I want to be? And, yeah, and kind of embodies me. I would say a Chernobyl ant, you know, kind of like tough, kind of all around. Like, love it. See you out there. Utilitarian pattern. E- even though I haven't met you, I mean, like, that makes sense. I, yeah. That makes sense. I can be. I love it. Kind of look like a Chernobyl ant. Yeah. I love it. People have called me a honey badger before, so it's kind of along that lines. They're kind of like hard to kill. They can kind of like, you know, you can have a Chernobyl with one wing, but it's still going to catch a fish. <laughs> float totally. you're just always floating yeah, floating yeah, yeah 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 exactly you're yeah. always floating you can't sink unsinkable yeah yeah foam yeah. Yeah. yeah foam chernobyl for sure <laughs> yeah. yeah you know like people are tying these like non-foam yarn patterns here of chernobyls and they just like it's not the same they're like calling them like a chernobyl or a merger or something I'm like fish don't eat that shit that's a no. dead <laughs> ant that's what that is yeah foam yeah i love it um great answer awesome cool well, hey, Chris, thanks, man. On behalf of all great. of us. Yeah, on behalf yeah. of all of us, thank you for coming out. This was fun to get to chat for a little bit. I know people are excited about Hardline. We're excited about Hardline. It's sure. You guys did such an awesome job with the film. It's sweet. We're excited for people to see it. We can't wait for it to drop March 10th. It can't awesome. come soon enough. Yeah, we're <laughs> excited too. And if you live on the East Coast and – you like striped bass or interested, you know, get involved. There's a lot of public comments coming up and now is kind of the time to just make sure that they set a good management plan for the fisheries. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll be 
we'll be staying posted on what happens with that and everybody who watches same get involved if you care about it get involved right on 100 awesome Thanks, Thanks, Chris. Chris. Down, all right take care guys just like mac directed and produced by ben meadows this is ben and tommy well yeah thank you guys so much for joining us we we really appreciate it uh we're happy to have you here we love the film and and like i said before i know people are really excited to hear a bit more so um why don't we start by just having each of you guys briefly tell us a little bit about who you are go ahead tommy all right um so i grew up in uh, st petersburg florida um I've been fishing all my life. Um, didn't really start fly fishing a lot until um, you know, 11 or 12. That's when, when Mac gave me a fly rod and uh, you know, kind of started teaching me. So I you know, started there and it's kind of had to be self-taught. Um, you know, he kind of gave me the, the groundwork and then from there it was just uh, kind of doing it on my own. Um, went to Florida State for college and um, always I, I always schedule myself on pretty minimal days off so um or sorry maximal days off of class so we used to fish <laughs> three or four days a week always a good thing yeah that's uh and that's when i really started getting into fly fishing um one summer uh when i was in school i went up to alaska and did the whole alaska deal up in lake clark national park and um really got into the fly fishing at that point as well and uh and just obviously kind of continued to carry through. Um, moved up to Tennessee from when I was 22 to 28. That's where I met Ben. Um, kind of a uh, pretty crazy story. My mom had a rental house and Ben uh, was touring it to move in with his wife. And um, he said something about liking fly fishing. She's like, oh, you're going to want to meet my son. And uh, <laughs> uh, that's how me and Ben. Well, like, if you remember, Tommy. She was like, she was like, yeah, my son likes a special type of fly fishing. He likes saltwater fly fishing. And I was like, uh, well, that's weird because I do too. And your mom just thought it was like this match made in heaven. She's like, well, he's very serious about tarpon. I was like, well, I'd love to get serious about tarpon. Like, do you have his number? <laughs> Can we be friends? <laughs> so, yeah. That's awesome. That was a, it was a pretty wild story that, you know, being up in Tennessee to find somebody that, uh, you know, traveled around the, the world to fly fish and you know which Ben did and something that I'd always wanted to do I'd never been international at that point so kind of and you know him wanting to do the, the tarpon thing you know he'd always just waited the beaches for ladyfish down in the panhandle so when uh I came on I was like well I can I can take you tarpon fishing and well I can take you international I was like all right this is gonna work out great um Ben Meadows all about the ladies that's right Look, man, I am a trash fisherman at heart. That's why uh, <laughs> no, I can't remember my words because I have nothing cool to say. <laughs> uh, that's not trash fishing. We caught lady fish down in the Keys this last weekend. That oh, nice. So, Ben, what about you? Just give us yeah. a little bit about uh, about your bio. Yeah, so so I grew up in Alabama. Um, was uh, The first time I saw someone fly fish was – in the middle of this like pond in Tennessee. I was up there on vacation camping and this dude beat the hell out of me, like caught so many fish. I was probably 10 at the time and I was spin fishing and I was serious about fishing back then. 
And I was just like, man, whatever he's doing is right. And I want to figure out what that is. And, um, yeah, through, through a kind gift of somebody in my church, they were like, Hey, do you want this fly rod to go practice in your front yard? And from that point on, I just was hooked and practiced and worked my way up from, uh, rods on eBay to, uh, rods, um, from a shop. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and yeah, I mean, at every part of it have, have kind of been a hack. Um, I think the only thing that I can lay claim to is when I was 18, I conned my buddy into going uh, on an international fishing trip because I was just like, look, flights are $200. We can pull this off. I think we can do it. And um, we're now in, in year 13 of doing that. And so every year we kind of sketch out a, uh, a budget, which is always embarrassing, um, and then kind of see where we, where, where we can go with it. And so we've, we've, you know, caught bonefish, tarpon, um, sailfish, tuna, all these things. Um, and so, um, I love the sport. I I love, um, just kind of the, the, the fun intensity that fly fishing gives us and also kind of the peace of mind of, 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 of actually going and doing it. So, um, yeah. Um, that's awesome. And and correct me if I'm wrong, you hold your PhD. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm a PhD economist. I try not to like use that as like a, as a big sticking point, but, um, it actually was motivated a lot by, um, fly fishing in the fact that I looked around at rivers and streams and and lakes and oceans and on how we manage fisheries, um, and, and was an environmental science, um, uh, and, and guy in, in college and wanted to, to see the economic angle on it. So um, ended up working with a professor uh, in my PhD on invasive species. He had done a lot of work in endanger, endangered species. Um, and so um, there's just a lot of cool overlap there. I'm actually teaching an environmental economics class as we speak um, this week. And yeah, it's, it's kind of fun to, to cool. merge my passion for the outdoors with uh, some of, some of the, um, economic tools I've gotten along the way. That's awesome, dude. So this is your first film in the F3T, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what I think everyone wants to know is how many different versions did it have to go through before you had it dialed uh, <laughs> to be in? It's an embarrassing number. I, I, I don't have a hard number, but I can tell you that there were at least 15 different, um, versions in Final Cut Pro, there have got to be over 20 to 30 exports that I can find in Google Drive. Um, but I've kind of been deleting those because <laughs> with either, with every iteration, uh, there was always a cooler part of the story we were, we were pulling. And so, um, yeah, it, it's been through a lot of transitions. When, when Tommy and I first spoke about this, it actually was a three minute short. It was just called Max Tarpon. Um, and it's actually the ending sequence of the film right now um, because it's just this really incredible sequence where Tommy tells like how he got into tarpon fishing, what it means to him and, and like what it, what it, where he's like sees it going. Um, and then Tommy, was it like in August that you called me and you were like, Hey, let's add another fish on top. And, and really there's, there's something cool. Like we should do like an entire encyclopedia of all the fish that Mac and Tommy caught together, but we had to keep it like fairly condensed. Um, yeah, we had to think, yeah, that's so. told the story the best. That's kind of where the, the brim fell in. So yeah. 
and it was kind of a, a funny fish to choose because if anybody makes a, a film about brim. Um, but, uh, you know, looking back on them, <laughs> I don't know that there's a fish other than tarpon that kind of um, ha has as much to do with our relationship and, you know, what uh, he taught me as Brim did. So it was kind of kind of a funny choice there. I think it was like an honest choice. I mean, we all grow up, you know, well, at least Mitch, where Mitch and I grew up, you know, we was a warm water fishery and we learned to fly fish on panfish. Mm -hmm. So I think that might resonate to a lot of people and, and, it's like kind of an interesting journey, right? You start in a certain, you start at a certain point, and and you never stop learning. Yeah, and you grow, which you is, expand. you grow and you expand, which is, you know, kind of the theme of the film, or at least that's what that's that's how I read it anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, we all learn from someone. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ben, you've got a PhD, and you're a filmmaker for um, Fly Fishing Film Tour. Like, which which came first? Was it the academic life or the filmmaking life? Uh, Academic life. I, I, the reason I was in Tennessee and I met Tommy uh, was because I got my PhD at the uh, University of Tennessee. So started there. Um, realistically, Tommy put the bug in my ear about doing a Mac film. Did you, Tommy, do you remember this? This was three years ago, four years ago. We were going to go to, to Louisiana Marsh and catch redfish. And then one of the nastiest cold fronts they've had in recent memory came through. Uh, or was it a hurricane? That's literally the luck we have fishing together. So the more that Tommy fishes without me, the better life is. Because like I always bring a cold front, a hurricane, whatever. Uh, but anyways, we were gonna we we were gonna try to scope this this idea out. Um, and and anyways, when while I was in Knoxville, uh, Tommy introduced me to his good friend Ben Fields, who is this really incredible filmmaker. Um, and and basically Ben just shared everything he knew and so i would do phd during the day and then you know try to be a good husband <laughs> during dinner time and my wife was an elementary school teacher so she would go to bed early and then i'd go over to uh, ben's house and he would show me the ropes on on final cut pro because we had just come back from um one of those international trips and so he was like showing me how to put down, put a story together um all the kind of ins and outs and and literally the dude has been and i don't know that the, the bigger arc right is that you know this film shows how important like max sacrifice has been for tommy but like behind the scenes that mm -hmm. nobody will ever see but y'all get to see is that like ben fields like just sacrificed a ton of time and that's the only reason i was able to even have you know all these iterations that we were just talking about um and so it's been it's been really cool that it was yeah academic first led me to knoxville uh got linked up with tommy and then ben um and yeah just super super grateful as we're talking about sacrifice too, I just got to give a shout out to Ben real quick because uh, how old's your baby now, Ben? Uh, he's nine months. Yeah. So not only he's sleeping through the night. Like that's all I care about. He's sleeping through the night. <laughs> so Ben was learning to make films, nice. you know, back before this. But when he actually put the Mac film together, um, not only was he doing the PhD thing, teaching, you know, full time job full-time dad, full-time husband, and somehow still managed to find time to, to squeeze in some filmmaking and, and create an incredible and, film. Well, yeah, and not just filmmaking. You put together an incredible film. That's superhuman status, especially with a with a newborn super dad. <laughs> uh, the, man, the manic creativity energy. Yeah, I mean that. <laughs> I mean, also, you know, he, the little dude was getting up at 1 a.m. Like, what else are you going to do? So, I could, yeah. you know. <laughs> rock him to sleep with one arm and run through cuts with the left. Um, that sounds really weird now saying it, but at the time it felt like a good use of time. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, this is a question for maybe both of you because it sounds like, you know, not only do you have, um, you know, kind of a community between you and your family or whatever, but uh, what about like this group of friends or, or just meeting in general um, helped spark the creativity to like put a project like this together despite having a new kid, despite having other, you know. Um, so so um, I'll take the lead on this one. And Tommy, you clean up where I missed uh, a fall off. Um, so. My buddy George and I, that was where the, the whole international fly fishing thing started. He and I, like we did one trip for 600 bucks, no lie. Now we also got stranded on a Bahamian Island because our boat ran out of gas, but you pay for what you get. <laughs> um, but, but like we started doing those trips and one of my buddies from college, his name's Kai, he started coming along because he just liked the camaraderie. Um, he can like in a, a separate film uh, when we were in uh, the west coast of Columbia. He confesses online. He's like, "Yeah, I'm not even a great fly fisherman. I just love it for the camaraderie." And he really like that's what he brings to the table. He's one of the funniest guys I've ever met. He's absolutely ridiculous. Um, we were actually as a as a group in Louisiana fishing in, in November, and there's a sequence of photos I took where he freaked out about a six inch redfish that he caught, and was like literally like flexing in front of the camera. I mean, it's just he's a riot as a human being. Um, was that? It's good energy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The, the day that we get a, a high film in the F3T will be will be a, another story. <laughs> but um, anyways, uh, we added another guy who uh, we had grown up with. Um, his name's Dan. And so there was like this kind of this posse that had formed. And and again, we we were going on these recurring trip recurring trips. Ended up landing in Knoxville in. Um, Again, going back to that weird landlord story, you know, was talking to Miss Carolyn and was like, you know, she's like, yeah, my son loves to fly fish. And so we went to a brewery together and and Tommy was like telling me all these things. I was like, yeah, we just got back from Columbia. Uh, we went down there and fished with some commercial guys. It was crazy. Like, you know, they thought we were idiots for using fly rods, but it was a lot of fun. And Tommy like smacked us for it. He's like, oh, how did I miss out on that one? I was like, well, we'll get the next one. And so, um, sure enough, the, the next year, Tommy went with us uh, to Belize, where we, we did three different locations across Belize, um, just kind of, again, bootstrapping, DIY kind of stuff. Um, and so from there, we kind of just had this, this fun little group that um, uh, goes on these trips together. Um, you know, last year we got COVIDed out, but we were able to do kind of two uh, consolation trips. One was to uh, an area in, in the Panhandle and did some red fishing, um, and then the other one was to kind of the heart of red fishing um, over in, in, in the deep of Louisiana. Um, and yeah, we just always have a good time. Um, lots of cutting up, uh, a lots of lack of seriousness when it comes to the actual <laughs> fishing. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean. I, I could tell you a million stories. I think my favorite one was when Tommy was in Belize, we were trying to coach our buddy Dan into his first bonefish. And he's he's used to bass fishing. And so we put him on like eight pound tippet so that, you know, you, you could like give the, the bonefish a little bit of muscle, but like not too much. And the dude broke off nine. And we were just like, maybe it's just not in the cards for you to catch a bonefish on this trip. And so literally it took Tommy like holding him and like, Dan, stop strip setting like you're trying to hit a tarpon. Just gentle twitch and then let the bonefish run. And so it was this hilarious moment where it took four people to land a bonefish. But again, like I think that's just kind of the culture of you know the, the friend group we have of just like it takes a village. <laughs> it's a good group. That's that's the key, you know, having having good people around you. 
Um, okay, so we've got five more questions, but these are kind of like quick hitting questions, so don't think too much about them. Um, sort of just meant to, you know, get like a top, the first thing that comes to mind, I guess. Um, so the first question, and maybe we'll start with Ben, and then we'll go Tommy, is uh, what is your favorite fish and why? If you had to pick a favorite fish, what would it be? I'll, I'll, I'll give some variety because we already know Tommy's answer. Um, I'll, I'll go bonefish because I love, uh, it's, to me, it's catch and release hunting. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, definitely tarpon. Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys have done much tarpon fishing, but um, you know, just the, uh, the the sight fishing aspects. You know, a, a hundred pound fish and four to five feet of water. Um, you know, like I've I've jumped out of airplanes. I've bungee jumped. I've you know done a bunch of hunting. I've done. I used to zip line for a living. Um, so yeah, I've done a lot of like high adrenaline activities. Um, but there's nothing that gives me a bigger adrenaline rush than when I see a tarpon swimming down the bar that I'm about to cast to like my knees shake for the next 20 mm. minutes. Um, <laughs> it's pretty insane that, you know, that a fish like that gives you like, that's what gives me the, the biggest adrenaline rush in life. So, um, you know, and then just the, the whole process of, of hooking one, of you know, casting happened to, you know, really actually play the fish where you're, you, you have to intersect that fly right in front of the fish's face. It's not going to, you know, veer too far off of, uh, its path to go eat a fly. So, you know, you, you got so much involved and you're watching the whole thing happen. And then when you finally just watch this tarpon come up and this bucket mouth, just open up and grab your fly. Like, I mean, just the, the whole process part of it is, is unbelievable. And then it's obviously just absolute mayhem of, you know, watching this, this fish come out of the water. Um, and clear in line, trying not to get it wrapped around everything and cause it will. And, and so, you know, just, it goes from, um, you know, finesse and, you know, skill to the just absolute chaos. And then it's just a, a battle of, of who's going to give up first. Um, and it's usually the angler, <laughs> um, you know, it's a, a pretty amazing to fight a fish that has that much heart. Um, and that, you know, just, that can actually beat an angler. Um, so I don't know, there's just so many, uh, so many aspects to it that are that are challenging and and chaotic and um, just going back to you know fish getting jumping out of the water. I just can't get enough of it. <laughs> nice, dope answers. Okay, number two, if you could fish anywhere in the world, given that it's like the best time to go, like that's in season, and <laughs> and also given that COVID isn't a thing, where would you go? Uh, Tommy, you go first. I'm actually going to need a second on this one. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a deep question too. If I go with the kind of first thing that pops into my mind, um, it'd probably be Cuba. Um, especially too. I know they have a seat where they get okay. some bigger fish, bigger tarpon down there, but, um, picking back on Ben's favorite fish. I also secondly really love bone fishing. So Cuba has, you know, some super solid bone fish opportunity for permit, which mm -hmm. I have a love hate relationship with. Um, and then tarpon <laughs> and just the culture of Cuba too. That's one thing that's been cool about going on these trips with Ben. And, you know, since they were, they had been on 10 trips before I went on one with them is how much they hit on the culture of where they're going. Um, you know, cause that's something, A, if you get bad weather, the fishing's hit or miss, you go have a real cool cultural experience that can kind of save the trips. Uh, so Cuba is just a place that has such incredible culture. Um, I'd, I'd love to go see it from that standpoint and then to just be able to, to, to fish on those Cuban flats and have opportunities at big tarpon, bonefish, and permit. 
Yeah, I'm going to be a broken record here and um, repeat what Tommy said. So I have <laughs> lucked out and got to do Cuba before. And um, yeah, and so it, it's, uh, yeah, I, I'd go there in a drop of the hat. How about that? <laughs> probably probably in the North Coast, uh, picking up that, that other tarpon migration um, that, that hits Florida. Um, and then, I mean, I've told Tommy this story before, but I've thrown a weighted clouser before and hit a bonefish in the back and it spun around and ate. Um, because apparently in Cuba, food falls from the sky and bonefish eat. I just, <laughs> you can be such a bad flying lawyer. I was just, uh, anyways. And then they're big fish. Like they're, well, excuse me. I'm used to like kind of Yucatan small bonefish. So seeing a five pound fish turn, grab it, and then take off to Florida is amazing. And then, and then there's the other side. Like I just enjoyed. Uh, talking with the Cuban guides, talking with the, the Cuban folks. Um, and then we, we actually drove kind of the length of Cuba um, to get to where we, we were. And um, yeah, it was an incredible trip. So yeah, what what he said. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, number three is uh, Ben. Um, what is one favorite memory from making this film without giving anything away? One like standout memory. Um. Yeah, it's probably the all. It's it's what Tommy was hitting on. It's it's the absurdity of doing this with my first like newborn child in the middle of COVID right. and all those other things. Um, so probably it would be getting in the. So um, my my son's name is Barrett. He woke up at like one a.m. because it was back when he wasn't sleeping through the night. So he was two months old, three months old, and my wife very kindly was like, "Hey, yeah, it's okay. You can go fish for one night, tarpon fishing this year." And so I like was going to maximize the hell out of that. And so um, when he woke up at 1 a.m., I got in the car and started driving. Um, and so in the end, I was able, I did not get there at sunrise, but I was able to like get on the boat before like peak season. And um, I got to feed a pretty good fish and, and we got a boat side. And so um, that's my that's my like um, um, party favor from this thing. But it's also a very cool memory, one that my wife was kind enough to let me to go um to that that these guys were gracious enough to let me kind of like come crash their party um and then three actually i then like getting to see one of these fish eat it you understand why tommy is hardwired to love these fish so much because when i had a fish come and eat i thought it was a 40 pound fish and then when i stuck it it came out of the water and i was like that fish is bigger than me like mm -hmm. um, it's wild it really is a wild thing love it tommy how about you uh favorite memory from uh, from the film, making the film. Oh, um, they obviously. Uh, so when we were shooting the footage, we didn't know that we were necessarily making this film um, per se. So you know, a lot of the. I mean, this year it was it was cool to like I've been fishing tarpon with Ben and George for like three years now, um, and you know both of them are are good anglers, but um, going back to like you know, feeding migratory tarpon is something that's not, you know, like in many other types of fly fishing that you do. Um, and so Ben and George have, have caught, you know, caught some fish in the past or jumped some fish in the past. And, you know, they're, you know, not, not really putting enough pressure on the fish. So we like haven't landed any, um, you know, a lot of them were, um, you know, they had a lot of fish go by the boat that they could have caught and didn't. So this year was cool to like as we're making or you know, as we're down there fishing to like you know first day George comes out and catches two tarpon and then like Ben said the next day he drives up hops on the boat and 
you know, catches a 120 pound fish like two hours later. Um, so, you know, oh my God. Yeah, when you go back to the film and like you, you, know, you see that, um, you know, passing down part and like how, you know, going back to max sacrifice, that was the, that was the thing that, um, you know, I knew what was going on when I was younger and I was screwing up and, you know, Mac to, uh, um, was, uh, not a very tolerant person. He was, you know, very just strict, serious. And so, you know, when, when you go out there and he could tell that you hadn't practiced as much as you needed to practice and you were you know, doing things like that, like it, it really pissed him off to sit there and, you know, watch fish go by the boat that he could have caught. Um, all right. So all that to say, it was really cool this year to watch, you know, finally these guys be able to come out there and be successful at presenting the fly to tarpon and getting hooked up to them and actually putting enough pressure on them to, to wear them out where actually, you know, being able to you know, get them boat side and uh, get face grabs this year. So, um, you know, it was, it was really cool to see and now put it into film. Like, you know, I know we didn't, we didn't hit too hard on that, that, you know, this had been a, a learning process for them as well but um you know yeah you definitely see that um, usually a learning process it's a failing process for me and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't get that's how you get better by failing but anyways i'll just say like my i think my favorite part is like you know mac passed this on to me i got good at it and then now i was able not only to pass it on to somebody else but actually like you know do what mac did for me and, and make them successful at it um you know so, so awesome fly fish for tarp nice yeah super difficult so it's pretty awesome to watch them succeed it's a great answer um this is more of an existential question but in one word um one or two or three words <laughs> why do you fly fish why do you fly fish at all ben um peace or refreshment I like that i like that Tommy? Oh, I'm going to say mine's like almost opposite um, <laughs> for the um, difficultness and intensity. And that's, I guess, pertaining mostly to sight, sight fly fish. Love it. Oh, and, and to be fair, like Tommy's seen me cuss up a storm. Like, I'm just saying I'm peaceful <laughs> afterwards. Maybe not during yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I am notorious for throwing my hat and saying very, very bad things. So yeah, don't, yeah. I don't want to be a liar here, but I do get peace when we I all, drop we home. All. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's cathartic, right? You swear, and then you yeah, yeah. I miss the fish, throw the hat, scream a couple f words, and then then feel better about life. Yeah, exactly. Rinse, repeat. Um, Okay, one one last question, and um, all we need is the name for this one. If you guys were a fly, if each of you was a fly pattern, what would you be? What fly (laughs) pattern best represents you? Maybe we'll start with Tommy on this one. (laughs) <laughs> um what fly pattern best represents me um probably my probably just the the black death tarpon buddy that i that i tie and mainly because i i just strap on some zonker on the back and then hackle some zonker for the head it takes me about 45 seconds uh to do but it kind of goes back to that simplicity but yet functionality like i'm not you know all these intricate consistent people use like in my opinion, that's for the angler, not for the fish. Um, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. so I, I just like the, just, I, I'm, I have a short attention span when it comes to sitting down. I'm like bull in the china shop, not intricate, delicate person. So when it comes to fly tying, I kind of <laughs> have to tie very simple, uh, ugly patterns. Um, so, um, 
that just that flies just just me. It's it's uh it's, it's effective, but uh you know gets the job done, but uh, doesn't take a lot of time. It's not pretty. Nice. Ben, what fly would you be? So I'm that unnamed fly at the bottom right corner of your box, and you're like, why the hell did I even tie that? That's probably <laughs> never going to work, but on a desperate day, it may work. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fly. <laughs> because, because I'll be honest, at, at every inch of the thing, like, I, I feel like a hack. When it comes to fly fishing, like, I remember being that 10-year-old kid who was using you know, a secondhand fly rod that I broke it two times and super glued the tip back together. Um, you know, every time I go, you know, travel internationally, I'm like, ah, you know, I don't have the coolest bags and the coolest things. Like Tommy's seen what I travel with. I'm an embarrassment. Um, so I am like that embarrassing fly at the bottom right hand of your, your box. But I don't know, maybe someday, some days it works, some days it doesn't. But uh, if I'm being accurate. So self-deprecating. <laughs> That's love a great it, answer. It's it. a great answer. Guys, thank you both so much for coming on and chatting. It's been really, really uh, fun getting to know you, and, and um, your film's amazing, so uh, we know everybody's going to enjoy it. So thanks so much again he, for chatting. He, yeah, thanks, and congrats, guys. Really good work. Really good work. Yeah, thank you very thanks much. for the time, guys. River Tigers, directed by Andy Masser and Adam Bagger. This is Andy and Adam. Yeah, so to get us started... Would you guys please each just tell us your names, a little bit about yourself, and uh, kind of your role with River Tigers? Andy, you want to start? Uh, my name's Andy Mazur. I am a director and cinematographer of documentaries and commercials and branded things that fall in between those things. Um, and I co-directed and shot River Tigers. Nice. Awesome. And my name is Adam Bagger. I live in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I own a production company called Yonder. Um, our bread and butter is, is advertising and branded content, but we also do passion projects. And uh, River Tigers is certainly one of those. So uh, awesome. I'm also an avid, avid fly fisherman. So born with a fly rod in my hand, just like our uh, protagonist in the film, Guido Rar. Awesome. Very good. Uh, well, we're so happy to have you guys. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. To kick things off, uh, you know, obviously people haven't seen this film yet, but it is an unbelievable story about conserving an amazing ecosystem that touts some of the world's largest time in. How did you guys first hear about it, like this area, this story, and how long did it take the project to come together from start to finish? <laughs> I can answer um, the second part I of that was first. <laughs> Oh yeah, I can take the first part. So I, right. I've, I've been working in the conservation film world for, you know, a decade or something. Um, and so I, I've done, I've done lots of river, lots of projects about rivers and salmon and that, those sorts of things. Um, and so I already had a relationship with Wild Salmon Center and Guido and Oakley who work for Wild Salmon Center. Um, mm. And so this has just been something that's kind of been brewing. I shot a, an IMAX film um, in the Great Bear Rainforest of British Columbia, and that was sort of the oh. catalyst to wow. start this conversation. Um, and so I got back from shooting that. They said, hey, you're in Great Bear. Cool. Salmon. Uh, there's this crazy salmon project. Do you want to talk about this project? And so it just sort of snowballed, and then I reached out to Adam because this was something that I couldn't pull off on my own. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we've always wanted to work together, and so this was the first, you know, perfect, perfect, perfect opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. You guys are like the dream team for a project like this. Yeah, it was it was surreal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't yeah, know I shit about fishing. This. He knows shit about fishing. 
Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Hey, match made in heaven. Um, yeah, the project took a very long time, not only to get off the ground, um, but also to shoot. I mean, we did, and it was two, two trips, right? One in June, one in September of 2019 uh, shooting. And like, you know, as I'm sure you guys can imagine, there's a lot of red tape on shooting abroad, but especially in Russia of all places. Right. And um, uh, when you're, you know, when you're, you've partnered with a successful Russian businessman, I won't use the O word. Um, <laughs> it's uh, oligarch. There's, there's a lot of, there's there, a, lot, there's a lot of red tape, a lot of things <laughs> to, uh, a lot of things to navigate. So, I mean, that, that was the main hurdle. But once we were in Russia and once we actually cleared customs, because Guido's on like a, uh, what is that? Like it's, it's, uh, it's like the watch list because this Wild Salmon Center was founded by a former CIA agent. <laughs> well, I, yeah, check check yeah, before you guys use this. I don't know if that. <laughs> yeah, we, um, it's all be edited. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, once we were there, I mean, it was, it was pretty much hunky dory. You know, we hopped on one of Abramov's, uh, MI8s and were taken to the lodge and, um, you know, lived like Kings, uh, for a while, which was fun. And, um, the post process was, I think most, uh, most exciting just because, you know, cracking the story was difficult. We came back with an insane shooting ratio, so much footage. And it's like, how do we, right. How do you, you cut know, it down this narrative. to mold yeah. what you want it to be? Well, that was we a, got there. Yeah, you definitely did get there. I mean, as people will see with the film, like it does tell a really, you know, all-encompassing story of, you know, I think time and a few years ago maybe were a mystery. Now they're mm -hmm. less of a mystery, still a mystery, but it's cool to, you know, not just have another like we're catching time in video, but like kind of like uh, the culture behind protecting them. Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty neat. You kind of touched on it already, but um, obviously traveling internationally for a film can sometimes be really arduous. Um, you know, you kind of hinted at it, like what? And maybe we'll start with you, Andy. What was the travel like to get to where you were filming? Like, what kind of steps did you have to go through? I mean, it's, uh, so I guess I always say that um, the airport and the travel part is the least fun part of my job. I mean, right. I, just, <laughs> I just got home yesterday, like at midnight from, traveling home from Mexico by myself with 12 bags. And so <laughs> like, that just, it like, no matter how you do it, that always sucks. And it's just like, it's just such an, such an ordeal. And so, I mean, yeah, it's like when, and then when you're going to someplace as remote as the Tagore river, it just sort of takes mm -hmm. on another dimension because if you don't bring it with you, if you forget it, you will absolutely have to do without it. And so you have to check right. and recheck and like build your kit, put your kit away, like do that like four times to make sure you have every single last little thing. Um, and luckily I had Adam to travel with me so he could help me carry things. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a huge ordeal. It's like, I feel like I'm a professional mover, like packing for like here in this vehicle, that vehicle <laughs> to a plane, to a helicopter, to a van, to a blah, blah, blah. It's just like, it's, I mean, it's a pain in the ass. There's no way to sugarcoat it. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys encounter any like, um, you know, moments that were kind of like, are we going to get to this place or, you know, like oh, yeah. within Russia? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically every turn within Russia. Um, <laughs> I mean, it started with customs. We were all taken into separate rooms upon arrival in Habarovsk. And uh, 
You know, we had to do the, you know, fingerprints and palm prints on both hands. Um, and, you know, they kept a very accurate log of our, uh, you know, presence in the country. Um, uh, we had a meeting with someone whilst in Habarovsk and we later learned it was being monitored by the FSB. Um, cause one of our guys was taken aside uh, after we had already gotten on the plane to return back to the States and questioned by the hmm. FSB for five hours. Um, oh, serious stuff. Yeah. We were just fishing. I don't know what to tell you. I know. We're not the guys who made Argo. We're not those guys. I know exactly. <laughs> yeah. But wow. they're like, what, what do you mean? Catch and release. You catch fish, you eat fish. What? What? You know? so. Yeah. Spies. <laughs> it, that's funny. That in a lot of international places, it's like that. Yeah. They, like when I first started working in Mexico, it was the same kind of thing. It's like, no, no, no. We eat. <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah. no. I'm going to let it go. Yeah. <laughs> What's the point? Yeah, I don't get it. That's uh, yeah. a long conversation. So real quick before we move on, what was it like being in the MI8s? Loud. Um, yeah. Yeah, quite noisy. Made for good good, uh, good footage. But, um, I mean, they, they, seemed, they seemed, you know, airworthy. You know, I, I didn't have any doubts getting into oh, it. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're yeah. – Yeah, there's yeah. no doubt they're airworthy. It's just such a cool yeah. – mode of transportation that i mean yeah. when we get in certain places now it, it's kind of cool to give us a little bit about the uh the size of them like what is it comparable to like the physical size of the helicopter like a, a school bus andy did andy freeze i think he's just agreeing <laughs> he's just uh, like uh, <laughs> he's just like <laughs> he's as blown away as we are <laughs> so blown away that's <laughs> uh, yeah, that that's crazy. The size of a school bus, that it's hard to picture a helicopter that size. I mean, I've heard yeah. they can carry just mass amounts of stuff. Anyways, they're badass yeah. looking too on film, especially. Um, okay, here's yeah, a question for you guys. Uh, you know, your story's got like private Russian army in it. It's got you know guns and fireballs and some Cold War era conservation tactics, like some really crazy stuff. Uh, without giving away too much, we want to know how far you guys would go to save a river that you care about. Here in the states, you know, like are you gonna go like total militia, uh, all monkey wrench gang on stuff, or, or how how far would you take it? Well, I should preface <laughs> it by saying you can get away with a lot more in Russia, um, yeah. and I'm certainly not a billionaire and I'm not living in Russia, but um, I'm very passionate about uh, a great many rivers, uh, not only domestically but also abroad, um, mm. and I would go to great lengths. Um, maybe not involve AR-15s right off the bat, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I, I, the river is a, a sacred place for me, regardless of which one it is. Yeah, absolutely. Andy, how about you? You look like you're kind of like, you know, scheming or something over there. You got something else yeah, to say. Yeah, always scheming. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess when I, when I think about these sorts of things, when I've worked on other river conservation projects or other sort of yeah, stuff along those lines, it's always with a, mm. with a Native American or like First Nations or Native tribe. And so it's like, I'm sort of like looking at it through that lens. It's like, okay, how, well, of course, like I would, of course, like always sort of play, want to play a supporting role just because mm. I don't know. But yeah, I, those sorts of folks in those situations, I'm, I'm down to, you know, unconditionally help them and sort of be their backup 
and you know, in whatever capacity works to sort of make make things happen. (laughs) And yeah, it's like Russia is just such a unique situation. It's like when you think of rivers and sort of who's, you know, in control of the rivers, uh, you know, and, and sort of things with government and private landowners and indigenous people, it's like sort of the, everything's totally different over there. And so it's hard to sort of yeah. apply, like okay. in Russia, yeah, hire, hire mercenaries, get it done by any means necessary. Like, yeah, but that, that sort of doesn't directly copy and paste. And that's the cool thing about conservation. It's sort of like, you got to kind of like yeah, look yeah, at it through the, the specific right. lens be of whatever for... river or whatever place you're dealing with to make it happen. So it's true yeah it's it's a bit different i suppose but i think yeah like you said like both you guys said it's uh standing up for what you believe in right to the no matter what it takes right 100 percent. yep it's just it's kind of cool to see the difference between the cultures and when people watch the film they'll they'll have a much better idea of exactly what we're talking about but Mm -hmm. it's cool to see the dichotomy between the two like the just the mentality that like Nope, we're stopping this right now, and this is how we're doing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was nice to have have that access to uh, stakes and conflict uh, yeah. in our story because mm-hmm. we we didn't want to make you know a film that was strictly about fly fishing or strictly about conservation for that matter. We wanted to make a film, mm-hmm. um, and obviously you have to follow certain narrative rules, you know, in constructing your arc and. Um, we, we lucked out and that there were, there were some, there's some, some juicy, juicy, uh, nuggets good, of conflict in there. Good so. <laughs> juicy bits for sure. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've got five more questions for you guys. And these are kind of cool. just broader, more general kind of fly fishing questions that we've been asking everybody. Um, nice. so this first one is, uh, maybe Andy, we'll start with you. What is your favorite fish? If you had to pick a favorite fish to chase, what would it be? Oh, that's a really good question. I've gotten to chase some pretty cool fish. For it's, it's funny because I'm a I'm a filmmaker and I do lots of lots of stories about rivers and fish, but I don't I don't fly fish. I I mean I ba- I barely have any idea what to do with a fly rod if you stick it in my hand. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I get to go fly fishing on that's the true. Tagore River for taming, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but some, I, I guess one that's of my awesome. fav- most favorite river fish projects and like r- fish that I've gotten to engage with. Um, has been, I did a project on the Congo River in Central Africa, and we Whoa. were chasing uh, Goliath tigerfish, which are yeah. these fish that are like Ooh. this big <laughs> and have teeth that are like this long and these like crazy <laughs> huge tails that they use because they're swimming up and down these rapids. You know, you're dealing with like, uh, you know, millions of cubic feet per second of, of river volume. Um, it's mm-hmm. the second largest river in the world by volume. And so the fish are uh, like, I mean, they're, they're these crazy, powerful, predatory monsters. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Goliath tigerfish are the coolest fish I've ever gotten to spend time with. That's a, that's a new one. We haven't heard that one yet. That's pretty good, yeah. man. I like that. It's good. Can yeah, I choose you... one for one for fresh, one for salt? Hell yeah, man. Yeah. All right. Totally. All right. Uh, Lower Dean River steelhead for fresh. Nice. Uh, permit nice. for salt. Nice. Nice. Yeah, yep. you're a, you're a junkie. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> on, those on, are two junky uh, fish uh, right there. Yeah. Salt and fresh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. cornered yourself. <laughs> Great fish. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything beyond that because I think you guys get where I'm coming from. Oh, yeah, yeah. Totally. Permit, permit fishermen and steelhead fishermen. 
Yeah. I, you could argue single-handedly keep therapists in business. <laughs> or, no, bartenders. <laughs> or bar- bartenders. Or bartenders, too. Bartenders, there you yeah. go. Which happen yeah. to play both, <laughs> both roles sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, number two, um, and uh, I'll adapt this question a little bit, but um, if given that uh, it's the right time of year to do it, and given that maybe COVID isn't a thing, if you could fish, or Andy, in your case, film, anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? And maybe we'll start with you, Adam. Uh, right now? Like, um, let's just pretend it's like peak season of whatever you want to fish for. Uh, Atlantic salmon, Kola Peninsula. Mm. Boom. Nice, nice. <laughs> Love it. Andy, if you could film anywhere in the world right now, where, where would you go? Um, I, uh, yeah, my favorite place, and I'll keep it, I'll keep it sort of river, river focused right now. I mean, of course, yeah, sure. this is a place that spent an incredible amount of time, um, working on a, a very long project, but the, the Great Bear Rainforest of British Columbia, of nor- the Northern BC coast, basically it's, I mean, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Like the, the interconnectivity of the, of the salmon and the, the, you know, grizzly bears and black bears and the white, the mm-hmm. white black bears and wolves coming down to the river and like grabbing salmon out of the river and like this is like it's a freaking and it's just so remote in the middle of nowhere like there's nobody out there but you know a a very very small number of tourists and these first nations communities i mean that there's there's no place like that and if i mean it's in the same sort of ecosystem as as the dean Mm -hmm. as 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 adam mentioned but it's it's coastal completely coastal um that's that's the coolest place in the world I've been, I think, and anybody should should go there if they if they have the opportunity, whether you fish or don't fish. Oh yeah, boom! There you go. That... Great answer, hundred percent. I wish I could travel anywhere right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> so this next one, and Andy, we'll start with you. Uh, do you have a favorite memory from making this film? Like one standout behind the scenes moment that was just like, oh yeah, there was this time where. <laughs> They're yeah, both laughing. I, I, like uh, I think they have the same one. <laughs> I, I think Adam knows where I'm going to go with this. Um, so there's is that in, Andy in Russia? There's this. Yeah, that's uh, Andy's. Fro- I think tradi- he's frozen. Right? Oh, uh, oh, oh, you're good okay. now. You're good. Yeah. So in Russia, there's this tradition of of the banya, which is the which is the bathhouse. It's like the it, it's a it's a a sauna mm-hmm. basically, and so you know on, at, at Alexander Abramov built this this personal private fishing lodge on the banks of the Tagore. And of course he built the biggest sauna I have ever seen. I mean, it's like a big oh, enough man. sauna that you could put 20 people in there, no problem. And it's this beautiful cedar room and there's this wood stove and he hired this guy who's like the keeper of the sauna to sort of, you know, maintain the bathhouse. So you, you come back off the river, you've been in the rain all day on a boat, it's cold, you're wet, you know, everything is wet. and this guy has been stoking the fire and you go into this, into this mm. sauna and there's this Russian tradition of uh, this Russian style of treatment where you go in and, you know, everybody's naked in there and he, he puts these, these branches, he dips them yep. in this hot water and throws them on the rocks and he's hot. And then he like beats the hell out of you with these branches. <laughs> and then you, and this is like the hottest sauna you've ever been in, in your life. Like you can barely yeah. stand being in the sauna. So they beat you with these branches and then you go out and you jump into this cold pool. Then you come back <laughs> and he beats you more with the branches and it's like this back and forth. And, and the, like, the naked Russian sauna man is like doing this with you. So he's like in the sauna, he's jumping in the plunge with you. He's coming back out. 
beating the hell out of you some more. It's like, <laughs> and this is just what everybody does. And then you go out and you drink beer and you eat smoked salmon. It's just sort of like, that's Russia, I guess. Kind of sounds awesome. awesome. Sounds yeah. awesome. I don't <laughs> get to say like, I don't want to derail this too much because you know we're tight on time. But uh, there's a there's an area north that we're in Toronto right now. There's an area about five hours north uh, called Tomogamy, and so kind of like a weird like. It's pretty remote, like backcountry type cabins type place. And anyway, we know a guy up there that has a screaming hot wood sauna and a Ukrainian friend. And last summer, I I got the Russian like branch <laughs> beat down, and we jumped into the lake. Or sorry, it was September, and it was like. Super strange, but honestly, I felt amazing after. Yeah, cold. It's great. Hot. It's yeah, it's weird. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's weird, but you're drunk and whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, whatever. Naked Russian man, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, uh, Adam? Uh, well, I think aside from the freshly harvested chum salmon caviar mm. that I ate literally for every meal, including mm. breakfast. Mm. Um, I think learning, learning very organically that, um, that Abramov not only keeps sort of like an army of, uh, let's say helpers, uh, you know, within his lodge 360 days a year, including through the winter. Um, but they're all named Sergey. All of them are <laughs> named Sergey. Yeah. So, so it was great because Andy and I were there just, you know, you know, with, with tons of camera gear, like soaking wet, freezing most days. And if I needed help with something, all I had to do was yell Sergey, like <laughs> into the trees yeah. and like, just like five or six, like burly Russian dudes would like converge <laughs> on me and ask me what I needed help with. And That's I'm like, great. man, this is the life, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Sergey. These are these yeah. are good, good film memories for me. Yeah, these are good. Films. Yeah, those are awesome. These ones are, are interesting awesome. ones. I love it. Oh yeah, and love yeah, it. there's you know a lot of like really good vodka as well. Um, oh, I bet. Yeah, I mean this 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 is like it's 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 a paradise. It truly is. Yeah. I look forward I mean, to going back to the lodge every day. It looks yeah. it looks like a paradise. Like when people see it, people yeah. are like, "Whoa, <laughs> that's in the middle of the yeah. woods in the middle of Russia." Yeah. Pretty cool. Okay, number four, um, and maybe this is more for you, Adam, than Andy. But uh, why do you mm -hmm. fly fish, or why fly fish at all, Andy? Maybe you can like dissect our psychology as to why we fly fish. But maybe Adam, I'll throw it to you first. Why do you fly fish? Um, I fly fish because it's the only thing that I've discovered that like instantly puts me in the moment. Like everything else melts away. Uh, I'm just like one with the river. Um, I love, you know, I love trying to crack the code that is nature, you know, and, um, you know, figuring out what's hatching, you know, and, and, and try to match the hats and just every little nuance that comes with fly fishing. Um, you know, I think it's, it's the, the ultimate definition of man versus nature or man in harmony with nature, you know, and that's, yeah. mm -hmm. that's why I love it so much. Love it. Awesome. Andy, yeah, Andy, what do you get out of shooting fly anglers? I'm like, what, what do you enjoy shooting <laughs> the fly world? Um, I guess for me, I just really appreciate the river ecosystems. Like, I really appreciate mm -hmm. the sort of interconnectivity of everything with the ocean connecting to the forest, with the big carnivores, mm -hmm. with the native, with like, you know, the people that being able to subsist off of them. Like, I just really appreciate that whole circle yeah. of life. 
Um, right. And I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's something that like, I, I just, I, I personally really enjoy being immersed in that world, but then also helping to, you know, helping to bring that to people and, and help foster yeah. some appreciation for that. Um, because most of the time and, you know, increasingly day by day, those specific types of ecosystems are really disappearing. Um, yeah. And so I think we will, we'll, we'll, we'll lose something really awesome. Um, we, mm-hmm. we are losing something really awesome day by day as they, as they are, you know, dammed and deforested and developed mm-hmm. and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so mm-hmm. um, despite the fact that I don't, personally myself fly fish, I really think that that rivers and, and everything that they sort of tie together are, are a really important thing. Um, and I hope we get hope I hope we continue to have healthy ones for a really yeah. long time. Yeah, love it. Um, okay, last question, Adam, we'll start with you. If you were a fly pattern, what would you be? What fly best represents you? Whoa. Uh, deep. This is where he's saving the deep stuff for last. <laughs> I know, right? I've never thought about that. It's a hard question years. to answer. Um, wow. Nick's a squirmy worm if it helps. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> or a kind of a squirmy worm around. wrapped around a bead. <laughs> yeah. No hook. That's great. I'm just an yeah, indicator. Rain, I'm just an indicator. Yeah. Oh, You're an just an indicator. A jadicator. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the first thing that came to mind was stimulator. Uh, don't know why, but it's it right, baby. Yeah. All yeah. right. Yeah. You're stimulating. Yeah. I guess I gotta go with it. Yeah, man. Love it. Often the first answer yeah. is the best answer. Nice. Andy, how about yourself, Andy? Do you have a pattern that comes to mind, or I have? Adam, I know you? absolutely shit about flies. <laughs> Adam, about what fly? Say, can you name a fly pattern? I, I can't say, even Adam, name a single fly, fly pattern. I have absolutely no idea. Zero, zero idea. I think that means uh, you're a woolly bugger. <laughs> I was, yeah, was going to say, like, you know, when in doubt, go with a woolly bugger. Yeah, um, yeah Adam, you know me. You, you project. Hmm. You're definitely some kind of nymph. <laughs> but I'll get back Prince to you nymph. on that. <laughs> I love it. I'll take it. <laughs> it's so good. Oh man! Oh, awesome. awesome. Well, hey, thank you guys for making the time to come out. This was uh, this was cool to get to all meet up and chat a little bit about river tigers. It's uh, awesome to hear. Dude, my favorite part is getting to hear about some of you guys' favorite moments behind yeah. the scenes. Like that stuff is so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. It's cool to hear have an experience like that and in a foreign country. Uh, we're excited for everyone to see your film. We certainly loved it. You guys did such an awesome job putting that story together. The footage is amazing. The fish are crazy big. When they say duck eating timon, they mean duck eating timon. They're they're gigantic fish. Uh, we're excited for this to roll out. Dude, people are going to love it. We're looking forward to it, and thank you guys for making the time to come on. Thank you, guys. Appreciate Thanks, guys. It. Thanks for having us. A Journey Upstream. This is Andrew and Eric. Thank you guys so much for making time to do this. Uh, I see you, Andrew, you got the striper art right behind you. Very, very fitting. Um, now, like I said, we're so happy to have you guys here uh, in the upstream journey, or a journey upstream, excuse me. Uh, awesome film you guys did a great job on. Before we get started with talking about any of that, if you guys could just give us a short little, short little uh, bit of your own history, um, where you guys grew up, went to school and kind of how you got into filmmaking. 
Andrew and I are, are clearly brothers. And like I was saying earlier, I believe we're like, you know, a perfect age apart. We're a little bit under five years. So it's this perfect gap where we, we were able to have a good relationship and obviously grow up together and spend time together. But we were never like too competitive. It's not like we had like the same friend groups or anything. Um, mm -hmm. So we spent so much time together when we were younger. And most of that, you know, because of our, our parents had a big influence on us was spent outside. Um, we didn't mm. play, you know, many video games. We were just constantly in the woods, exploring the creeks, um, catching minnows and crayfish or just building forts in the woods and whatnot. And I think that slowly, slowly transitioned into fly fishing for sure. It's kind of like a, a more socially acceptable way to like go creaking as an adult. So that's, that's definitely <laughs> what we, what we developed. Um, and then alongside that, I have like filmmaking and video creation has been a passion of mine pretty much my whole life. Um, when I was really young, I used to make like stop motion animation videos with Legos on Windows Movie Maker. Um, nice. You know, it eventually transitioned into me being that kid on vacation with the GoPro. Um, eventually I became a substitute lifeguard to save up enough money to buy a Canon 70D. So it's kind of just like over the years on my own, I've just been saving up money, upgrading camera gear, just because it's something I'm super passionate about. That's something I wanted to um, get better at. And that got to the point where I started doing a lot of client work, um, got into working with Cheeky Fishing, which is kind of my foot in the door into the into the fly fishing industry. And mm -hmm. in 2019, I started my own small video marketing agency, kind of as a more professional front for my freelance work. And that really forced me to work frequently with clients, um, put myself way out of my comfort zone, you know, show up to locations, have conversations with clients, charge them things. Um, so that was just, you know, such a great experience for me. And that forced me to not only, you know, put myself out of my comfort zone, but to consistently practice the craft of videography um, since, mm -hmm. you know, since 2019, very free frequently. Um, and, you know, as far as the journey of stream goes, Andrew and I were together at the start of COVID in, in the same house. So we had, you know, excess, excessive time together just because of the circumstances. And that's when we really sat down and we're talking about, you know, these film ideas that we had been talking about for years. And we just said, like, hey, like we have the time right now. Like, What is holding us back from just doing this? Um, and that's that's kind of what what launched the idea of a journey upstream. And we just started started doing it and getting people involved and eventually got to the point where there was no turning back. And I'm, I'm very glad we right. did that. <laughs> So Andy, what about you? Where do you go to school? Well, What's Eric covered it. Eric covered it pretty well. Um, but um, I would agree with him that it all starts with our parents and instilling a love for nature um, and, and us mm -hmm. playing around in creeks, building forts, uh, really developing a love for nature early on. Um, and it, you know, fly fishing didn't come until I was in college. Um, spin fishing started pretty early on. I think I caught my first largemouth bass on spinning gear when I was like three or four. Um, and fishing was kind of always this fun thing that I did until fly fishing came into my life. And, and then it became more of an obsession. <laughs> um, and that happened... Um, around 2014, when I was in college, I went to college um, at St. Mary's College of Maryland, which is uh, a very small college in Maryland on one of the tributaries of the Chesapeake Bay. Um, so literally on campus, we had a dock where I would catch striped bass off the dock. And my very first fish on the fly 
was a striper. Um, and and the second I, the first fly rod I had was a five weight. And the second I caught like a decent sized striper on that five weight and felt that tug, Mm -hmm. uh, I was just, just completely obsessed with the sport. Um, and there was no turning back after that. So it it happens super quickly. It definitely does. It's amazing how quickly it happens. So let's jump into it. You guys, the first question we're excited to ask you is lefty craze from Maryland. Was he. If he was, how big of an influence was he on your motivation for you guys to put this film together? Honestly, like when it came to, you know, actually thinking about the process of the film and starting, um, Lefty didn't have that big of an influence on our lives just because we didn't necessarily know that much about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that adds to, you know, the craziness of the situation that happened because, you know, as we were talking to Paul, um, about F3T and talking about this brand new Lefty Cray youth category and diving into videos and talking to people like um, Sean Kimbrough and John Neely, who are both in the film, who personally knew Lefty. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we were just learning more and more about him. And then we were we were given that category. So, you know, we we were so incredibly honored. And the further we, we studied him or just like, you know, we're, we're reading things and watching things about him we started to realize that he was a native Marylander. We started to realize that he grew up learning to fly fish on the same exact streams that we learned to fly fish, which is just absolutely insane. Like our, our home river, it's called the Gunpowder River. It's it's a little bit north of Baltimore, but that's genuinely mm-hmm. where I learned how to fly fish. Like my friend and I took a summer and went there just every week. Um, mm-hmm. And, and we didn't know this until you know a few weeks ago. We, we went back to to do a shoot, and it was about two miles downstream from the spot we normally fish. There was a section named after Lefty Cray. It's called the Lefty Cray Fishing Trail, and it's because he used hmm. to fish it so often. So it's just like the same exact river that we learned how to fly fish on was where Lefty, um, you know, was was fishing when he was younger too. And he was a native Marylander, and obviously one of the biggest themes. Um, you know, underneath this film is, is the Maryland fishery. So it's just such a cool situation. It's it's one of those situations where it just totally feels like it was meant to be. That's cool. Yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah, you're like living in a, it's interesting, you know, without even knowing it at the time when you started, you know, you're kind of like living in a backyard of fly fishing history, which is, which is, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so We've mentioned it, so we might as well talk about it. Um, you won the uh, aw- the Lefty Cray Youth Film Category Award, which is the only award that F3T gives out. So, first of all, congrats. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. This is where we should, like, in post-production, just add, add, add applause. applause. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what advice would you give uh, other people, young filmmakers uh, interested in, in telling a story? Um, what would be, like, just some quick advice and maybe we'll start with you, Andrew. Um, you know, maybe they're fishing their backyards. Maybe they have a story they want to tell. How would you, how would you tell them to get started? Yeah, I think, um, with where fly fishing is at right now, you can get caught up in this idea that you have to be traveling to these really extravagant places to make really good films. And that's not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. And it kind of took COVID-19 to prove that to us because we were stuck at home and with all this time and we wanted to make a fly fishing film. And instead of going to a far off destination, 
we ended up making just a really great film about our own backyard. And yeah. so I think, I hope this is an inspiration for other people, especially young people to realize that, um, you know, if, if you don't even have, if you don't have the best camera or if you can't have access to fly halfway across the world, or um, if you don't have the best fly fishing gear, that shouldn't necessarily be a barrier for you to, to shoot for the stars and try to make an awesome documentary. It's a great point. I mean, something that, you know, Mitch and I, we're from Ontario, Canada, <laughs> Toronto, not known as a fly fishing, you know, hot spot, but, uh, but it is, uh, or at least we think so. And um, that's definitely, <laughs> you know, something we've tried to do. So I get it. That's a great, that's a, that's great advice. Start, start from home and, and go out from there. Yeah. Eric, what about you? What do you think uh, in terms of advice? I mean, I, I think I would say something very similar. And I think one of my biggest pieces of pieces of advice is just to to start because I think a lot of us have, you know, some sort of idea in our head. Um, but there's just like a myriad of, of limiting beliefs that are just absolutely holding us back. Um, and we live in such a unique time in history right now where there's just unprecedented access to incredible technology, you know, specifically for filming, like you can pick up a mirrorless camera for, you know, a somewhat reasonable price if you save up some money that can shoot full 4K HD video. Um, you can edit, you know, using Final Cut Pro or Premiere Pro on a laptop and produce like a really high quality product. Mm -hmm. Like we live in such this yeah. unique time in history that like you do have the ability to try to make these ideas in your head a reality. So it's 100% just to start, get over those limiting beliefs because once you start, um, you know, this is what happened to us with the journey of stream at least, it, it's so easy to keep procrastinating but once you start and let's say getting stakeholders involved, other organizations, it gets to a point where like you've involved so many people that there's like no turning back. And it's almost like the domino effect. Like, like once you get going, momentum picks up um, and you, you just like stuff, like it all compounds over time. And it gets to the point where you're just so thankful that you started when you did. Um, so, right so that would be my, my advice. That's good. It's good advice. Um, where do you guys see yourself in five years? Where is this going to go? Where, what are the goals? What are the dreams five years from now? Um, so as Eric talked about earlier, we kind of, we have two, um, different skill sets going into this. Eric has, uh, the videography and editing skill set, and I'm kind of bringing the, uh, the content behind, uh, behind the stories here. I study the environment. I'm getting my master's right now in environmental studies. And, um, and I'm hoping in the future that, you know, we can continue making these films that have environmental themes and themes of sustainability um, and that we're going to work together as a team to create some, some awesome environmental films in the future. Nice. I love it. That's awesome. I, um, I, honestly, I mean, obviously, it's a very tough question, you know, where you want to be five years to now. I, I think my, my, you know, dream is 100% to be able to make impactful films full time. Like, that's, you know, 100% what I'm passionate about. And, you know, this company I started is called Motion Digital. It, it's kind of now become this perfect little entity that I, I have on the side of my life, just always behind me, and I contribute to it now and then. 
Um, and I, I almost have it as like my little my little dream company. So I guess one of my goals is to, you know, maybe I'm a business major in school, so maybe get some sort of full-time job after graduation, but it's to keep building Motion Digital to the point where, let's say in five years, I can jump into that full-time and make films like a journey upstream that, that have messages that I'm just incredibly passionate about full-time. Because um, there's just, you know, thousands, millions of stories out there that absolutely just need to be told. And that's 100% what I'm passionate about. Totally. That's we, a, we look the, forward to hearing those stories. That's we a great... Appreciate point. that. Oh, sorry, Nick. Sorry, Nick. No, 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 sorry. Eric, you mentioned making impactful films. What does that... What does an impactful film mean to you? Yeah, that's that's a really tough question. Um, impactful film. You know, I mean, for me... Obviously, there, there's so many different topics that you know could be considered an impactful film. But I, I do think, at least for a while, the two of us will at least say in the the outdoor industry, just because that's something you know we're super passionate about. And while I'm not like I don't study it as in depth as Andrew, um, I would right. love to to learn more and make films you know centered around things that are impactful such as climate change or social injustice or diversity, especially in the outdoor industry. Um, Cause that's something that, you know, definitely needs, needs to be talked about more often. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the, these bigger themes that haven't necessarily been brought up into the outdoor industry. Um, but 100%, I feel like that that's the way things are moving, but definitely. I mean, but that, that's a tough question because I, I think there's, <laughs> there's so many impactful ideas out there. No, it's great. I think it's, uh, yeah, I mean, 100%, you know. The film's amazing, and I think you guys are definitely on the uh, the right path for sure, you know. So I just, I, I le- I'm excited to see more uh, stuff from you guys for sure. Thank you. Um, so we've got five more questions that are kind of just more general fly fishing questions. Um, so we're going to ask both of you guys right now. Um, the first one, and we'll start with you, Eric, maybe. What is, what is your favorite fish and why? If you had to pick a favorite fish, what would it be? I'm going to go ahead and steal Andrews right off the bat cuz I already know. <laughs> you can have the same you can have the same answer Andrews. <laughs> uh, I think brook trout is 100% my favorite fish. I just, you know, nice. the the amount of times the amount nice. of times like I've caught a brook trout and I will never get over just seeing a fish that colorful just in like a random mountain stream. Like I I want to know mm-hmm. what went on in like the evolutionary process that like brook trout decided they needed to look like this it's like some tropical fish just in this like yeah. beautiful mountain environment mm-hmm. um so that's you know absolutely i think hands down my favorite fish and kind of going on what i said earlier i think it's kind of just like an extension of that childhood creaking it's just i love that environment so yeah. much love it's it. a great it's a great answer it. yeah there's something cool about brookies and trout in general but brookies like you know they're not to knock on smallmouth baths or or striped bass even that they all kind of look the same with brookies like you get you know it's something a, a, a recent guest of ours remarked on was like one can be like fiery red and the next one will be like purpley silver they're all very unique um even in one waterway even in one one pool even they all kind of look different which is mm-hmm. pretty it's interesting. A great favorite to have man yeah very yeah. good andrew your favorite fish so eric stole it um i will also <laughs> say brook trout um one of the reasons is because they're so beautiful and colorful and it just boggles my mind why they look that way um but i also love them because a big part of fishing for me is the environment that you're fishing in and 
since brook trout requires such high quality uh, stream environments, when you're fishing for brook trout, it's no coincidence that you're also fishing in the most intact environments like in the world. Um, these small stream habitats with these beautiful cascading pools and, you know, moss covered rocks and all this, it, it's a, the whole watershed is intact if the brook trout are there. And those, those are the watersheds that I want to spend time in. Heck yeah. Awesome. Great answer. Well, actually flowing from that, uh, answer, um, given that, COVID doesn't exist, and given that it's the best time of year to do so, um, if you could fish anywhere in the world right now, where where would you go? Andrew, we'll start with you. Uh, Belize targeting permit. Boom. Done. Done. Nice. <laughs> I'm coming with you. Yeah, we've got a winter <laughs> storm warning here. I'm 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 with you on that one. <laughs> How about you, bud? Uh, I won't lie. I'm not trying to be weird, but he just took mine. <laughs> that's like that's like nice. what I could think of right now. I mean, for this time of year, that, that's what I would have said. I mean, Andrew and I have this conversation absolutely all the time. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think. You know, at at the top of my list, you know, maybe not this time of year, but Alaska is like something I've been absolutely itching. Yeah. Yep itching to you it's know it's, it's like specifically for salmon too because that's something that we haven't done a lot of at all um yeah i guess i mean i'll it's just say that yeah. yeah nick was a guide up there you can hire nick yeah. nick will take you yeah. i'd love oh, to i'm going <laughs> <laughs> yeah it looks beautiful up there great 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 answer for sure um okay so uh eric we'll start with you what what is one of your favorite like memories for making the film like mm. is there any behind the scenes sort of moment we were just like, oh yeah, that was that was awesome. Yeah, one hundred percent. So you know, we went out with a couple of our our good friends. One of them, his name is Jonathan Bland, and he has this beautiful. I don't know what what it is, Andrew. It's like a pretty small, like a sixteen, fifteen, sixteen foot whaler. Seventeen, seventeen foot whaler. So it's just little, just like perfect Chesapeake Bay boat, and um, that's where we did you know a lot of our striper fishing. And mm -hmm. one day, our other friend Kirk had this, we, we went off his dock. We wanted to get some third person shots of the boat. So he had this tiny little aluminum, you know, 14 foot John boat with this little trolling motor on the back. So I hopped in that with all my camera gear by myself with this trolling motor. And I was putting around in the bay, like going over the waves, <laughs> trying to trying to film the main boat. And for like 30 minutes, they, they couldn't catch a fish in the main boat. And I was getting so frustrated because I was just like trying to film. And I didn't want to stay in this boat too long. I had all my camera gear. I didn't want it to get mm -hmm. to get ruined, and eventually, angry. eventually, I drifted mm -hmm. far enough away that I couldn't get any shots, and I had a rod on the boat, and I just started casting, and I ended up catching a, a pretty decent <laughs> sized striper just by myself in this John <laughs> boat, and they were all like they all hadn't caught a fish yet, and they're looking at me with my camera gear, just like holding up a striper in this like fourteen foot John boat. So that was definitely <laughs> that was a super fun memory. Young, yes. young man in the sea. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Great. Oh, sick. Good one, Nick. That was hey. great. That one's going to get a lot of mileage. <laughs> I'm like a broken clock. I'm still right twice a day. <laughs> Andrew, how about you? Um, I would say that um, one of the main themes of this movie is highlighting people that uh, are quote-unquote legends but just you know aren't known by the public yet. And I think... Yeah. Sean Kimbrough and John Neely are, 
are two of those guys. And um, we were shooting with with John Neely one day on this on this Brookie stream. And after we were done shooting with him, we showed him the uh, the trailer for the film, but no one had seen it yet. He was the first person to watch it. And he started getting choked up when he was listening to it, when he heard his voice um, being a part of it. And I thought that was so cool because it's this guy that has dedicated his life to these fisheries. And he, we know he's a legend. He's just not on social media or he's not known by like thousands, mm-hmm. millions of people. But he's now like come in contact with us who are like savvy enough with the internet that we're able to take his message and apply it at scale. Yeah. And it was so cool to have that moment because uh, that issue, it was super special. That's cool. That's awesome. That's a great point. Nice. Yeah, it's fun. Eh? Like every time you go um, or anytime we've gone filming or interviewed people, you always meet this you know, this little microcosm of, of people in that community, which is, which is always great because there are so many passionate people and so many watersheds. So I think that's what your film does a really good job of is like, you know, there are people who care everywhere in any watershed, which is neat. Yeah. Okay. Number four, uh, I guess we'll start with Andrew. Uh, why do you fly fish? What do you get out of it? Mm. Why fly fish at all? Huh? Um, I remember I was really inspired by a quote from uh, Oliver White on one of uh, the Yeti documentaries. I think it was from their, uh, what series was it called? It was a series on food and they were in Mexico and he said something about fly fishing. When, when you choose to pick up a fly rod instead of uh, conventional gear, you are automatically hampering yourself. You're making it harder on yourself to catch a fish. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so weird that we do that in the fly fishing community. <laughs> um, obviously, there's some situations like if you're fishing for trout, there's some situations where the fly can actually outperform. But in most scenarios, you could do better with spin gear. And I think what it comes down to is it's more about the process than the act of catching a fish. And I've, I've come to fall in love with with not just catching a bunch of fish or catching a giant fish, but just having an epic day in a really cool place, maybe with, with some of my favorite people. Um, and it's more about the process. Nice. Very good answer. Yeah. Yeah, My, my answer, I guess it would kind of be going along the same lines as that, but I think Andrew and I, and I think everyone really are constantly chasing things, especially when it comes to hobbies, it's things that, you know, keep you in the present moment. Um, and for us traveling to these, you know, locations, and especially like when we go trout fishing, especially brook trout, like Andrew was saying, it takes you to these, these beautiful locations, and you're connecting with nature, and, you know, just appreciating everything. And it's almost kind of like meditation, in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially compared to, you know, kind of what Andrew just said, the fact that fly fishing hampers, you know, the ability to catch fish. It's not necessarily always about catching fish. And if you are a Maryland fly fisherman, you know that because you probably won't catch a fish like a lot of the times if you go trout fishing, (laughs) but it's just the process is just, it's just Mm -hmm. therapeutic and and almost kind of like meditation for us. I think that's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great answers. hundred percent. So well, well put. Um, Definitely. Definitely agree. Okay, so this this last one is uh, one of our favorites, and it's um, 
we'll start with you, Eric. So, and, and Andrew's going to give you some time to think about it. If you were a fly pattern, what would you be? What fly best represents you? <laughs> Eric, what kind of fly? What What's the pattern you would be? What's the Eric pattern? Why do I ask and it could be first. existing pattern. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's the luck of the draw. First of all, Mitch is a toad, so. <laughs> I'm going to say. Squirmy worm, you know. I'm going to say Andrew is definitely a beetle. So I'll start out by telling him. <laughs> it would be kind of fun to have you guys <laughs> in each other's flies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> you know what? It, I, Andrew is I, either just a nymph, just a general nymph, or a beetle. <laughs> those, those, those are my two answers for him. I love it. And what about what about you though, Eric? What what kind of fly um, would you be? I would be I'd be a foam hopper. Nice. Nice. Oh, okay. Yeah, I love right it. on. I love it. Andrew? Um, I get Eric just gave me the idea. I guess I would be um some sort of beetle. On our on our most recent trip to Yellowstone, I got uh I got the name Beetle Boy because that's all I used <laughs> the whole trip. We uh, we <laughs> nice. were there in, in August, so it was prime time throw foam the entire time we were there. And uh, one thing I caught on to is that, you know, the hoppers would perform, but the, the beetles would just absolutely annihilate. And especially Sweet. bigger fish, bigger fish that wouldn't take the, the hopper, they'd come up for the yeah. beetle. That's awesome. Interesting. I love it. Well, way to it's go, all, beetle boy. It, it's beetle also because he kind of <laughs> looks like a beetle. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Best looking Andrew, what, what kind of fly would uh, Eric be if he was a fly? Um, if I'm going to be mean, I'm going to say squirmy wormy. <laughs> I love squirmy wormies. <laughs> Size 16 Prince. Nice. Ooh. Ooh. A regal nymph. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Good answers, guys. That's great. I love it. Awesome. Well, hey, boys, this was, uh, this was super fun having you guys on. Um, you did a great job with A Journey Upstream. We're excited for everybody to see it. Uh, happy days on all fronts. <laughs> We're excited you guys can make it. Thank you for taking some time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you, guys. Yeah, this was fun. Leap Year, directed by Jordy LePage and Chase White. This is Chase. Thanks for making time to come out. We know this was short notice. So we hatched this idea and it was like ready, set, go. And you guys have all been really awesome about jumping on board quick, even though you know, everyone's got crazy schedules. Everyone's in different time zones. So this is cool that you made it work. We appreciate it. Uh, to get started, could you just tell us a little bit about your background, Chase? Where you're from, what you do? Yeah, totally. Um, I'm a photographer and filmmaker based in Squamish, British Columbia. Um, I am, I work in all kinds of outdoor fields, but, um, but, you know, I have a, I have a, a lifelong affinity to fly fishing. So those are definitely my favorite projects I get to work on and definitely accounts for a lot of the work I do. I can, I'm fortunate to say. Um, so if I'm not working on shooting something, I'm probably on the river. That's awesome. Very good. Well, let's uh, let's kick things off with the first question. And please, Chase, correct me if I'm wrong while I'm asking this, uh, <laughs> because I, I think part of this was through a conversation you had with Paul. Um, you guys shot roughly seven terabytes of footage while doing this film, yeah? Yes. That's, that's unbelievable. So, again, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong with my numbers, but for people listening – 
one terabyte of footage roughly comes out to maybe 500 hours of high definition video, would you say? It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. So, <laughs> so to to just put a random number on it, you guys easily shot over 3,000 hours of footage with, I mean, that's a mind-boggling amount of footage you guys have. How did you even, how could you even pick a storyline with that many different ways to go? And, you know, was this ever an argument within the group? No, we had the storyline pretty clear going into it. I mean, this is a piece where we wanted to, you know, we, we wanted to highlight a few uh, important things that are happening this year that, you know, probably hopefully never happen again. Um, but you know, that said, you know, we, we, we want to capture things as professionally as possible. And that means multiple cameras rolling at all times. Um, it means really high definition cameras rolling at all times. Um, anything from the red to the inspire kind of rolling all around. So there's a lot going on technically, but as far as the story goes, we knew, what direction we wanted to go in as far as kind of, you know, the linchpin of COVID conservation and how these fish, you know, intertwine all these different communities. Um, and uh, we also wanted to leave a little bit of room open for sort of the story to unfold naturally, uh, you know, into something that kind of really um, becomes a one-time thing that really happens kind of organically. Like I think, you know, with, with storytelling, you can go in with a plan but I think the best things come to life when you leave room for them to unfold the way they did. And with leap year, I think there's a lot of things that, you know, definitely, you know, just the happenstance of it just kind of unfolded and, and, and we were just there to, to capture it. Right. It, a lot of it wasn't planned. So um, I think it was a cool balance, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of footage. It's a lot of, it's a lot of logistics and even organizing all, all the data, right? Like you're talking about every day after shooting your, you're back beginning to offload all these cards that can take the better part, you know, hours and hours and hours. And if you don't do all that hard work at night, then you're not going to be ready to shoot again in the morning. So Yeah, that's crazy. It's, it's staggering to think of the amount of footage you guys collected. And <laughs> it, it obviously shows you were able to choose exactly what you wanted. It would be interesting to see a lot of the, the other footage that we don't see in the film. There's so much. It, that was the <laughs> hardest part of, of editing for sure was... You know, I mean, you're talking about we did, there were lots of interviews of people that we unfortunately couldn't even include. Mm -hmm. um, and you're talking every single interview was, you know, at least an hour, probably an hour and a half. Um, and there's so many good nuggets and stories in there. But yeah, it's definitely a, a big task to, to whittle it down. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Chase, about a week ago, you posted uh, something about um, like intentions behind creating the film. Um, obviously, making fly fishing films doesn't be like a Hollywood movie, <laughs> although maybe one day it will. Um, do you want to tell us why maybe this particular story deserves so much of your time? Like we were just talking about how much time everything takes and creativity. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the steelhead culture in Northern BC is a really special one. I mean, I think steelhead culture is anywhere really special. Mm -hmm. um, this one just happens to be, you know, near and dear and one of the last strongholds of a lot of wild fish. Um, so it, it's one that's particularly important to me. I've developed relationships with a lot of people up there that have become very close to me. And, you know, when something like COVID happens where, you know, all of a sudden, you know, and this isn't unique to Northern BC necessarily, but, 
you know, the guide communities, the lodges, the outfitters, um, all of these things are shaken up. Um, and it just so happens that, you know, where we shot this in Smithers is it's kind of like a ski town for fishing, right? Like instead of people walking around in ski boots and, and ski jackets, they're walking around like downtown and waiters and going into coffee shops and things like that. And, you know, fully simsed up. Right. So, um, <laughs> so it, it, it was, it's a near and dear place to me going into it. Um, myself and the other guys that worked on the film with me, uh, Patrick and Jordy from Topo films, they're super passionate steelheaders as well. Um, and they, they love the area. So we, we kind of, it, it was like, it was an opportunity for us to sort of tell the story of what's happening up there to kind of raise awareness so that, you know, these traditions that, you know, run the risk of being broken, um, at least they're, they're not being broken silently, right? Like our, our goal is to just kind of um, turn the volume up a little bit on, on, you know, what's potentially being lost when we, when we break the chain links of these traditions. Yeah, it's a great answer. hundred percent. I wanted to ask number four, cause this is a, you know, I love steelhead fishing and I know how, what a grind it can be. Um, Curious how many steelhead you guys actually hooked on camera throughout the process. <laughs> and like, you know, maybe just like why making a steelhead film can be so much more challenging than say like, you know, a redfish film or some fish, some fishing film where you might be, you know, the fishing might be more like accessible. Catching way more fish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's funny. Like, I mean, yeah, in comparison, you know, like some shooting something like redfish or whatever, like any, any fishing shoot can be hard, right? Like, yeah. People don't understand that, like, when you shoot fishing stuff, it's like, you know, it's like fishing, you know, catching fish is, you know, isn't the, isn't the point, right? But like, it's, you still need that element in it to bring the story full circle. So I was like, no, it's not like we have to go like, you know, hammer a bunch of fish. We do kind of need a little bit of that to kind of, you know, put a bow on the whole thing. Um, and as far as um, how many fish we caught, like, or, or hooked, <laughs> I don't, man, I really don't, 60, 70, I, I wish I could tell you, <laughs> it's, I mean, it, it's a, it's a bountiful place for wild steelhead, but I can say yeah. for sure. And anyone who is up there this year can also testify that there was far fewer fish than there normally were than there normally right. are. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, it's on, on any day you're, it's a one fish or a 10 fish day. Um, God, that's crazy. A 10 fish day. Yeah, that's dope. Yeah, for sure. I mean, some of the clients that come up and visit these lodges, they have some really, you know, <laughs> lifetime changing days um, in, in these places. But yeah, it can definitely, it, as prolific of a resource as it is up there, it's just as easy to have a one fish day. Yeah. Yeah, it's still, it's still a fishery. Yeah. Even the yeah. even the best places on planet Earth, it's it's still fly fishing. It's not easy. Yeah, but, and like you know, like like yeah. you guys know just as probably better than anybody is that you know when the bite's off for who knows what reason that some farmer's almanac could probably tell you like <laughs> bites off, bites off, right? Like there can be a hundred yeah. fish right there, but bites off. So it's, you know, those are the challenges that you run when you're when you're shooting steelhead for sure. But steelhead are I was telling somebody steelhead are they're, they're pretty rude creatures to shoot, right? Like they, <laughs> they don't want to play well. They, you know, of course they, they're never there when you want them to be there. And you know, when you don't have the camera rolling, of course they're going to go and smash a dry fly. So it's like, yeah. 
yeah it's, yeah. it's it, as it's... much a yeah, it's as much a beer drinking hobby yeah i mean we you know for i think 14 days of shooting straight we had uh a camera specifically like a like a 200 millimeter lens pointed on every single fly that every angler fish so i mean like it's a you know you, you want to get a steelhead eat like that or a see a wild steelhead roll like mm -hmm. it's not for the faint of heart for sure the grind yeah. yeah ton of work yeah well it paid off because the film looks amazing you got some beautiful moments in there and uh so yeah i mean thanks for thanks you know you for doing that because like you say it takes pat it takes some patience and passion for sure but we all get to benefit and i think everybody's gonna love the film <laughs> um true. i have to say if you don't mind like yeah uh a big part of that and much of the credit there goes to uh, Jordy LePage, who um, was the director on the film. And, mm. and, you know, he really, his creativity, his dedication, um, you know, and his, his technical ability to shoot was definitely one of the things that made this film so successful because he was on it on everything as far as, you know, what we're doing kind of technically shooting. And, and it was, it was really cool to see. And that's kind of, largely what's responsible for a lot of these cool shots. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for calling out. I mean, great team on the film, eh? Like it, it, it makes a huge difference when you, when you're working with talented people, eh? Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome, man. Well, um, okay. So we got five more questions. Um, Nick kind of alluded to at the beginning. They're just kind of more general fly fishing questions. Okay. Um, but we're going to ask them now. And, uh, I don't know, this first one might be, I think I might already know the answer, but it's what is your favorite fish and why? If you had to pick a favorite fish, to chase what would it be <laughs> oh man that's so tough you know there's <laughs> there's days where i i would honestly want nothing more than to just go throw dry flies at micro trout like nice. it's not for me it's not all steelhead it's not all salmon or anything mm -hmm. like that like that's cool and you can kind of like get in i think in in a bit of a habit of like looking for big fish right but like i like you know going down to a small creek with like my wife and my dog and throwing dry flies for small fish. I think that's probably like, you know, going out on like the Henry's Fork or something like that. One of those like iconic, you know, Western trout streams. That's kind of mm -hmm. where I sharpen my teeth as an angler and that's kind of where my heart is. But, you know, equally I would have to say, you know, like South Texas coastal salt flat fishing is some 100%. of my favorite. All my family lives down down in South Texas, and so I'm down there quite a bit. Oh, and, that's nice. uh, you know, chasing redfish on the fly is a is a close second. Yeah, we have a soft spot so for Rockport. <laughs> oh yeah, I think yeah. you guys might know. Uh, we might have a mutual friend in uh, Joe Derosier. Yes, yes, very much Joe, so. Yeah. Joe's oh, awesome yeah. lagoon. <laughs> yeah, we stayed at the Blue Lagoon. Joe. Yeah, okay. man, I love Joe, man. Joe's <laughs> yeah, Joe's, Joe's Captain Joe's wicked. Good times. <laughs> Yeah, man, he's got a new he's got a new boat down there. We should go down and try out. He's also well, might have well, a new yes, lodge too. Actually, I think he bought another place. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, we, so I number think... t number two kind of uh, rolls into kind of from number one, but uh, if you could uh, let's pretend it's the best time of year to do it, and the COVID doesn't exist, um, if you could fish anywhere right now, where would you go to fish? Oh man, I would probably. I would probably be like, you know, in jumping off that previous question, I'd probably be mm -hmm. down in the salt flat with my brother down in South Texas. Perfect. We, we, we like to go kind of like, you know, we'll take like a, you know, stand up paddle boards or go walk the flats or something like that and go chase tailing redfish. And uh, because of COVID, like I, 
I haven't seen my family in over a year and I'm super close with them. So I, I would definitely, um, it would definitely be either, either going down, navigating the, the salt flats down there or, uh, or having my brother up here to, to British Columbia to fish with him to nice. try and get him that, that first steelhead. Cause that's a pretty epic moment for, for any angler. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, great answer. Um, I'd love to go to Texas right now. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Toronto got a ton of stuff. A margarita, a margarita and a fajita sounds pretty damn good. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's <laughs> a giant cigar and just a hundred redfish. Um, okay. So number three is, uh, if you have a favorite memory from, from the film, like a, a behind the scenes moment, um, that comes to mind, what would that be from the making um, of? I will always remember the interview with Ray McCowichuk. Um, that was one that was really, it was, I, I guess you could call it poignant. I mean, Ray is a, is a pioneer, um, on, you know, some of the most iconic steelhead streams in the world, like the, you know, like the Maurice, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is kind of the upper Balkley stretch. Um, that was a tough one because I mean, I'll, I'll just come out and say it. Like I was, my eyes filled up and had some strange saltwater substance running down my face multiple <laughs> times throughout the interview yeah. because it, it's, he's a, he's just a walking personification of the history of, of, of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just so happens that it, it ha- his personification is of this, this really tight knit steelhead culture that just gets better with age. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the impact on him and his family and, you know, his life, it just puts a lot in perspective. And, and that interview kind of going back and forth and having carte blanche to just ask him any and every question about sort of steelheading and life and how those two kind of find each other was, you know, deeply impactful for me. So um, having the, you know, the, the hour long conversation with Ray in his fly tying den, which is the most incredible like you it puts most fly shops to shame <laughs> like, like it, it's, it's absolutely incredible what he has down there right. but yeah that conversation was definitely impactful that's cool yeah he's a cool dude um okay number four uh a little more existential uh why do you fly fish why fly fish at all um I, that's a good one that i actually think about quite a bit um I fly fish because it's a it's an excuse for me to go get outside and just kind of explore a river like a kid. Um, yeah. You know, it's not. I, I don't have some lifelong mission to get them all. Um, I don't. I don't care about necessarily landing the fish. Um, I find myself entirely rejuvenated though when I when I come back from a morning out on the river. Um, it, it's. Mm-hmm. For me, it's more of an excuse to get outside and some, you know, some, some personal time to kind of create space for myself. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can all resonate with that a bit. Yeah, I think, absolutely. Yeah. And no matter what people's answers are, it's everybody values the same thing. It's just getting away <laughs> from yeah, yeah. Totally. whatever yeah. normal stress or experience and go to a river and all of a sudden it's like, this is the only thing I'm focused on. This is mm-hmm. very mentally healthy for me. 
Yeah, I think that there's more to that than, you know, clinically than you might think. You know, I think that you're really kind of tapping into somebody's flow state, right? Which mm -hmm. is, yes. you know, which is going to kind of ultimately come back to like a deep, profound sense of um, like contentment and happiness, you know, and it's like the, the fish just happens to be part of that equation. And I think the sooner you realize that as an angler, I think, you know, the better off you'll be um, and a better off you know, everybody in the fishing community will be right. Like, I think it's, I think it's just a value to yourself to have that awareness. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Um, okay. we got one last question left, uh, Chase. And this one is, uh, if you were a fly pattern, what would you be? What fly pattern best represents you? <laughs> it's the deep one. Oh, wow. Um, Man, do you go something super greasy like an egg sucking leech? <laughs> Some people do. Some <laughs> people definitely are. Yeah. Um, Maybe I am. <laughs> squirmy worm? Man. Yeah. Dude, I don't know, man. <laughs> I love it. Um, I love that you have a handful of flaws with oh, arms reach. If you can only see what's going on here in my office right now. <laughs> um, all right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go green butt skunk. Nice. Love it. Nice. Just because you know, it's a it's a classic. It ages it ages well, and um, you know it's it's got that little it's got that little hot spot right there, which is really all you need. Oh yeah. Mm. I love mm. that. That's a great fly. That's the first, I think that's the first time we've ever heard that on the show. Nine yeah. episodes. So there you go. Sucker for the classics. Love it. Love it. Love Chase, it. thanks so it's much, sad. man. Yeah, no, absolutely, guys. Um, is there anything that I can kind of do or say or anything that's going to kind of help set the film up or anything I like think... that that you guys need as, like a, as a soundbite or anything like that? No, we're good. It was just, a, just to have a, a fun little chat. Sweet. Well, I mean, like, get some you know, time. The, the last thing that I, I'll, I'll say that I would like to include is that, you know, I think a lot of what the film has to do with um, is kind of, you know, while, while no film is going to sort of solve all of our problems from a conservation perspective, mm -hmm. um, I think one of the things that, you know, we've learned over the past, you know, four-ish years is that, you know, when there are conflicts happening that can happen whether socially or environmentally um one of the first steps is is sort of owning acknowledgement that there is something there and my hope is that you know the film can contribute to that acknowledgement that um by acknowledging sort of the the resources um the the pursuits and the traditions and the communities that we have going on here um it can be sort of a jumping off point for um for ways that we can kind of you know, utilize these resources a little bit more, uh, a little bit more beneficially for all involved yeah. in the future. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Yeah. But also just inspire people to want to go out and Protect be a part it. of it. Yeah. Go, go swing flies for steelheads. Super which, fun. Which it does in spades. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and listen, is it Lisa LeBlanc or Lise LeBlanc? I think it's Lisa LeBlanc. Lisa LeBlanc. Yeah. Swing flies. And listen yeah. to music. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, in, it's, it's what in, got me. Yeah, no, yeah, just wait till I have my coffee first. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming out. We appreciate you taking a little bit of time. We're excited for the film to drop. People are gonna love it. 
Thanks, boys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's nice to meet you, Chase. Take care. Yeah. yeah, take care, guys. Denny's Flybox, directed by Matt Devlin. This is Matt. Before we kick things off, why don't you tell us, tell us your name, where you're from, and a little bit about uh, PMD Creations. Uh, so my name is Matt Devlin. Well, actually, Peter Matthew Devlin. That's where the PMD comes from. Oh, um, I, I originally grew up on the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland and kind of followed the trout out to Missoula like 12, 13, 14 years ago. And that's where I that's where I make my home now is uh, in the mountains of Missoula. Nice, very good. Um, and how long have you been filmmaking? So, I think I first started holding cameras in maybe like two thousand six or so. Um, but you know, filmmaking, you know, really taking a, a go at it, probably eight years. Well, there's no doubt you you have a knack for it. This this story that you've done for this year's tour is awesome. It's a really heartfelt tale. We don't want to give too much away about the movie itself because people mm-hmm. are going to be watching it very shortly. Uh, but you have a knack for for telling a good story. Um, so let's jump right into it. The first question we have is you and the main character. His name is Denny. You guys work together at a fly shop, correct? Correct. How long have you wanted to tell his story? So, geez, um, you get older and, and the years get so much shorter. But I, so the, the concept for this film started probably when we were actually working in the shop together. Did I lose you guys? No, we're still here. You no, know you're all good. We can yeah, hear you. Good. Oh. So I don't know my the, my my weird Montana internet says that <laughs> Nick and Aldo are, are like MIA. Oh, yeah. that's, that's sometimes all right. sometimes but, that might happen. We'll um we'll yeah. we'll we'll mention something if um yeah okay. if we drop you, but we can hear you just fine. I'll just I'll just power through it. Um, so I, I think probably the the idea started sort of the seed of the idea started maybe twelve years ago or so when Denny and I were you know, on the floor together at a local fly shop, Grizzly Hackle, which mm-hmm. is right right in downtown Missoula. And, you know, Denny's Denny's just like one of those classic boomers that sort of you know, it, it, it takes some time to kind of warm up to him, but once he decides that you're okay, you know, he's he's like bringing you homemade key lime pies and you know, like yeah. pill pill bottles full of spay flies, and I was just getting into swinging flies for steelhead at that time. And Denny Denny's really passionate about that, and so you know he, I I still fished, I still have flies kind of scattered throughout boxes that Denny tied, and and you know they it's it's always kind of special when I can swing a run with one of his steelhead flies and kind of feel like we're fishing together, but. Anyway, so so we we started talking about, you know, all of his fly patterns and all of his unique patterns that sort of the world would never see, so to speak. And Mm -hmm. at that time, I wasn't, you know, really hardcore making films. I I was like more more identifying as a writer, which is kind of is what I went to school for and sort of maybe where some of the storytelling 
stuff comes from. I've kind of been a been a writer for my whole life, but we were going to make a book called Denny's Flybox, and I wanted to, you know, mm. preserve preserve the legacy of his flies because, you know, in in the interest of like not promoting yourself, um, you can say hi. Here, <laughs> what's up, buddy? <laughs> That's awesome. Hello. What's your name? What's your name? Um, my name is Noah. Noah, like, what's up, big man? Do you like to you fish? Noah? Yeah. Do you fish with daddy? Yeah. What's your favorite kind of trout? Um, daddy's favorite kind of trout. Yeah. Yeah. What's his favorite kind of trout? My favorite kind of trout is brown trout, and even Daddy's trout favorite is brown trout. Nice. Do you need anything? No. Are you your dad's fishing buddy? Oh, sorry. I'm I'm wearing the headphones. They want to know if we go fishing together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's how. Hold on. <laughs> we are going to go fishing together soon. We like to go. Yeah, we like to go. Um, do you need anything, dude? No. Okay. All right. I love you. Love you. Go watch, go watch the rest of that show. <laughs> um, dude, he's cute. So, I, <laughs> were we talking about? Yeah. Oh, so, okay. I, I know where we were. Um, I felt like for for the legacy of those fly patterns to be preserved, we had to make an effort. And mm -hmm. Denny's, you know, cut from a cloth where, you know, he's kind of he's against really promoting yourself and sort of like, yeah, you know, yeah. humble to a fault. And it, it's a you know, it's a totally different generation. But I felt I felt compelled to kind of take that on and we you know we we talked about it but we never started we never started getting the pictures together or you know writing the stories down and i ran into him like three years ago um i think i, I was guiding full time at the time and had had dropped off my customers for the day and he was like picking up some hooks or some fly time material or something and um you know, we we were always close when we worked at the shop, and he just kind of pulled me aside and was like, "Yeah, I just uh, just got diagnosed with Parkinson's," and and it just kind of it hit me pretty hard because I know that his thing is tying flies and that that would compromise it. And so, you know, I said, "All right, well, we really need to make that." And I had a you know one not even one year old at the time, so life happened, and you know, we we just found the time this fall and. You know, Denny's Denny's almost eighty now, so we felt we felt compelled to make the film. You know, despite COVID and yeah. all the all the obstacles to filmmaking this year. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's off, It's absolutely awesome that you did because uh, the film's amazing. So I think that um, uh, it's you know it's great that you were able to to make it um, when you did. Um, what were some of the challenges that you, you faced? You know, you talk about making it during the COVID year and, you know, life uh, kind of in the way, but what were some of the other challenges that might have gotten in the way? You know, I, I mean, we were we were limited by kind of how, you know, number of shooting days because of COVID and we kind of didn't want to like, you know, I 
I was just so stressed out about, you know, giving it to him somehow because he's mm-hmm. 78. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I think probably our, our biggest limitation was, you know, sort of what, what we could accomplish, you know, given Denny's health. But, you know, he he pushes everything, you know, as, as far as he possibly can. And, you know, he has, he has like, at, at this point in his life, he has good days and bad days and sort of, you know, we had some of each while filming. But, you know, I think for Aaron, who's kind of the, the other character, uh, Denny's longtime fishing buddy, who's a woman that's like 30 years his junior, um, but they, they have a special relationship that the film explores you know, for her, it was sort of a rude awakening because they hadn't fished hard for maybe three or four years. And so, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it hit her pretty hard because then he's gotten older and, you know, some of his illnesses have, have pr- progressed a little bit. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think I he- I hesitate answering the question in that way because mm-hmm. I don't really, you know, Denny doesn't see his health as a limitation ever, but you know, I, th- I think it created some challenges from right. a, from a filmmaking perspective. Right. But but it did like you know bring a, a, a there's a, an honesty there that I think was um, um, a rawness that I think people will appreciate when they find when they when they do see the film. So um, yeah, I, like like you said, I don't see it as a limitation either. I just see it as good storytelling, honest yeah. storytelling. You know. And I mean, if, if I can piggyback on that real quick, like. Yeah, for sure. I think it's. I think I. I, always, I approach filmmaking as you know, documentary filmmaking at least is, is mm-hmm. true journalism as far as I'm concerned. And I, you know, in my films, I never. I never script anything. I don't. I don't really make shot lists. You know, I like to just try to, be there, while things mm-hmm. happen. And so I think like honesty, is really kind of close to, the cornerstone of, what I try to do. Is I. You know. I. I I try to let the characters and the story speak for itself and sort of, you know, figure out, figure out what the story is afterwards. You know, I don't, I don't try to fit things into my preconceived notions of, of what the film is going to end up being. You know, I start with, with, with a place where I think there's a story and then I try to, I try to go capture it and kind of, you know, let, let things happen a little bit. Matt, this is, this is the first film of yours that I've seen personally. And, you know, without having seen any of the other films that you've made, Denny's Flybox is a truly authentic film. Um, it's a very apt thing you said about your style of filmmaking because it it shines through really well. I mean, nothing is forced, and that's something that people very easily see through in a lot of films. Um, and it's, it's not anywhere present in your film. It's a very authentic genuine story thank you yeah I, I appreciate that and i i had a film um in i think the 2017 f3t and um it was called Landsick. and it you know kind of the same deal it is about a, a musician a lifelong musician who's a fly fishing guide and a new father and really our, our approach i mean i spent a lot more time shooting that film but i i went on tour with the musician you know for weeks at a time and you know we we sort of just 
let let the story happen and then kind of tried to like tell it in in a, a really authentic way and it, it ended up getting a um a drake award that year for best story so thanks you know if i if i could be known as like somebody who's cares about the story you know that i think that would be pretty cool yeah absolutely so, it's, at yeah. The, it's at the base of any good movie is a is a well-crafted story yeah, and uh, this kind of rolls into our next question uh, nicely, actually, um, because you had no sponsors for this film, and uh, in a way, maybe you're kind of proud of that. Uh, why? <laughs> why is that? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, yeah, I think I think that I'm I I decided to kind of lean into it, you know, because uh, you know I it, I got it in front of some people, and I've been in the industry for a while and so I know enough people and and you know you kind of as a filmmaker you start to hear you know you hear a lot about budgets and you know I think I think at the end of the day if a, if a company wants to be involved in a project you know they'll they'll find a way but I think kind of leaning into the the fact that for whatever reason nobody decided to get behind this movie you know is mm. is I I look at it as sort of a punk rock you know way to go about it and just sort of say I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to you know make films that I believe in and you know I I think it's it's complicated but I think that you know I don't care that much about selling stuff mm-hmm. and you know I care about the sport of fly fishing and you know all all of the rich stories that are are out there just just waiting to be made and i think whether or not you know brands get behind it it's it's still important and i i I still want the younger generation to have people to look up to like denny and you know like the the old guard that's you know starting to get pass away or get pretty old like lefty cray and joe brooks and and you know all the rest and I, th- I think it's important you know I think that people getting into the sport need to kind of see the rich history and and I see Denny as sort of a, an unknown legend you know do you yes. think um, do you think everyone has a Denny Daddy, I, got I think for you. Just got a present from Noah. Oh, right on. <laughs> is, it, is it a Denny? They score. Thanks, dude. Yeah, dude. He's like, do work. Do work, Dad. Um, You're not working enough. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, I, I think, I think, yes, you know, I think people, you know, we, we all should be so lucky to have a Denny. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think on some level that the, the story kind of, speaks to anybody who's ever had a mentor Mm -hmm. you know whether it was fly fishing or fly tying or woodworking kayaking skiing golf you know i think people that truly care about things you know end up sort of not being able to help themselves from sharing it with others because i think that's it's part of the human experience is things are are more rich when we can share them i think Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you think there's like um, other kind of unknown heroes out there? Yes. Yes. And it's something I think about a lot. And so within our sport, you know, there's, there, you know, 
I have a I have a short list compiled of kind of other other films I'd like to make of you know living legends in my state and beyond my state and you know I think there's there's a disconnect between that generation and kind of you know the the Instagram generation that is yeah. is really good at self promotion mm-hmm. and you know nine times out of ten I mean the the gnarliest cowboy you know is probably somebody who doesn't even say like a word around the campfire you know what I mean yeah, to totally. to extend extend a little bit of a metaphor but a good analogy yeah I I, I think like that. that you know certain and and i you know i kind of one of one of the other things i'm involved in is i i run a small film festival that's you know kind of friends with the f3t called the montana fishing film festival and we we focus on local you know backyard angling people fishing close to home and Mm -hmm. the 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 reason i bring that up is because you know i'm involved with young filmmakers a lot and I try to tell everyone that, you know, there's there's store there's so many stories out there. You know, you you don't to make a successful film, you don't have to travel, you know, halfway around the world um, with a forty thousand dollar budget. You know, and, and in the in the, the 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 days of the pandemic, you know, I think we're all stuck a little bit closer to home, and I just encourage people to you know sit down and. You know, if you are an aspiring filmmaker, maybe think about a story where the fishing is, you know, 50% of it or, or secondary to the characters, because that's what that's what we all connect with at the end of the day is, you know, the, the human experience, you know, we're all just, we're all just trying to figure it out. It's when the fishing compliments the characters, not the characters complimenting the fishing. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's, I that's like, where I like at. the way you said that it makes, that makes a lot of sense. And there's a lot of truth behind that. Yeah. And your story is one of those. It's, it's a hundred percent. It's got good fishing in it, but the story is about Denny Wong. And we, we don't, like I said earlier, we don't want to say too much about it to ruin it for people. Cause we're certainly, we've all watched it. We love it. We're excited for people to see it. Uh, it's a great story. Yeah, it's just a yeah. good story. It's uplifting, and I think it it will truly resonate with everybody because fly fishing is not an easy sport to get into. Um, it, Denny would be the first to tell you that. But everybody has that person in their life at some point who has helped get them through. And yeah, Den, Denny's story is awesome, and your relationship with him is cool too. It was cool to get to hear kind of these extra stories behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. he's 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 a good one, you know, through and through. He's just a he's just a kind soul, and you know, would give you the shirt off his back, but sort of, you know, doesn't he doesn't like to talk about himself. So, you know, I I mean, I I, I think really the reason he even agreed to make it was was for me, you know, yeah. and I, and I wanted to make it for him, so. It works out pretty well, I guess, and now now it's going out in the world, and I, you know I'm excited to see what what the reception is like. The world is ready to receive you guys. Absolutely, hundred um, percent. Okay, so we've got uh, five more questions, Matt. They're all kind of 
more general fly fishing questions. Sure. Um, so we're going to ask them now. And the first one is, if you had to pick a favorite fish, what would it be? What would your favorite fish be and why? If you had to pick. Um, oh, it's so, it's, that's so hard. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, we've had like a love-hate relationship, but I think I, I have to say wild steelhead. Nice, nice, nice. I just think I I just think that those fish <clears throat> constantly blow my mind that they even exist and that they've been resilient enough to, you know, withstand all per, sorts yeah, withstand of and persist. Of going out you know, the ocean to come back in there. Yeah, yeah I mean, water quality, dams, gill nets. I mean, it's incredible. You know. <laughs> Um. Yeah, so I, 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 I'd say wild steelhead. There's just something. You know, every everyone's different. There's they have so yeah. much character. So you, that's you like the you like the steelhead piece in this year's tour. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, you'll like it. Uh, number two is um. If you could fish anywhere in the world right now, where would you fish? Given Ooh. that uh, COVID uh, isn't a thing, or. Maybe it's the best time of year to, to, oh, to go man. to this place. Well, you know, I playing pretend. <laughs> I feel like if I if I answered truthfully, you know, it, I'd be doing a disservice to the steelhead that I love so much. So I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna tell you, and I'm going to say, um, very close second on my list is uh, Tierra del Fuego. I, I really want to fish for those. Mm. I want to swing flies for those. Yes. Those giant serum brown trout. That it's just, it just yeah. everything about that fishery just seems like so extreme and just so cool unique. So cool, yeah, and, and just you know, it's it's similar to steelheading, but a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more with you on that one. Oh my God. Um, number three is, uh, do you have like a favorite memory from shooting the film behind the scenes, maybe, or uh, just a moment that stands out? You know, that's um, that's harder to answer. You know, I think I think just kind of seeing seeing Denny's excitement. You know, when he just lights up when you start asking him about flies and fly patterns and. Yeah. Uh, you know, I being able to go down into his tying room for the first time and just kind of, you know, look around at everything and and see, you know, see his 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 lab, so to speak, was was really neat and just kind of connect with him on on that level. I think that's you know one of my favorite experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. would be super cool to see. Um, number four would be, uh, why do you fly fish, Matt? Why fish? Why fly fish at all? Oh, that's another good question. So next one. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I, and it's it's also a challenge to keep this short. But mm-hmm. so my my father passed away when I was sixteen, and my my world looked a lot different, and I was angry and and kind of just trying to kind of fuck shit up you know and and i i went um 
I was 17 or 18 and I went on a family vacation with a, a kid I grew up with to a steamboat and his parents booked us a guide day and you know we my family didn't do stuff like that but you know they they did and uh you know i i guess the the rest is history because i just at that time in my life it was it was kind of a way to it's kind of forced meditation and just a a way to kind of block everything out and i've i've got a pretty active mind and it just helped immensely you know and i think it's it's become fly fishing saves lives has become a little bit of a cliche but i think Mm -hmm. you know most things are such because there's there's a lot of truth to them and so you know i mean i really at this point i i just like i'm i I pretty much have to yeah to kind of maintain you know stasis yeah yeah i totally i feel you there i mean meditation and the kind of ability to just check out and focus on that one thing is a really nice really nice pause yep um okay this last question matt uh, is if you were a fly pattern, what would you be? Like, what fly pattern best represents you? <laughs> oh man, um, I think that I would be. Is it gonna be squirmy worm? A green butt, <laughs> a green butt skunk. Oh no! Oh, way. No way! No way! Two in a we, row. Yeah, we just our, the last interview was the same thing. That's awesome. <laughs> Wait, really? about it too that's awesome so why why the green butt skunk i i think because you know i think because i i'm i'm kind of difficult in a lot of ways you know i think that you know i it so like it it had to be a steelhead fly and then you know Mm -hmm. it had to be a a wet fly and it had to be something Mm -hmm. traditional because it's like you know you you fish that fly because you just you stubbornly you, you yeah. want to catch steelhead <laughs> in a certain way and yeah. you know but i but i think like i don't i i, I didn't want to pick like anything too esoteric because you know i think i think that that you know ha- presents certain challenges so mm-hmm. i picked the green butt skunk you know it's like the yeah. it's like the pheasant tail of steelhead love wet it, flies i love like, it I, just made yeah. my day but it's yeah, you know awesome. also it's solid it's just a solid pattern it can mm-hmm. be tied in like a lot of variations and like mm-hmm. i think you know i try to be a solid person to friends in my life and stuff like that so you know i don't know how deep you want to get but yeah I'm a, I'm i love it man it. that's perfect no no it's great it's perfect it's great well matt it's awesome yeah, this is awesome having you on this is fun to get to chat for a little bit cool to totally. get to hear about the film we're so excited to release it on uh, march 10th couldn't come soon enough uh we're excited for the world to to know Denny's story and to see your amazing work and we're happy to have you part of the tour. Yeah, likewise. It's been a great experience and uh, you know, check it out. Click the link, as they say. <laughs> yeah. tip, tip of the hat to you, Matt. Really great film and uh, you know, we got the opportunity to watch it to prep for this um, interview and uh, it was such a nice it's just such a nice piece and people try not to like get, you know, give away too much here because I really would yeah. like to talk about specifics, but yeah. um but it really was quite touching, you know? Yeah, Thank you. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thanks Thanks for watching it. Yeah. yeah, of course. Well, we appreciate you coming out, Matt. We'll talk soon. Okay. Sounds good, guys. Thanks, Matt. All, All right. Take care. care. Dropped in the Pacific. Directed and produced by Jessica Haydall. This is Jessica.
Awesome. Well, yeah, Jess, thank you for taking the time to meet with us. We're we're stoked to have you. We're so fired up about having your film in the tour this year. Uh, to get started, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you grew up in British Columbia. Yes, Vancouver, British Columbia. Awesome. Right, another Canadian. Good old Canadian. I was not saying a fellow Canadians. Yeah, there we go. Uh, could you just tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got into filmmaking, and then we can launch into some of our questions. Yeah, I'm a full-time professional uh, commercial photographer in the sports fishing industry, and I've been running my business for about 15 years, but I photograph like everything throughout my career. I started, you know, shooting in the NHL. I've got to photograph NBA, CFL football in Canada, and, uh, you know, NHL players really love to fish. And right. so I eventually got sent north to some northern lodges in um, Canada, in uh, Haida Gwaii, and suddenly kicked off my career in the sports fishing industry. Oh, nice. Mahadi, yeah. beautiful. Love it. Awesome, Jess. So to start things off, this is your this is your first film in the F3T, correct? Yeah, I am beyond excited. You know, it's it's an honor to be a part of it. It's, you know, it's the main show. The F3T is the big ticket, the big boys club, I like to call mm. it. So I'm I'm super excited to have a film in it, and yeah, um, it's, the, it's the big girls club now. The big girls club, exactly. Um, and, and also, it looks like the films this year are super awesome and and diverse, which is really cool to see. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to hear everybody's response on all the films and, and the tour in general. Now it's it's an amazing lineup. So. This is your first film on the tour. Now, you had just mentioned you work as a full-time photographer. Was it difficult at all balancing kind of what you do for a living between making and shooting this film? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I work on the commercial side of it, so I shoot mostly product, and I shoot mm -hmm. from the conventional side of the industry to the fly fishing side of the industry. Unfortunately, the majority of the money is in the conventional side. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, you know, when you walk into Cabela's or, or Bass Pro Shop, like that's where you'll see my imagery kind of stuff. So for me, like the commercial side of it, I don't generally get sent on trips to say Christmas Island. Uh, you know, so I usually have to kind of pre-plan out maybe what I want to shoot for stock photography for edit mm -hmm. editorial pieces. So mm -hmm. for me, the Christmas Island trip, actually, we had pre-planned out to shoot a film, um, but I also had lined up an editorial um, piece with Angler's Journal magazine at the time. So the goal was to go there, shoot for Angler's Journal, and then also have this film come out. Uh, so where it was going to come out, I wasn't sure. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure at the time who, if it would ever get accepted. Um, but we kind of held it, I held it back for, um, I, I submitted last year, but then I held it back. So no one's seen it unless you've been at a live preview. I think we mm -hmm. did two live previews. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it wasn't challenging balancing that, I guess I would say, because I was technically there for work and the film part of it just was also part of the goal while I was there. So. Awesome. It was a it was a lot, yeah, <laughs> but sure. a lot of stress on myself. <laughs> That's sure. Awesome. How have you felt? Um, you know, like as a female photographer, like full time in the fly fishing world, how have you felt? You know, coming into the space, like how has it been um, for you and getting into fly fishing photography? Um, and you know, I mean, it's great that more women are getting into the sport because we just we don't need as many guys as we have in this in this fly <laughs> fishing thing. You know, so what has that kind of process been like? Yeah, I mean. Um... Let's see. So I've been working full time in the sports industry for close to seven years now, yeah. uh, where I had where I could drop all the other stuff I used to photograph and I can solely concentrate 
trait just on shooting product for brands. Mm -hmm. In terms of the overall industry, uh, if you put fly and conventional together, there's two of us females in the whole industry working full time. Uh, and, you know, we're both Jessica's Jessica McLaughlin, awesome photographer, editorial writer out of Missoula. And I'm just outside of Missoula as right. well. But, you know, I kind of span across both sides of the industry. But in terms of full time, we're it. Um, there is a couple other girls around that are starting to really like get some of their work published, which is just awesome. And so, um, it's actually been a pretty great transition. I think, um, I get, I do get asked that a lot as being a female kind of, how do you find it? Definitely when I've started, I've missed opportunities because it's kind of a boy's trip. You know, I, right. I get told that I've been working long enough and I've worked myself up mm -hmm. high enough in this industry that I am now just hired on my work and yeah. merit. So I really don't run into it as much. I find it's more when I get sent to photograph someone, whether it's fly or uh, conventional, mm -hmm. I usually have to like line out my credentials to them, <laughs> you yeah. know, okay. Like, and then they're like, oh, okay, you do know what you're doing. So unfortunately there's that aspect. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that will ever go away. Right. I can line out my credentials. I'm okay with that. You know, I show you my wall of magazines. I'm all right with that. You know, I worked hard <laughs> enough to be able to like, like be excited about that and, and to be confident about that. So, yeah. um, yeah, I think the transition's been, been good. Um, I, there's so many women that fly fish that's, I run into more women in the fly fishing side than I do in the conventional offshore side. Right. So when I'm shooting fast fishing all the way to, I was, uh, photographing a release, a satellite tagging of swordfish last week in Florida. So, Wow. I don't cool. see a lot of women on that side of the industry. Mm -hmm. So it's super exciting transitioning into kind of shooting more fly fishing and filming more fly fishing. And then suddenly there's like these groups of women. And so I belong to like, you know, our, our uh, fly fishing group here in Missoula. Um, mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's women groups all over. I just did a talk yes, uh, Saturday for the Delaware fly fishing uh, women's group. So I almost find like you guys are way more inclusive already at this point than the conventional side has gotten. So right. kudos to, to the fly fishing community on that. Yeah. That's great to hear. Great. Well, on the, on that note of, um, you know, like you said, there's lots of groups of, you know, um, ladies getting into it and certainly we've had a few on our show actually. Um, but, um, you know, the film has a bunch of badass ladies in it. Um, can you tell us about like, what brought that group together? Did you know each other before the trip or, or, or did you actually just come together on that trip? Uh, yeah, well, I, um, we have long winters here in Montana and I, but pre COVID, you know, uh, I had a, have a group of ladies that I tie with once a week. We, we get together, sit at a restaurant, we tie flies and we were sitting around one winter and we we're just like, this is that we just got to go somewhere. <laughs> we need to plan something. Totally. Let's get out of the cold. Yeah, and so um, I actually have become friends with some ladies that work with Casting for Recovery, an incredible um, organization within the fly fishing industry to support women with breast cancer. And it's just been, uh, it's been pretty incredible um, meeting the women who have been a part of this organization. I'm grateful that I get to film with them, uh, donate my services to film with them every year. Um, and so uh, one of the ladies, Peg Miskin, who uh, runs the, you know, this part of the Montana uh, fundraiser stuff, she like suddenly was like, we're going to Christmas Island. And there was three ladies I knew. And then she kind of just pulled the rest of them together from various uh, states. We had Wyoming, we had Wisconsin, 
We had two from Colorado, and then there was us, sorry, four of us from the Bitterroot here in uh, just outside of Missoula. And uh, so, so it was just a group of women. I didn't know most of them until we landed in Hawaii. That's where I kind of met everybody. But they, they did know I was going to shoot a film and follow them and photograph them the whole time. Uh, so they right. were aware of that. We had pre-planned that out, sent out questionnaires so I could kind of learn more about the women. Um, and in the end, yeah, it was, we had uh, age range from, I was 35 at the time, or yeah, 35 at the time, all the way up to 70 years old. Oh yeah, wow. So that was exciting. Because oh, you don't awesome. generally see that span no. in the industry. You know, when do you cover a 70-year-old woman just being badass and holding up a big bonefish? Totally. <laughs> well, and that's, that's what's so awesome about this crew of people you guys had assembled together. Um, it's just an authentic group, and they're an amazing amazing group of characters totally oh my god yeah, yeah. smoking cigars i love that i know love that sequence yeah they were actually <laughs> almost all of them were smoking cigars i have way more video of the cigar smoking but i think just like donna smoking a cigar was the she is like four foot nothing yeah. like she's she's itty bitty so when i'm not, when i'm walking the flats at christmas island waves are at my maybe my knees right or lower thigh it's at her hips or above for her, and she's out there just casting along and thing. so yeah, good. smoking cigars and just enjoying themselves. Like it's it the was best. just, it was really awesome to see. Yeah, it's pretty cool with the with the set of you know the dynamic weather you guys have to deal with out there. It's pretty cool to see a group like that just come together and hey, whatever happens, they go out there and have a good time, and that definitely shines through in the film. It's awesome. Yeah, and definitely like Christmas Island, it was interesting. We are the, we were the second the second group of all females. I believe it was Carly Rowland who maybe had the first group there um, the year prior. So we were the second group there. So we did run it. You don't see it in the film because, yeah. you know, I, I, that, I was trying to keep things happy and light and go luck. You know, it was an exciting film. Um, mm -hmm. It's my version of like bros high-fiving in slow motion. <laughs> so, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's Classic just like that montage. was my version of it. Um, <laughs> we did have a lot of pushback the first couple days from guides. We had guides taking rods out of girls' hands and um, not Crazy. letting them fish, like chasing their own fish. We had some serious issues. And luckily our lodge owners, super great people, super nice. We confronted them. They like contract their guides in from the island. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, next day they showed up with all like the old timers in the industry on yeah. Christmas Island. And these guys like English was perfect. Just super excited to fish with us. Mm -hmm. um, some of the guys, their wives tie the flies for them. I just thought that was really That's cool. cool. That's cool. Um, and so, yeah, we had pushback and it was definitely some barriers at Christmas Island. They're not used to uh -huh. seeing a group of women and there is a hierarchy system there. You have to, we can't just go yeah. into a country thinking it's going to be more similar to the United States. It's just not going to mm -hmm. work that way. So we have to ease people into some things sometimes, even if yeah. it's, you know, 2021. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting to hear because you don't see that at all in the film. And that wasn't the focus of it, honestly, but kudos to you guys for making it happen. I mean, regardless, it's not yeah. easy to come up to any wall like that. Um, and I know you could speak to it well through your experience going out there to Christmas Island, but you guys made it happen and it it's cool to see the film come out of it. Uh, so Jess, you're, you're amazing talent. Thank you. Uh, Thank you're you. a perfect role model for boys, girls, men, and women who want to get into filmmaking. You know, what's one thing that you would say to the next generation of filmmakers? 
Yeah, I mean, um, it's a little different now. We are dealing with a very YouTube generation. We're dealing with a, a generation that's very um, used to having things happen right here, right now. Mm. Um, I, I love YouTube University. You know, I, I don't think you necessarily have to go to conventional school anymore, even though I did. You know, I have a business degree and a photography degree as well. So, and, and I found incredible benefits in it. So the thing though, that most of the younger generation don't understand, and I a lecture on it to groups and also, you know, I give presentations and I talk to my former um, university about it as well and talk to the students, is that, that it won't come overnight and you really do have to put in your time, especially in an industry like the fishing industry, where mm -hmm. it is very close knit, it's all about contacts. And your career can really be launched by who you know, when you've met them, and how you've been introduced to the rest of the, the, the companies mm -hmm. in the industry. And um, that is how I've propelled my, my career forward. But I've been shooting for 15 years. So 15 yeah. years to finally in the past you know, six years to be um, you know, known in an industry, a specialized part of the industry, it's, it's putting in that time. And so, you know, I, I've had a lot of people reach out. They send me like, how do I start shooting for brands? How do I get my work noticed? Put in your time and no one likes to hear it because we all love to, you yeah. know, flip through our Instagram and now our brains have been programmed different, you know, instant gratification too. But like the one thing I always say is start getting out there and creating the work that you want to be hired for. That's the, that's the best, fastest way you can start that's to move great, forward. That's a great, yeah. That's so a great you, nugget of advice. If you want to be a filmmaker in the fishing industry, if you want to be a photographer, you know, and, and maybe, you know, first of all, I always do tell photographers, specifically photographers, uh, and I, I think it goes for filmmakers, just start shooting anything and anything you can to be hired full time as a photographer or filmmaker in any industry. I mean, I've shot weddings, baby portraits, real estate. NHL, I've shot everything to make me a well-rounded photographer to make me line up at this point and I can go out and shoot for whatever company, I mean, whatever they need basically is mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. So mm -hmm. start just shooting and then in your free time, start shooting that work you want to be hired for. Start submitting to editorial magazines while magazines are still around. I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it seems like they're kind of dropping like flies these days, but you know, start making the work you want to be hired for and put in that time, learn your mm -hmm. camera, you know, I, I always say don't fiddle with things. Learn things right from the get-go so you can really, uh, you know, not be hindered by anything mechanical and you can just be creative and that will help propel you forward. But it's time. No one likes to hear that. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it is. It's, it an, is. it's an important piece of advice. Now, one super quick follow-up question to that. Yep. You know, we get a big following of kids that come to a lot of the F3T shows. What would your advice be to any little boys or girls who, I mean, you have, you know, made your name in, in your profession, you know, even for kids who might not want to be filmmakers, you know, what would your advice be to them to succeed professionally like you have? Yeah. I mean, I think it is uh, all about, it's never going to be handed to you. You have to work for it. Um, and, and that's really what it comes down to. I have incredible nieces and like little, little nephews. And I have some, uh, I have a 17 year old niece. I can't even believe it. It blows my mind. <laughs> and so, um, I feel old. <laughs> so, you know, like for them, I hope what I am showing to them is that if you just continually to work hard and, and, and 
not wait for opportunities. Things aren't going to be handed to you. You have to work hard for it. So whether that is taking on um, furthering your education, moving forward, you know, work hard in school. I think you learn so much more from post-secondary education in some mm -hmm. regards. I, I'm married to someone who uh, didn't finish university, but my husband, um, you know, has more certificates than any normal human being for diesel mechanics and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> so he's taken it upon himself to take courses and, and certify himself mm -hmm. and other things to enrich him as a whole human being. And that's like the basically the thing for little kids and stuff is that you just have to work hard for it and, and be out there and learn. Like, just be a sponge. YouTube University is amazing for that. You can actually learn really amazing things off YouTube. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, hundred awesome. percent. I wish they paid me. Pay <laughs> <laughs> us. Yeah. Um, okay, Jessica, we've got five more questions that are just kind of more generally fly fishing questions. Um, so we're going to ask you them now. And the first one is, uh, if you had to pick a favorite fish, what would it be? Uh, I love trout. It's hard not to. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally. hard not to. Brown trout, like so lit up in the winter time, specifically here in Montana. Yeah. They are just like I, I have a crew of people because we only get to fish in the winter because the rest of the season is when I'm working. Yeah. And they're and all my friends are guiding. So we have like the winter crew. We go out when it's miserable and catching a brown trout in the winter, hands down, just lit up, super gorgeous, blue in their cheeks yeah. and stuff. Stuff you don't yep. necessarily see in the summer when it's hot out. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. Very cool. Yeah. Um, well, that's my um, my run into question number two. Uh, but if you could fish anywhere in the world right now, given that it's the best time of year to to fish, and yeah. also given that maybe COVID doesn't exist, um, where would you go and why? I'd love to go to Argentina. Uh, that will definitely happen at some point. I know it. I just want to photo everything like like take a photograph like photojournalistic trip down there and yeah. document everything from the food i eat to the characters to the fishing and the landscape like that that is like kind of how i'm trained is in the photojournalism side of the industry so mm -hmm. like yeah. that yeah hands down second norway oh, i want to yeah. fish in norway my family's from norway so just like oh, yeah. i want to fish norway Oh yeah, it looks like such a cool place to go, Norway. It's something, and we don't hear that that often, you know. I yeah, I ice fished there when I was three. Uh, nice. You know, all my my all my father's an immigrant to Canada, yeah. So all my family's there. So I I did ice fish there when I was three years old. But I would like to go fly fishing in Norway. Yeah, heck yeah, <laughs> big yeah, big salmon, big Atlantic salmon. Yeah, be awesome. Um, okay, so number three is um, what is one of your favorite memories from making this film? how difficult out. it was i really bit off more than i can chew i filmed and i shot editorial photography actually I have a entail fly fishing magazine uh, in the march issue we have a we have the cover and a whole story behind the lens i wrote an editorial piece about what it was like to photograph it and uh, let me tell you i put a lot on my plate and i stressed the crap out of myself and so i'm most proud about that you know, looking back, I did it. I achieved it. It was crazy. You know, coming out with like 8,000 images after a shoot that I also video full time. Jesus. Crazy it, amount of It was film. crazy. Yeah. That was a lot of information. And then dealing with like everything from the humidity there, mm -hmm. the rain. We had insane rain the whole time. It rained on us almost every day for huge chunks of the day. So dealing with like that kind of an environment it really put me in my element of, mm -hmm. you know, I'm very proud of we what we accomplished in the end. Totally. Yeah. Um, more existential. 
But sure. uh, why do you fly fish? Why fly fish at all? Uh, well, actually, I so I only started five years ago or so uh, when I, I met my husband. I finally got to move to the United States. I immigrated here, and we um, we you know we live in Montana. So I was like, I need to fly fish. So <laughs> didn't learn. I did not learn from him. He's not a great teacher. <laughs> but um, the thing with fly fishing is, so I grew up conventional salmon fishing on the the Pacific Northwest, like yeah. you know boats, downriggers. That's kind of the stuff. Uh, yeah. I have a special place in my heart for like uh, salmon fishing on super light tackle, um, you know, rods and stuff like playing even a 15 pound spring on a super light rod with light test line is so much fun. But uh, fly fishing is like the only thing I've found where I can like step out onto the river and two hours go by and I can be just, I'm just in the moment and I can't find many things where I'm in the moment because I'm always having to like think of light, sun, you know, like, what's behind the angler as I'm photographing. So, and there's something rhythmic to it. And I think that's what kind of plays into it. Yeah, totally. 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 Um, okay. And the last uh, of the five questions here is if you were a fly pattern, what would you be? What fly pattern best represents Jessica? Chubby Chernobyl. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's mine, man. Come on. <laughs> I'm, messy. I'm, I'm 2021. I've been training, training, uh, for a bike race. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, I think I'd be a, a some sort of parachute Adams dry fly, just nice. you know, chilling on the surface, doing my Love thing, it. floating down river. Love it. Um, yeah, effective, effective, classic, super effective, ra wide range of species, yep. and um, different sizes. You know, you can be on your small, tiny little uh, itty bitty rivers to some big water. Love it. I love it. <laughs> random <laughs> question. I know. Very random. Very random. But it's so much fun. It's a good one we've been ending on for all these. We love it. It's a, it's such a fun question that I, none of us, I certainly had never thought about before they asked. <laughs> it's, it's a good, good, fun question to prompt some good answers. Uh, Jess, we want to thank you so much for making a little bit of time. I know people are going to love hearing a little bit about your background. They're certainly going to love your film. We all yes. did. Yeah. Uh, we're yes. so excited to have you as part of the tour and thank you for taking some time to talk with us. I really appreciate it. And again, like I'm super excited for men and women to see just a group of really badass ladies just doing their thing and and hope like as we roll forward that this is just part of the normal. Like it I'm I'm grateful for breaking a glass ceiling this year. That is that is amazing. And, and I don't take that lightly. So, you know, I hope it just inspires more people to see themselves on the screen. We got a lot of women in the industry, like fastest mm -hmm. growing part of mm -hmm. the yeah. fly fishing industry. So hopefully this just kind of propels more women to just get out there and be like, Hey, these guys went to Christmas Island. I'm going to grab a group of ladies and we're yes. going to go on an adventure. So yeah. let's just make it part of the normal. So we don't have to have it this female and male totally. Thing. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. It shouldn't be a thing. Go out and have fun with your friends. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Jessica. Well, awesome. Well, thank Thanks, you. Guys. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Take care. Bye. Spot Burn, directed and produced by R.A. Beatty. This is R.A. Um, so to start things off, R.A., you have a super impressive bio. It's really cool reading about. Before we get started, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and kind of the path that led you to kind of the, the prominence that you're in right now? Sure. Yeah, so I started, um, I was born and raised in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado, and we lived kind of in the middle of nowhere, and we had a river running through our property, and we were really fortunate <clears throat> in that regard, and we didn't have a lot of uh, a lot of other things to do as kids, 
And so I think our nearest neighbor was like three miles away, for instance. Um, so my brother and I, uh, you know, spent a lot of time outside growing up, like a lot of kids do, and we uh, fished a lot. And then kind of transitioned from, you know, passion with fishing into, uh, you know, kind of working in fly shops, being a guide apprentice, being a fishing guide, that, that sort of thing. And then naturally, um, you know, we kind of grew up skiing and snowboarding and that sort of thing too. And so we were heavily influenced by a lot of the trends and the things that were happening with uh, snowboarding and skate and surfing and all that in terms of, you know, trying to capture, capture that media or that, uh, that experience in, in a different way. And I think we're all familiar with what, you know, surfing, snowboarding, skiing, just kind of what, what that media means to that industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we started grabbing, you know, old cameras back in the day. And I mean, we were shooting on just really, really kind of prosumer junky stuff, but we we're trying to capture fishing stuff. And then, um, you know, it just kind of naturally progressed. And then there was a whole bunch of different things that happened in the fly industry um things like the fly fishing film tour the drake five minutes of fly fishing you know people with diff- with similar interests coming together making content and it just continued to snowball over the last couple what 15 16 17 years yeah into where we are now yeah very cool and you had mentioned you've guided before yeah in the past yeah, I started off, um, so I was born and raised in the Roaring Fork Valley, so the Frying Pan River, the oh, Roaring nice. Fork, like, you know, all these incredible rivers right there in our backyard. Um, Beautiful up there. So, yeah, and just, you know, incredible fisheries, right? Um, and then, <laughs> actually, I started I started being a fishing guide right around when a river runs through it came out. <laughs> the so, boom. So, every, yeah, the big spike on the, yeah. on the, the fly fishing trajectory, and so everybody wanted to try out fly fishing you know we're gonna go horseback riding and we're gonna go whitewater rafting this weekend let's go fishing too so uh as a fishing guy there was a lot of work and it was yeah. it was a fun time to it was a fun time to be in that valley in that in that place so very cool so we'll we'll start things off with our first question ra how many years have you been making films for the film tour and could you name some of those films that people might have watched in the past Sure. I think so. I started I started Beatty Outdoor Productions, our media group, right after I got out of college. Um, and I think that was in 2005. And I think we've had an entry in every single film tour for the existence of the film tour. Um, I can't I can't remember all those titles. We've we've definitely the things that I like the most. We did a really cool piece with uh, John Gearak was in it and it was about the Arctic and the Arctic char up in the Northwest mm-hmm. territories. I still love that piece. I just love the, like, I love the characters and the fishing and it just, it, I just really like that one. It's unique, um, yeah. And then we spent a lot of time in Mexico with a bunch of friends down there. And so the, the Scorpion, uh, expedition Corazon, some different films kind of came out of there mm-hmm. and those were just really fun. I mean, those were just really early pieces, but they were really fun. Um, you know, the, the exploratory thing was just kind of starting to get going with the, the film tour. Yeah. So that was, that was exciting. Um, I don't know, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of different places, but it's been cool to, uh, it's just been cool to watch kind of the whole fly fishing film tour evolve and, and, and all these amazing creative forces come into it and these great stories. And it's just, it's been, it's been so cool to watch, you know, fishing was when I was a kid, I was the only kid in my class that fished. And, you know, if you grow up in these beautiful places and, and no one else fishes, it feels really weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's cool to finally see fly fishing kind of have, uh, 
you know, have have its place next to these other great recreational activities. Like, oh yeah, it's, and it's definitely yeah. taken on a a name of its own. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, just like flowing from that, um, you know, this this the this year there's you know nine ten short films on the tour, um, and there's been you know kind of a growth in people suggesting to add more shorts to the tour. Um, you help produce some of the little, uh, you know, content in between the movies. Um, can you tell us why maybe you think shorts or that kind of format is a good idea to have in these film festivals? You know, festivals are a funny animal, right? And uh, I think people, when they're watching media, they want they want certain things and they, they want to see great locations and they want to learn about new fisheries mm-hmm. and hear the development of great stories. But, you know, going back to the early days of like the film tour, it was these fish coming up and, you know, yeah. eating a dry fly totally. and slow motion or these tarpon jumping, you know, like that, that fish porn category is fantastic. Um, there's only so much you can take yeah. before you start to kind of just go numb to it. So I think <laughs> by having like little short pieces with a lot of high energy and a lot of fish porn, like helps elevate everyone's, uh, you know, kind of their mood and, and get them excited, but not kind of wear out the, uh, that fish porn, if you will. For sure. It's also kind of like a nice time. Like I, I, you know, I can imagine in the theater, like we always like saying, you know, one or two things to your buddy beside you in between the films, like, Oh, I really like that. Or, well, oh, wasn't that cool or something that definitely gives you that little breathing moment to, to do that totally. while at the same time still engaged in some pretty wicked footage. You know? It's, it's kind of, it's almost like yeah. a, a palate cleanser between yeah between different portions of a meal. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. No, that's great. Yeah, no, certainly. I mean, particularly if you're looking at, if you're looking at pretty heavy subject matter and then you need a little break, I mean, that's a good way to kind of totally reset totally. defenses. But yeah, uh, that's cool. That's cool that there's a lot of those in the tour this year. That's neat. Yeah. The footage is amazing. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, cool. So you're also, uh, you're, you know, you're a filmmaker, but you, you also have a side business to help make that uh, that lifestyle a reality. Can you tell us a little bit about your guitar company and, and also um, your relationship with Jeff Bridges, which is amazing? Sure. <laughs> so one of the realities of being uh, like, it's weird to call myself a fly fishing filmmaker because it's just been a passion forever. And it's, it's yeah. uh, one of the challenges is it's not a super sustainable um passion from an economic standpoint and so yeah. we've always had to you know anyone who's doing it knows that you do it for the love of it and you do it for the passion of it and uh if you have if you're trying to raise a young family you need a job outside mm-hmm. of that so i work for breed love guitar company based in bend oregon and so breed love has been here for about 30 years and i run the marketing and artist relations um it's a pretty interesting it's a pretty interesting uh, thing to be involved with because it's very similar to fishing in a lot of ways. Um, you have a lot of the same demographics and a lot of the same, you know, really passionate people as in fly fishing. They're there cause they love it. And they're, you know, they're devoting their time to an art form. So uh, one of the big things for us is sustainability. And so we work really hard uh, to make sure that all of our guitars and everything we're doing are fully sustainable and take care of the planet. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, Bridges really shares that that vision and that desire. And so we got connected with Jeff and we worked with him for about the last, I think it's been about a year and a half. Nice. And um, yeah, and, and he's just like one of the nicest, most genuine people ever. And he wants to protect our forests. And so we have a, a, a line of guitars with Jeff uh, 
that do just that. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. awesome. I mean, you've, you've got a for anybody listening, the who was at any of the national tour stops last year, we had a breed love guitar that we carried around with us. And if you were lucky enough to get to see it up on stage, uh, I play guitar myself. Ra, they're beautiful yeah. instruments, and they play beautifully. They're they're pretty amazing. And to be quite honest, I had never heard of breed love guitars before that, and it was cool getting to take one on tour with us oh, because man. we got we got to play it with different people at every stop. So if you guys That's are listening cool. and you were at one of the national tour stops last year. These are the guitars that he's talking about now to kind of help you connect the dots. It's an awesome uh, day job and an awesome side hustle. I mean, you've got it all kind of figured out guitars and fly fishing. We're just rolling. I mean, just like everyone, just (laughs) rolling through the chaos of this year and last year. And you know, it's it's one step at one step at a time. Right. Yep. And we've got some, we've, We've got some five questions to like finish out the show, but I just wanted to touch on the film really quickly. Um, this kind of theme of like spot burning for good is kind of an interesting theme. Yeah. Was it a hard debate to make this film like internally? Like, do we make this film? Do we do we shine a light on this? Probably not because it's you know shining a light on a problem. Yeah. But um, but well, yeah, no. I mean, fantastic question. Luckily, it wasn't our decision to make. Ultimately. Uh, <laughs> Well, because once for people that watch this, I mean, ultimately, um, the cool thing about this film is it goes very full circle about, I don't know, probably 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to go and travel through the Midwest and with I was working for Sims documenting a bunch of different fisheries. And so I had the opportunity to hang out with this group of guides on this this river. And they were really pretty interesting. Like a lot of guides, they had explained how they spent a very long time developing this fishery and putting their time in and, and making a viable, um, you know, guide business for themselves. But they were really protective of that resource because, I mean, you know, resources, a lot of resources can only take so much pressure, right? So they asked us to not use the name of the river and, you know, don't show this, don't show these landmarks, don't, oh, don't show that boat ramp. They were very protective. Um, mm-hmm. And then when they, when we came back and filmed this piece, they wanted us to use the name of the river. They wanted us to spot burn it, as as uh, as you mentioned, because they have to save this river from from a huge mine. It's a yeah. it's a cool yeah. call to action. Yeah, but that was their decision. I mean, you know, they're the ones who ultimately, you know, they had to make a decision: do we let out the name of this river mm-hmm. and you know burn our spot, and uh, or do we see it, you know, disappear at the hands of you know some ecological yeah. disaster? So they obviously went for the latter, and so yeah. really, that's uh, that's on them, you know. And hats off to them to totally. Yeah, it's kind of cool they chose to do that, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. It's it's the lesser of two evils, and the more people that know about it, the more people that can fight for it, you know. Totally, hundred percent. Yeah. So I'm uh, yeah. So so I'm really impressed with their decision making, and uh, hats off my hats off to them again. Yeah, it's cool. Well, they're lucky to have you on the project to to help tell the story. Oh yeah. man, it's fun. It's that's a great. The Midwest is the is the best. I mean, you know, for folks that we grew up chasing trout, or you know, if you grew up in the saltwater, you go to the Midwest, and there's just all these other species that are incredible. Well, it's almost it's, like, it's almost like the best of both worlds, Alex. Especially, I grew up in Minnesota, and small okay. bass. It's like it's like your freshwater being on a rivers, but it's with fish that are as aggressive as some salt fish so it's it's kind of the best of both worlds it's it's a unique place and you know the midwest is getting a lot more attention now and for good reason it's a really cool warm water fishery totally 
Yeah, no, and we grew. I mean, it was funny because we grew up, you know, watching like all this Sunday morning programming about fishing, you know, living in trout country. And so you watch these people catch like largemouth and smallmouth and walleye and pike. And, you know, you just, the grass is always so much greener on the other side. Yeah. We were like itching to get out there. So anyway, (laughs) it's a great, you're from a great place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay. So we've got five more questions that are kind of more just general fly fishing questions. Okay. Um, So we're going to ask them now. And the first one is if you had to pick, a favorite fish, Oof. what would you pick? <laughs> oh, man. That's a tough one, man. Um, I don't know. I got a pretty big spot in my heart for brown trout. And, uh, oh, man, tarpon. It's hard to not, not be in love mm. with tarpon. I don't – That's. I know that's probably most people's answer, but it, <laughs> it's probably a tie between brown trout and tarpon. I don't know if I could pick. Between that's, the two, that's a cool and then you tie, can do though. A man. Favorite fresh, a favorite saltwater. I mean, it works. I like it. Yeah, they're like both awesome. They're both awesome little critters. <laughs> Maybe one of them's not so little. Okay, number two. Given it's the best time of year to go, and given that COVID doesn't exist, um, if you could fish anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? Oh man, well, it's really cold here. Um, I think you could. I think you could probably drop me anywhere, anywhere warm, and I'd be pretty, pretty happy. Um, I don't know this. I mean, the Seychelles are kind of like that whole area is kind of like the Holy Grail. I mean, yeah. If you can go anywhere and there's no restrictions, drop me off anywhere in the Seychelles. I'll be good. That, that was my answer to RA. Was it? That's yeah. Where I would be headed to. You know what can you do? What can you say? Yeah, that's not a bad answer at all. Seychelles, my God, I'd love yeah. to be there right now. Totally. Looking out the window, it's awful. Um, yeah. number three is, uh, what's one of your favorite memories, uh, from, from producing and making this film from this one? Yeah. Um, you know, it was funny cause I, there's a lot of footage in here from when I actually was shooting with the folks originally, um, the, them, the folks being the guides. Yeah. Um, and it was fun to see, it was fun to see some of that old footage with, with some of the guides in there and like, like Tim, the main character. Um, you know, just see him They're They're such phenomenal people and they're such good friends now. And, uh, they, we, there's so much fun to hang out with that. Just watching, like watching that older footage and seeing pictures of him when he was a kid too, like when he was going back to Montana, like, I don't know, just seeing, seeing those guys kind of puts a smile on your face or at least it does for me. So just, just that connectivity with those folks was, was the most meaningful for me. Yeah, Tim. Tim's an awesome character. I, I, I can't imagine a world where people don't love him. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. a, he's a super likable, outgoing, familial, friendly dude. Right from the get go, we always have the best time stopping into their shop. Oh, I bet. Yeah, because you've been through there. Been yeah, through there. yeah. He's he's the best. Yeah, I just yeah no they so yeah I mean and that's the funny thing I mean I guess if you ask me about any of the projects we've worked on over the years like the connectivity with people, mm-hmm. you know yeah. and I think mm-hmm. that's that's what you walk away with after you know ten fifteen years of doing this is like it's consistently the friendships and the people that you meet along the way and like you know fishing's great fishing's going to be good it's going to be bad it's going to be whatever it is but um, the people that you meet along the way like that's 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 the value that I've had added to my life has been that personal side of it. Like that's how that's been more important than the fishing across yeah. the generation yeah. or across the years, you know, that's yeah. awesome. Nice. 
Um, okay, number four. Why do you fly fish? A little bit more existential of a question, but uh, why do you fly fish? Why fly fish at all? Ooh, mm-hmm. well, I don't know. I mean, I, now I'm I'm a little bit older and I've got a daughter who's six. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you kind of, as you get older, you get more responsibilities. And I think for me now, it's just like, I think when I was younger, I would have said, oh, it's because you can turn your brain off and, you know, you can really like be be kind of in the moment, but I don't think I really understood what that even meant until <laughs> I think it just sounded good. But yeah. now, uh, like, man, if you can get me away from like technology and people and, and, uh, responsibilities and you can just like quiet your whole brain and just shut everything down. Like that's, that's so important for people just to have that mm-hmm. a moment, particularly now when everything's so loud with mm-hmm. technology, like just to have that quiet moment of peace for you you know yeah yeah it's a great answer 100 percent um okay and the last question here is if you were a fly pattern what would you be what what fly pattern best represents you oh man (laughs) one (laughs) probably like a probably like a like a like a like a glow bug egg or something like that just like (laughs) roly-poly and soft in the middle and just I don't know. Nice. I don't know, man. Yeah, probably, probably something, something soft and soft and like not in great shape after COVID. <laughs> I love it. I love it. The glow, the glow bug. Yeah, nice little. Glow uh, bug, right? yeah. It's too funny, man. The, bu- the bumblebee pattern is my next favorite. <laughs> right, right, right. Tried and true classic fly. You know? <laughs> yeah. Glow bug. I think that might be a first for glow bug. To be honest, <laughs> I think. Well, Oh, that's awesome. Well, RA, man, hey, we appreciate you taking the time. I know uh, everybody who watched the film tour this year, they're excited to see Spotburn. We're excited to have it in it. We're excited to have worked with you yet again. And thank you for taking the time to meet with us and and talk. I know people are going to be excited to learn a little bit more about you and about uh, Batty Outdoor Productions and just the whole thing. We're excited to have you. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate your time, and I hope you. I hope the film tour is a huge success, and I hope everybody really enjoys it. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, con- man. Congrats, thank you. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you later. Escape, directed and produced by Ryan Kelly and Gilbert Rally. This is Ryan. We just want to say thank you, first of all, for making the time to meet with us. Well, uh, it goes without saying, dude. We all love the film. You did an amazing job with it. And it's kind of cool to get this behind the scenes stuff. I know everybody's excited to to hear kind of the man behind Escape. Um, mm-hmm. So to get things started, you've got in you wrote an impressive bio, Ryan. Uh, we're not going to say it verbatim here, but we would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and kind of how you got into all this. Uh, well, into like into the filmmaking aspect of it. Yeah, filmmaking, fly fishing. Well, um, well, just where I'm from, I'm from Flaming Gorge, Utah, um, you know, more specifically the town of Dutch John, where nobody knows where that is unless you fly fish, then everybody knows where that is. <laughs> um, you know, it's a town of 150 people, so it's a pretty small place. Small, small. Uh, we always kid, our, kid around, you know, a population is boats, dogs, people. <laughs> <laughs> At least one boat for every member of the family kind of thing around here. And then, uh, I don't know, fly fishing, I've been doing it my whole life. Um, so I don't, I couldn't even say where I got started in it other than it was just a family thing. 
you know, my earliest memories of life was playing with toys in the bottom of a boat. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, that's just kind of how it is. So I couldn't even tell you when I caught my first fish, right? It kind of precedes the memory, I guess. Um, it's sure it's part it of you. Dad hooking a fish, right? And let me reel it in kind of thing. Yeah. Something like that. So, yeah, I, yeah I've, I've shared, uh, you know, like a newspaper article of my grandpa in the 60s, uh, you know, showing him fishing and catching fish and stuff like that. So, so it, it's just part of family life, I guess. Fishing has been. Yeah, so you can definitely say it's part of you. And it's better yeah, for you from sure. the beginning. Yeah. I'd say, well, it's very evident from a lot of the footage you got, which we'll, we'll talk about a little later on. Um, but let's start with, what is your profession? Like, what is it that you do on a day-to-day basis? Uh, um, that's, I, I don't even know how to answer that anymore. <laughs> uh, I make cool content, but I, I don't know how to explain it other than that. Um, I wake up and, uh, you know, as the film explains uh, a little bit, you know, that every day I wake up in a lot of pain. I got to go for a walk. I started carrying, you know, I take a camera along and I just look for something cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, some days it happens and some days it doesn't. And uh, yeah, my job really is to just market, uh, help promote my community in the area that I live in. And uh, some crazy businesses decided they wanted to pay me for that. So <laughs> that's uh, the dream. Like, that's awesome. That's dream right there. When that happened, then it was never planned by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, that's really cool. And are you guiding in that area as well? I do guide a little bit. Um, I guide like two days a week. Um, but just a background, I used to guide 200 days a year. Mm. Um, and with my, my health situation, I had to back off to two days a week. And so mm-hmm. I generally turn away, I don't know, around 50 or 60 trips a year. So I just take the old, I call them old. Some of them aren't old people, but <laughs> people I've guided for a long time. Right. Yeah. Um, most of the people I guide with, I've guided more than 50 times. Wow, wow. That's so it's, it's kind of like family, you know, it's almost like just guiding family. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, anyone who asks me to guide new, I usually just refer them to one of the other great guides in the area. Yeah. You know, we have so many fantastic guides around here. I'm just an old husband. Oh <laughs> yeah. Right. I don't know about that. So, so, uh, <laughs> you're, you're modest is what you are and that's a good thing. <laughs> so, um, if you're, if you're on the river two days a week guiding roughly, how many days um, would you say you get outside to, you know, do your content capture, your videography, oh, photography? The, the other, the other five. Okay. <laughs> it's it's every day. I, I just, I, it's hard to fathom that, but I really like. I just got off a three mile hike just before the interview, right? Awesome. awesome. Like, before I sit down and, and chat, I wanted to get that in, and um, it's just an everyday thing. It's just part of life, no matter what the weather is, or you know, the weather doesn't care. My body doesn't care, so. And just make make the best of the situation. No yeah. breaks. So over the course of the year, you're you're out there. Every, yes, yeah, the- every day. Yes. So for the people yeah. listening, it's like it. I don't know. It's hard for a lot of us to to fathom that because it's you know it's a thing we get to do when you know when we have the time to go do it, and it's now part of your life that that is what you do. Uh, yeah. which is, yeah, which is, it's amazing to, to conceptualize it in your head. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard for me to conceptualize it, even though it happens every day. Yeah. Well, Ryan, you have some of the most, um, beautiful, amazing, intimate fish 
um, content that I've ever seen. Like I came across your profile on Instagram a while ago and I follow you because I was like, wow, these shots are like exceptionally just like, right. Like it's just stuff you've never seen before and people will see it in the film. Um, apart from, you know, your editing style, um, what, what does it take, you know, to get that incredible fish footage? And, and obviously, like you say, being present all the time, uh, it kind of, you know, opens that window up, but are there any secret tricks to, you know, getting these just like insane pieces of content that you're able to capture? Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I would call them tricks as much as a lot of it is just being present. Mm, right. Um, you know, I posted a video a couple of days ago that's, uh, you know, had a hundred thousand views or whatever and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And it was just being there, right. We were floating and I looked down and there was just fish. There was like a thousand fish sitting around the boat. Yeah. And I'd like to just carry the cameras with me. And I happened to have the drone in the back of the boat. So I popped it up, did a top down shot. And you can see a hundred fish in the shot and we hook a fish, you know, that's, um, cool. that's just luck in a sense. That's just being out there and being like, Oh, here's a cool situation. Um, a lot of the ones that maybe what you're referring to is the super tight close-up shots of fish. Yes. eating. Those are actually really, really um, challenging. Mm -hmm. um, they take a lot of patience actually. Um, so I generally wear camo, like some camo, I, I usually sit there for a while and let the fish get okay with me being there. Mm -hmm. uh, the fish generally, they don't like when the lens swings up or down. Um, right. That will spook them or like the reflection if the sun's at the wrong angle of reflection right. on the lens. Mm -hmm. um, another one is to make it smooth, you have to have a lot of core strength. So uh, I do a lot of ab, ab workouts, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to go along with all the other exercise I'm forced to do. Um, but also doing ab workouts that would be, um, camera movements. Okay. Uh, so if you thought of like a gimbal movement, like a yeah. tilt up or a tilt down or, or things like that, I actually working my abs to be strong that way to get those. And I don't know, sometimes I think that sounds kind of kooky or whatever, but it's things that keep me interested. If mm -hmm. that makes sense. When you're just forced yeah. to do something all the time, mm -hmm. you just think of dumb stuff to like kind of pass the time almost and just mix it up and be like, man, let me see if I can do this today or, or how can I achieve this? And, and realizing that sometimes there, there's a lot of thought that goes in the process to get something oh, I bet. Uh, I bet. to make it more cinematic, not just capture the moment, but be yeah. like, Hey, how can I make this kind of a cinematic feel? Yeah. Um, you know, versus just a documentary feel. Uh, yeah. I, if you see my editing style, obviously I don't really like documentary the documentary feel of it, which some people love, but that's not, not what I love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, right down to the framing, you know, the lighting that you've chosen in the shot. I mean, the, some of the shots are just amazing, you know, seeing like a, a, a bunch of mayflies and a trout come up to sip it in the way that you've captured it. It's like stuff I've never seen before. So, you know, I think the persistence definitely pays off for sure. Cause it's just beautiful, yeah. beautiful yeah, stuff. Well, there, yeah. There's no doubt you have an eye for it too. I mean, it's kind of a, yeah. kind of a perfect storm of things coming together. You obviously know how to use your camera very well. You understand these fish very well. It's it's truly amazing to see what you capture. I know people are going to see that when they watch the movie, but this is kind of going to help give it some context because I think a lot of people see footage like that and they think, how? Mm -hmm. Like, how on earth? Anybody who spends time on a trout river, I mean, mm -hmm. we know how sneaky these fish can be. And the the level of intimacy that a lot of your footage has with these fish is, is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. If I didn't know how films were made and I we weren't able to chat right now, I would assume you put a GoPro on a Mayfly. <laughs> you know, that's what I would think. 
I've, I've done some weird stuff like that, but uh, those don't work so well for it. I've that's the, that's the name of a production company right there. GoPro on a Mayfly. Yeah. 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 No, that's wicked. Um, okay. We've got five kind of more general fly fishing questions that we want to ask you. Um, so this first one is if you had to pick a favorite fish, what would it be? What would your oh, favorite well, fish be? It's golden Dorado. Oh yeah. There you go. So I quick. Think, uh, no if, ands or buts. What, what about golden Dorado makes that your favorite? Um, I, they're just, I always thought if Satan made a fish, like if I said, <laughs> that's yeah. the fish that was made. They're just angry all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, they just hit the way they hit is super hard. Um, I've, injured my fingers you know many times wow and then, you know then they're on a pogo stick and then they go on long runs fast runs like a bonefish mm-hmm. just kind of like the best fight of everything that the strike of a pike the you know jumping like a tarpon and running like a bonefish i it, it has all those aspects to it i guess is what i love about it and then you know most fish swallow their prey and the way their jaw structure they tend to chop things in half Um, And so the, you know, it just makes for a really violent take. And I guess I'm just morbid that way that I just love the violent aspect of it. (laughs) They're so cute. They're such a cool looking fish. So yeah, it's it's a great answer. Well, I think this answers the question I'm about to ask you, but number two is uh, if you could fish anywhere in the world right now, given that it's the best time to do that. And also that maybe COVID didn't Uh exist. Where would you go? Oh yeah. So that, that'd be redundant, I guess. that's, That's where I would go. Um, so I used to, I used to live in Argentina that used to be home. Oh, okay. Um, I, and I haven't been able to, you know, since my health issues and stuff, you know, my friends call and they're like, Hey, get down here or whatever. It's good. You know? And, and it's, it's been hard not to be able to go. Um, you know, and that COVID's added to that, I guess. But, um, yeah, I mean, I have a giant mural painted in my basement of a Dorado eating a bird. Um, it was one of the coolest moments of my life it was watching that actually happen in real life um so yeah i think about it all the time every time i walk down the fly tying room oh man golden dorado eating a bird that's a wicked mural i love that (laughs) um this third question is do you have a favorite memory for making this particular film or like one standout moment no actually most of it i try to forget <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, most when I went through the process when when we did when I did acquiesce to make the film, mm-hmm. it's probably the right way to say it because I was pretty hesitant to make it. Um, it just jogged a lot of painful memories mm-hmm. yeah. of each of those days. Um, to be honest, yeah, a lot of those were uh, uh, during the time when I was going through a lot of testing and diagnosis and stuff like that was when I captured a lot of that footage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a really, really rough, rough time. So, yeah, I kind of look back at that and just think, I don't know, it just kind of jogs those memories of right of that, how crappy it was. So, yeah, so that's kind of a funny, funny moment. I guess, you know, one of the only ones where I was like, yeah, that's awesome is that there's that sequence of that you referenced of, yeah, like they're eating mayflies yeah. by like big gulps, right? Yeah. Um, and I guess the positive of that I was sitting on the couch and just looking at the sky, looking at the wind. And I just thought, man, those mayflies are going to be blown stacked on trail side in this one particular spot. And I walked there and they happened to be there, um, and was able to get the shot. And I was just excited cause I had 
I've been trying to get a shot that tight for a while that I wanted a shot where the fish filled up most of the frame. Right. Man, um, I hadn't really been able to get one in focus. I almost got it, you know, probably 10 or 15 times where, where something was slightly out of focus or this and that. So um, that that was cool to, to make that happen. Um, and then some of the wildlife shots in there too, actually. Yeah. Um, being pretty close to some of those animals was pretty fun. The moose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that the moose shot there. Um, there's a bighorn sheep one right there where I'm focused right on his eye, right? More so, than that shot right there. Just that kind of intimate setting of, I don't know, it wasn't very far from him. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of just playing a game of cat and mouse trying to <laughs> get that shot. That's awesome. Um, number four, why do you fly fish? Why fly fish at all? I don't know now. Well, nowadays it's, um, it's a distraction. It's a distraction from pain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't, uh, don't want to give away too much about the film. It's, um, uh, cause we kind of, that kind of get addressed and yeah. gets addressed in the film. Um, but it is a, it is a good distraction. Um, takes the focus off, uh, how, how my body's feeling, stuff like that. Um, and it's kind of been that way for a lifetime, to be honest. When I was in high school, uh, it's kind of how I just coped with being a teenager and being depressed at times. And it, I mean, I spent more time fishing than I did in class for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of always kept me alive. I've never, you know, I've never been into the fly fishing part of it where guys are like screaming and yelling and, you know, they got this big fish that we often see yeah. in movies or I see on the river. I see in guideboats, you know, guys, even in my boat, I've seen that lots of times. Someone gets a really cool fish and they're just stoked or whatever. And that was never my reason for fly fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always appreciated that it was a cool, cool thing for other people. Uh, so, yeah, to be honest, it's it's probably a coping mechanism uh, survival mechanism more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool way to look at it. Um, number five and one of our favorite questions to ask, and it's random. It's very random. Uh, if you were a fly pattern, what would you be? What fly pattern best represents Ryan Kelly? Um, probably a cicada. You know, that's more specific. But mostly because they're dumb, they, you know, like they live in the ground, they climb up a tree, they can't fly. Somehow they end up in the water <laughs> and their life is shortly devoured. And that's kind of how I feel on a daily basis. You know, I wake up, I'm still here. Might as well get outside and, and uh, you know, maybe I make it through the day well, you're, without uh, being devoured. So I guess that's why I go with that one. You're, you're anything but dumb. It's a it's a cool fly choice. Definitely one we we Absolutely. haven't heard thus far. But yeah, Ron, you're you're anything but dumb. The the film you put together is amazing, and mm-hmm. you know when when people see it, they'll see you have a you have a very unique, powerful, impactful story uh, that it, yep. it's going to resonate with people. It's a it's a crazy story, and uh, you know just from having the talks that we've had with you, know you've been through a lot, and like it's pretty awesome that you've pushed through a lot of that stuff because you do create some really amazing content that's meaningful and it's going to be cool for people to see this particular story and kind of get a little view into your life and 
kind of see what this process has been like for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I just hope, you know, I hope it inspires people or encourages them to hang in there, you know, yeah. no matter, you know, we all go through challenges in our life. So I hope, yeah. I hope that will help somebody along the way. Um, and if not, I guess I feel like I'd wasted my time doing it, but yeah, sure well, you, yeah you definitely I, I waste will. your time. So, you know, the, the movie's amazing. Um, yeah, we're excited for, we're excited for people to see it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time, man. Uh, we loved having you on. Uh, this is a cool thing of you to, to make some time to meet with us. Uh, people are looking forward to it. We're looking forward to it. Uh, and we hope, uh, that you are too. So, um, well, I'm not, I don't know if I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm pretty nervous about it. So. Not everyone else seems to be excited about it. So. <laughs> oh yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. Thanks so much for chatting with us, man. It's great All to right. meet you. Good luck, guys. Appreciate it. Cheers. You're doing. All Take right. care. Bye. This is director Shannon from Mighty Waters. Technology. Welcome to 2021. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're pretending like we're having to do this uh, over Zoom or uh, whatever this platform is. But the reality is, is we would have done this even if there wasn't a pandemic. <laughs> it is pretty cool, though, that we're able to connect with everybody. You know, we just talked to Johan. He was in, um, you know, cool. South Africa. And it was like, look, we're up in Canada. Nick's in Florida. Where are cool. you? Where are you calling from? Austin, Texas. Austin, right, right, right. So yeah. look at that. How cool is that? But guys, Austin, Texas right now is bonkers. Uh, we got uh, at my house eight inches of snow last night. Um, it is currently five degrees outside. And uh, the pipes in my house are frozen because Texas code, uh, you only have to insulate three feet in from an exterior wall because we never get any weather like this. So uh, it's kind of crazy. Um, I but, think just about every part of the country is getting hit with this cold snap, except for where we are in Florida right now. <laughs> Honestly, if you look yeah. at the map, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so I want to—I don't want to digress too much. Uh, I want to get back to y'all's question. So Ansel, Ansel came to me from uh, my friend Heather Harkavy. She was actually my employee at the time when I made the film Beyond the Horizon, which some of you may or may not have seen, and some of the guests here may or may not have seen. It was in the F3T tour of, I think, 2018. Um, whenever she came on to work for me, it was an idea to, you know, uh, try to fund Fish for Change, if y'all have heard from that, uh, mm -hmm. heard of that. And Steve Brown and I decided to split her salary. So she was here in the studio every day. She lived in Austin, Texas. And Heather loves to talk. If you know Heather Harkavy, you know that she talks a lot. Um, and she'll be the first to tell you she's obnoxious, but she's not obnoxious. She's the only one that thinks that. Uh, she's hilarious, and um, you end up on a lot of silly conversations third. I, I'm pretty sure, if my memory's correct, one day we were just talking, and out of the blue, she starts telling me about this guy, Ansel. And when she was nine years old, her father, Jeff Harkavy, the founder of Bonefish Tarpon Trust, um, was uh, had taken her to Bimini. She grew up going there and Ansel was always their guy. So she started telling me the story and here's what she told me. Yeah, I've got this guy that was a guy for us, super interesting. He was friends with Martin Luther King. He was there like four days before he died. And, um, you know, he, this guy Ansel even helped to start the civil rights movement in Bimini. And I'm like, Okay, whoa, <laughs> like, slow down for a second, Heather. Um, 
let's break this down. And she did. We slowed down. We broke it down. And even halfway through the conversation, I just I knew right then and there, like this guy's story needs to be told. If half of what she told me was truth, uh, which it turns out she was telling not only 100 percent the truth, but there's so much more to be discovered. Um, and and I was just blown away. Um, I can't believe his story hasn't already been told. Honestly, mm -hmm. that's like what that's actually the number one feedback we get a lot is like, how is this guy's story not already been told? Um, and I, I am so honored and blessed and nervous as hell to put his story out there um, only because I don't even think I'm worthy of telling his story. Um, I, I'm not sure that many people are really worthy of telling a story unless they got Emmy awards um, out the wazoo. So um, super blessed, super honored. And uh, Ansel as himself is um, one of the most interesting people you will ever meet. And so essentially Ansel, when he was in his 20s, caught the attention of Martin Luther King, as I understand it, by single-handedly starting the civil rights movement on the island of Bimini. It was a very segregated island. The blacks were second class. And there was the Bimini Big Game Club, which is a well-known club. Most of us as Americans, if we're going to Bimini, will probably book a guide if we want to fish through the Bimini Big Game Club. And they were a whites-only resort. You couldn't eat in their restaurant. You couldn't stay in their hotel. And as Ansel will tell you, he doesn't have a bone of inequality in his body. And he wanted to break the neck of that, is how he phrases it. Um, hmm. He wanted to even, even the playing field. And so he decided indefinitely, I'm going to go to the Bimini Big Game Club every single day until they serve me lunch. And he started that process. And for 41 consecutive days, he went to the Bimini Big Game Club. He says he felt incredibly embarrassed, incredibly lonesome. He was the only one. He tried to get people to go with him, but all his community told him, you're crazy. You're never going to do this. Why are you wasting your time? You know, things aren't going to change. And he just stayed true to it. And every day he would go back to guiding his climate clients on an empty stomach. And he, he did feel very lonesome. Like I said before, he felt completely abandoned by his community um, to the point where he makes, he makes a point to actually say that one of the best parts of the whole process was what came after with his community and how it inspired his community. Because on the 42nd day, um, he heard some officials, some big officials from Nassau were coming down and they were going to be staying at the Bimini Big Game Club. So he invited a couple of his buddies uh, to lunch and said, if you come with me, I'll buy you lunch. And so they, so they agreed to that free meal. And uh, as I would, if y'all invited me to a free meal. And, uh, and so they put word out, Ansel put word out that, hey, me and my friends are coming. And if you don't serve us, I'm willing to go to jail. As he puts it, you know, I've been using Martin Luther King ways and I might be willing to use Malcolm X ways. And, uh, and I guess that, that shook up the owner because when they showed up, there was no conflict, there was no confrontation. They sat them right down, they served them. And from that point forward in the history books, they have been, um, they have been serving people of all nationalities and all races. And, uh, and he said from time to time, he'd go back to test it in those early days. And uh, there was never any issues. And 
that made him that made him a giant slayer, right? That right. The Saunders name is already one that is uh, very prevalent in Bimney. They come from a long line of very creative um, of lineage, right? They're from Scotsman, Scotland originally. They're boat builders, musicians, super talented. You know, we all have that friend that anything they do, they're just good at it. That's the right. Saunders family. So already right. from from what I gather, again, this is just my opinion, but already Ansel is like this leader in the community just by his nature, but by the, the way the family name carries itself. Yeah. And, um, and then when you go do something like that and you actually create change in your community, it just, it elevated Ansel to another level. And um, he's such a humble guy and he has such a heart of gold um, that he was able to create a movement and to actually help people see um, so differently. And that was because of Martin Luther King, because a few years after that is when Martin Luther King started coming to Bimney and uh, MLK and Ansel were introduced through uh, Senator Powell, who was at Bimney. Um, honestly, he was at Bimney because he was under some uh, investigation of, uh, of, I think, banking fraud or not paying <laughs> his taxes or something. This isn't MLK, this is Powell, who was under um, some sort of indictment. Um, and, but MLK sought his counsel because Powell was good at getting bills passed. And, and Martin Luther King was so passionate about getting his bill passed. And so he would go to Bimney um, and he would go there to visit Powell on as Ansel would put it, uh, uh, secret trips, private trips, and they had public trips. So publicly, I think Martin Luther King went to Bimney two, maybe three times. Uh, privately, he said he was there uh, a dozen times, right? Um, and each time uh, he would walk the streets at night, go eat at the restaurants, he would interact. They developed a friendship, you know, to the point where Martin Luther King would go with Ansel on his boat to um, to go out to the mangroves and go out to these really just pristine, as you'll see in the film, just pristine bonefish flats and these little channels that run through the mangroves um, into the swamps. But what we define as a swamp is way different what they define as a swamp because their swamps mm -hmm. are crystal clear blue water. It's the yeah, lagoon exactly. of sorts, right? Um, <laughs> it's, it's the most beautiful place I've ever seen. Um, and that's where Martin Luther King would write. So. Um, yeah, well, uh, the the imagery in your film is second only to how you actually tell the story. Um, it's it's cool to get that little teaser. We're we're so excited to to put it out there, dude. It, it's monumental. It's amazing. Sweet, cool. Well, do y'all want me to keep telling a story? Do y'all want to ask? One no, no. Well, uh, we've got some. We got a couple more questions for you. Cool. I, I had one quick one actually before we jumped into the ones we wrote. Um, Ansel definitely, you know. And as people see your film, you know, organize a community, whatnot. Was there a sense of a guiding community before he came along, or or did did by bringing up the community? I guess my question is, by bringing up the community as a whole, was he also able to organize guides? Uh, or is I, like there a culture of guiding? Yeah, there was already a culture ahead of time. In fact, right. What brought him to guiding was the bunny. I mean. Of course, he, yeah. he was a carpenter. He was a boat builder, but he said the problem is you're related to everybody on the island. They're either your cousin or your second cousin. So a five hundred dollar right. job, you can only get paid a hundred dollars for because they're your family. And then even at that, they don't pay you the hundred. So right. he's like, I gotta figure something else out. And that's actually what led Ansel to guiding was uh, a friend named uh, another guy named Bonefish Sam. Uh, who showed him the way of stalking fish um, and not baiting them in. And that's what led him inevitably to fly fishing. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think Nick touched on it. You know, like this film is, it's such a unique film. And I think it's probably, uh, you know, one of, might be the most unique film F3T's had on the tour ever. Um, what, what do you hope people take away? Like, what do you want the takeaway to be for, for the audience? Man, I, I, there's hope. You know, this is a film for hope. This is a film, you know, there, there's obviously opportunity in these sorts of films to get into political opinions and to, you know, talk about what's going on um, in current affairs. And I really didn't want to take from Ansel's story by, by bringing that into it. It's obviously mm -hmm. there, but I think Ansel's story is timeless. Some of the, uh, some of the issues we're facing today as it relates to uh, systemic racism are s still very much alive and they're appalling. And um, they are as relevant now, in my opinion, as they were in the 60s, although they are to different degrees in some ways. But um, I also don't claim to know everything about it. But Ansel's story to me was something that I was inspired by. In the process of making this film, I have been changed. Um, Martin Luther King was let's just say he's the most beautiful writer and i don't think i really understood the gravity of that statement until as, as the director of this film i started diving deep into uh Ansel's story and mlk's story and i read every single one of martin luther king's speeches and it, let me just say if anybody just does that alone right there i don't know how that alone won't completely radically change uh your heart um and fully understand that the meaning of all of this is to love one another, to serve one another. Uh, those are Martin Luther King words directly, you know, is, you know, don't tell them I had a, a Nobel Peace Prize. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, none of that matters. What mm -hmm. matters is I gave my life trying to love someone, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you look at Ansel's life and you look at MLK's life and you see how the two interacted and you start drawing parallels. And the parallel for me to, to be drawn, and what I hope everyone can draw is courage. You know, having the courage to stand up and to, and to really pick a hill to die on um, mm. and stay true to that and stay true to that form. Because at the end of the day, you know, um, economy isn't money. You know, money is, is not finite. Money is infinite in a way, right? It's here today, gone tomorrow, back the next day, but time, right? Our time is what is truly finite. That's the only thing we have control of that we will never get back once we lose it. And how we prioritize our time and what we do with our time. Um, to me, Ansel's story does a wonderful job of showing somebody who has dedicated their time and their life to trying to help somebody and producing change within it. And the model of an island is just such a beautiful mo uh, uh, model. You know, there are boundaries, there are borders, there are waters. So the change that happens, happens in this one place. And sometimes it's easy for me to forget that. I live in a city, a big city at that, a fast growing city. And there are real, the, 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 the borders get blended. And so it's, it's hard to remember that even if it's the smallest thing, even if it's just 41 days of time we put into something, it can produce a huge amount of change. And, yeah. uh, and I really hope people see that in this film. I hope they're inspired and moved emotionally um to want to love somebody i think i think they will i think they will be too i mean it's also kind of interesting too it's like kind of developed like i don't know the, you know Ansel, as people see when it talks about you know time spent in the boat with somebody um mm -hmm. it's interesting that you know we have a certain relationship with with guides or whatever and and you know i'm not sure if mlk was fishing with 
on Soul or whatever, but they were definitely learning from each other, which is kind of interesting. Like that kind of that notion of time spent in the boat learning from one another, whether it be to how to catch a hook of fish or how to live your life or how to enact change in this case. Yeah, yeah. it's just it, it goes to show you that there's so much more that goes into fly fishing than just catching fish and their relationship is a perfect example of that and i think anybody can draw parallels to time they've spent with people in the boat outside of actually fishing i mean some of my best memories of guiding don't have to do with fishing at all um anyways it's a totally different topic but no it it, it shines through in your film that's and, cool yeah well, let me ask you all this so you know and I, i'll ask us to all three of y'all if, if y'all three of y'all want to respond it's you know, like when y'all watch this film, what what does it do for you? How do you feel, you know, when we spend time in the outdoors and you hear Ansel's story, where is the culmination of your emotions when you finish watching this the the film I produced? Oh, that's a that's a tough answer. I can say asking hard No, I, I don't want to give anything away about the film itself, but yeah, I cried at the end of it the first time I watch it, I cried. It's, it's that powerful. Um, and the story is that meaningful. And like you said earlier, you know, when Paul had first told me about this project that you guys were working on it, the one thing that resonated in my head was how has nobody come across this and thought to tell this in the fly fishing space? Um, because it is truly a powerful, powerful story. Um, about their relationship together and about change. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's fair to say. Well, I got, I've got two things to say about that. One's kind of you know the first thing would be, like you said, it's inspiring. It's inspiring to think about what you can do for your fellow community, whether that be a fellow fishing community or whether that be a fellow, um, you know, marginalized communities or, or whatever. And so that that was inspiring. Curious. From a curiosity standpoint, I want to know how Ansel uh, may have invented the Super Bowl, because <laughs> that gets touched. That he seems like this really interesting guy that I just want to know more about. Yeah. So there's like uh, the the film did two things. Yeah, it was like spawned curiosity, but then also spawned you know was in, in, inspirational for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I yeah. want to hear from Mitch if he's still here. I don't see your screen, Mitch. But, but oh no, I'm, I'm here, baby. I think honestly, like you touched on it, like hope. Uh, being the takeaway, I think is a great thing to say because, like, I think that's something that's so needed right now to so to see a film come out, um, you know, with that kind of uh, context and having that kind of a takeaway. I think is is really nice to see, you know, like a really a kind of a, a deeper um, takeaway and um, a message that, um, yeah, why shouldn't this be told in the fly fishing community? And to Nick's point, how has it not yet? Because it's such an amazing story. Um, so yeah, you know I don't want to give too much away on it either, uh, because I think people uh, people are going to really enjoy it. But um, yeah, great great work, man. Honestly, it's really 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 nicely done. Well, that's awesome. So Aldo, I'll go back to you. You know, mm -hmm. um, and that question you posed to me is like, so we don't go too deeply into it in the film. So I'm not giving anything away here. It's probably better to talk about this here so people can understand it deeper and 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 fuller. Uh, but. As the story goes, um, I believe it was, oh shoot, now that I'm on the spot, Tom Landry, maybe, he was the former president of um, the uh, NFL, and um, and if I'm wrong on that name, please don't troll me, um, <laughs> I'm sure that Ansel was right when he said whoever it was, uh, at any rate, 
he would go fish with Ansel frequently. And they were on the boat, and he was expressing some frustrations about the American League and the National League and how the ratings were pretty poor. And Ansel threw out the suggestion. He said, you know, the reason why your ratings are poor is because you have nothing to look forward to at the end of the year. There's no big game. There's no championship of sorts. Uh, and so you should really consider putting together some sort of championship. So he said, well, thanks for the advice. So he goes, he goes home, and six months later, he's back on Ansel's boat, and he says, hey, Ansel, I just want to let you know, we decided to try your idea, um, and we're going to call it the Super Bowl. And so uh, they did the Super Bowl, and they invited Ansel, and they gave him a handful of tickets. I think it was three tickets, if I remember correctly. So Ansel and two of his buddies went from Bimney, and it was in Miami, um, mm -hmm. and I believe... Um, and Ansel goes there, and he has these 50-yard line tickets, front row, and they, they, they check him in. He goes and sits down, and security comes, and they try to kick him and his friends out for being black. And they said, there's no way you could have afforded these tickets. You guys stole them, is what they accused him of, and you guys need to leave. To the huh. point where uh the president of the nfl had to come down and vouch for them and say no I, I, we gifted them these and uh after the game the the first super bowl football the first kickoff ball was signed by all the players and it was gifted to ansel where it sits in bimney and uh, ansel holds the claim of the super bowl being his idea nice so which just goes to show you that relationship going back to guiding that relationship of the power of friendships that are born on a boat, you know, and totally. the time spent together in, in, in a natural environment. It's one of my favorite things about um, being outside, especially in big country and open country, like being on a giant flat or the ocean, right? Mm -hmm. Is you are so small, right? And we get in the middle of a concrete jungle in the middle of a city and it's easy to feel like, you know, we're the kings. We have created all this, oh, man, I'm big. And then you get out in nature and, you know, it drives people together. And when it's just two people on a boat in the middle of this vast natural setting, um, it just goes to show you the power of relationships and how one small uneducated, didn't go to high school, didn't go to college, fishing guy can see his opportunity on the bow of a boat with all these doctors and lawyers and presidents of NFL and Martin Luther King and Muhammad Ali. And mm -hmm. he can see it as an opportunity to be his college. That's how he defines it. It was his college. And the dividends of that are paid off in things like the Super Bowl being Hansel's idea. His voice being heard, those relationships being born. And that's that's the most beautiful thing to me. And Shannon, you know, the awesome thing about this film is that there's so much more depth to it outside of the story that you tell. That's one facet of it. And it's a super powerful story. But outside of that, as you know, I, I think this will resonate true with anybody else who watches it. It's going to prompt them to go research Ansel and... Yeah you know, Martin Luther King and everything else that comes along with it. And you realize that there's, there's so much more to this story. Um, in addition to the story that you guys have told, and that's part of what's so cool about it. And correct me if I'm wrong, Ansel is being, um, inducted into the, the hall or the fly fishing hall of fame with the American museum of fly fishing. 
Uh, I believe it's the IGFA that is inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, um, the IGFA is uh, the Museum of American Fly Fishing is absolutely fully behind Ansel, and we are working together right now um, in communicating with Ansel. Our hope is um, to create a um, uh, exhibit within their museum for Ansel. Um, right on. There will be more information on that to come. There's some creative ideas on what we can do there. But our goal certainly would be to get Ansel's uh, guiding boat, the Jewel, which you can see in the film and his workshop mm -hmm. still. It's where it sits as we speak. Um, and needs some repairs and some loves, but in my opinion, that belongs in an exhibit somewhere for his story and his legacy to be preserved. Um, he will be inducted this year into the IGFA Hall of Fame. There is hopes that he'll come to that ceremony. We'll see. Uh, Ansel cool. at this point, I believe, is 88 years old and uh, still rides his bike every day in good health. But <laughs> as any of us at 88 would be, it's harder and harder to travel and totally. to want to leave the normalcy of what is our everyday life. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but yeah, what a legend, huh? What a legend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Um, okay, Sh Shannon, we've got five more questions. These are kind of like uh, general fly fishing questions. They're sort of more buzzer beater, you know, like try to answer them in just a few words or a sentence because um, they're just meant to be kind of like hard, quick hitting, you know, fly fishing cues. Yeah, well, you might have to put on the uh, the Oscar music for me when I start going on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I'm a director. I love telling stories. I'll talk for an hour if you guys want to. No, no, it's uh, great. It's buzzer great. Beater. Go. Okay, so this first one is, um, what is your favorite fish and why? If you had to pick a favorite fish, what would it be? Uh, hands down, the redfish, because I live in Texas. Oh, yes. Nice. And they're fun. They're aggressive. Oh, dude, nothing beats casting to a redfish. I mean, I've caught tarpon, and I've caught bonefish, and snook snook are also uh, one of my favorites. But there's, there's just nothing to me that beats an oversized or a upred slot red just hanging out on a flat and uh they're not the easiest fish to catch um but uh they they sure are fun and i just love their colors man i'm a sucker for that for that instinct advertising mcdonald's orange yellow and you know, <laughs> you give me a red fish and it's orange and yellow it's going to increase my anxiety when i see it there on a flat so red fish over a billion hooked totally <laughs> <laughs> exactly well and, I mean, Mitchie and I went to uh, Rockport about two years ago to, for our first red fishing trip and couldn't agree more, man. On the yeah. note of travel, uh, number two, question number two. If you could fish anywhere in the world right now, given that it's the best time to go and given that COVID doesn't exist, um, where would you go and why? I'd go where I've already been. Um, obviously, there's places that I want to go, but there's nothing that calls home to me like Guanaja. And I actually just got reports that the fishery there, all the mangrove planting and everything that we've been working years on doing since the big hurricane Mitch uh, from, I think it was 1997, um, it devastated that fishery and now it's coming back. There's reports of schools of snook, 30 deep, cruising the flats Whoa. right now, oversized snook too. I mean, you're talking some like 30, 40, 45, just snooks cruising. I got text messages on my phone from Steve Brown, who was just texting me not but two days ago of pictures of these permit that they're catching, uh, just one after the other. They had, I think, five of them on the fly in a matter of like uh, a couple of hours. Um, so yeah, Guanaja, man. What Let's an incredible go. spot. Let's go. 
I'm going to scream it from the rooftops. You need to call Steve Brown at Flyfish Kanaha. And if you haven't been there, it is the coolest place. The people, the food, the island. It's like Jurassic Park. So you make, you make me want to go. Yeah, man, me too. Especially Sold. since it's five degrees outside. Yeah. <laughs> where I am. Okay, well, going to check out Steve Brown for sure. Um, number three of the five questions here is, uh, what is uh, what's one standout memory from uh, making the film? One standout kind of moment. Maybe it's a behind-the-scenes moment or something. Oh, man. You know, I should probably have something rehearsed for this question because I'm going to get asked it a lot. But the truth is, is my favorite moment of the whole trip, um, every time I make a film, I hate, I'm, I'm not that guy to come in with the camera in your face. Nice to meet you. Here, smile. Um, <laughs> I, the first night, I was nervous as hell, like I was meeting some celebrity or something, you know, it's actually funny. I, I don't get nervous when I meet celebrities or anything, but when I, I had done so much research on Ansel and, um, and his story and, uh, his granddaughter, um, Katie was helping us out. And so she, I go, we get to our rent house, uh, we get all of her bags unpacked. And I was just like, I want to go meet Ansel. I want to go meet Ansel. I want to go meet Ansel. So, uh, his granddaughter's like, all right, let's go. So we jump in the golf cart. We drive the 15 minute drive across the island to his house. And, and I go in and no cameras. I left the whole, everyone behind. It was just me and him, just a time for me to really just meet him for the very first time. And I go in his house and we spent two hours talking. Probably the biggest regret I have is not bringing a camera in there because the things he told me and the things that I learned that, you know, you hear someone's story, you hear some writings about a story, you hear someone tell a story secondhand. It's not until you spend time with somebody, hours, right? Just having a conversation back and forth, enjoying, you know, some uh, a beverage and realizing that, um, I think that was my favorite moment. It's just this realization that as a director and as a film producer, I make a lot of promises. I promise sponsors that a film art is going to be something. I promise guys at the F3T that a film is going to be something. I promise myself that it's going to be good. And then to get that validation, that moment where you just realize that this person is everything and more than what you thought he was, um, it was overwhelming. Um, like I said, I was very nervous to meet him. I told his granddaughter that. She's like, why? He's just Ansel. And I'm like, I know, but I feel like I'm meeting probably one of the most important people I'll ever meet in my life. Um, and, and it truly turned out to be so. I, I think to this day that Ansel is the most important person that I've ever met in my life. And, um, to awesome. be able to share time with him at his table just stood out to me as being one of the most impactful moments of the whole trip. That's awesome. That's awesome. And the first time I saw him ride a bike. Guys, <laughs> gotta put I that at 88 years old, I can jump on a bike the way he jumps on a bike. So it's Good like point. a running start. It's cool. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, we should be so lucky at 88. Okay, number four, and it's a little bit more existential, but maybe in like two or three words, why do you fly fish? What do you get out of it? Like, why fly fish at all? <laughs> two or three words, huh? All right. <laughs> Mem mem memories you know it's just memories it's like that story i told you at the beginning i fly fish because it's nostalgic it reminds me of the fact that i still to this day want to be my father um uh, that i want my i'm a father to three kids and i want them to be me and mm -hmm. um and fly fishing is a vector to harbor adventures with the people that you care about remembering memories with 
So mm -hmm. I fly fish for sanity and solitude and nostalgia. Amazing. Love that. Great, great answer. Last question of the five is uh, one of our favorites. It's if you were a fly pattern, what would you be? What fly pattern best, best represents you? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> huh. What a question. Uh, would I be a print slip? Um, no, <laughs> I probably would be a dirty hippie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good pattern, effective. <laughs> Very effective. Uh, I'd probably be a dirty hippie for sure. Perfect. It's, it's, a, it's a fun question. They, uh, we, we did the podcast uh, two weeks ago or whenever it was. And it, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting question to get hit with and think like, huh, I never, it's not something I ever really thought about. <laughs> I almost said game changer. I'm the game changer, but I thought that would be a little too egotistical. And that's not <laughs> it's a great fly. No, no wrong answers. It's, it's a heavy, heavy bastard though. That fly is a heavy bastard. Well, Shannon, dude, we, we want to thank you so much. This was awesome getting a chance to kind of pick your brain about this stuff. Again, dude, you did such a fantastic job with Mighty Waters. It's such an impactful film. We're so excited for everybody to watch it. And uh, yeah, we, we couldn't be more stoked, man. Um, yeah. Awesome to hear a bit about your story. And thank you for taking the time with us. You bet. Thank you, guys. Make sure thank to go uh, check out some of the different various channels. AMFF.org, American Museum of Fly Fishing. We'll be hosting a lot of the information if you want to learn more about Ansel. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram and all that crap. I'm sure they'll put links up. So yep, um, you can do all that. But really, if you want to learn more about Ansel, go check out amff.org. That's it. That's the Filmmaker Interviews for the F3T. Thank you so much to, for listening to this episode. And thanks to Paul and Nick for, for doing this with us. We really, really, really appreciate you guys and um, appreciate everybody that listened to the episode. And, um, and thanks to the filmmakers that... Uh, that sat down and spoke with us about all the films. It was really an amazing lineup this year at the uh, Fly Film Tour, and um, can't wait to see what what films come out next year. But thanks everybody for listening. And um, if you liked the episodes, go back and listen to episode ninety because we actually interviewed Paul and Nick about their fishing career and their fishing life, and also the F three T. So go check that out. It was the last episode, um, and like I said at the beginning of the show, four hours and fifteen minutes ago. Um, you can check out Jessica Hadal on March 15th because we actually sat down and just had a longer chat with her. Um, and um, we'll probably be sitting down and talking to all these filmmakers over uh, uh, the next year um, and just uh, reaching out and seeing if they want to come on the show and do longer do, do longer episodes as well. But um, yeah, if you like the, the show, uh, thanks for listening and uh, check out sovelight.ca for more and um, take care. You can find all of SoFly's content at sofly.ca. Reach out via email by sending your questions or comments to info at sofly.ca. Find them on Instagram at the SoFly Crew. Thank you for listening. Computer person out.